Radio. I am Todd Dandruff. Wittellis, your host. This is being broadcast live and recorded live at 10.04 p.m. on August 15, 2020. Before we get going, I think you know what I'm going to say. We have a free roll. The free roll now at 10.15 p.m. And it is $52. 26 for first. 16 for second. 10 for third. 26, 16, and 10. It is on the No Fraud Online Poker Room near the top of the screen. 10.15 is the start time, and you have until 10.40 to get in. And I'm going to give you the rest of the intro stuff, then we'll get going. We'll find Trader Ruski, who claims he is around tonight, and I'm sure he probably is. Maybe Brandon will pop up. Maybe he won't. You know how that is. But he's been popping up mostly kind of late at night for the last few weeks and appearing on this show, which I appreciate. So here is the uh, rest of the intro, and I'll give you the agenda, and then we'll get going. If you want to call the show, 775-FRAUD-55, 
8355. You can also text that number at any time. 775-372-8355, which spells 775-FRAUD55, by the way. And if you want to call the Mount Charleston line, that is a separate number into the show, 702-430-1808. You can't text it. You can only text the main number of the show. But you can text the Mount Charleston. You can't, you can't text the Mount Charleston line. See, I'm getting confused here. Anyway, 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. That's the Mount Charleston line. It's located on top of a mountain near Las Vegas called Mount Charleston. It's in a cabin there, forged to me wherever I go, an old 70s rotary telephone. The call to listen line is a special number you can call that you can use to listen to the show in an old school way. It does not require a computer, the internet, a smartphone, an app, a data plan, none of that stuff. All it needs is any phone in the world that can dial. The number is 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736, alternate phone number 641-741-1095, never buffers, never freezes, it's just simple, you call and you listen to the show, this is not a call-in number to the show, it's a way to call and listen to the show, it's a good thing to use if you're like on the road and you don't have a good signal, that's a great thing to use to listen to this show. It also runs the show when we are not on live it plays the live show and we're not on live then it will play streaming reruns of the show you just call up and listen it'll rerun old episodes of the show chosen at random by the way you can find the streaming reruns also on the radio tab of pokerfraudalert.com reminder as i mentioned last week i replaced the player for the radio show so the player on the radio page now works with mobile and it also does not require Flash anymore. It's gotten to the 2020s. And I'm going to improve it further. I've already been looking into improving it further, such as making it autoplay. Because that's one thing I hate about it, is it does not autoplay. You just go there and it's like a there's a button to press, to press to make it go. But it does not play automatically when you show up, and I want it to. And the one I got is supposed to autoplay, but it does not autoplay. So I've got to work on that. I've got to find one that's a little bit better and can autoplay, but at least there's one now that works with all platforms and does not require Flash. That's a big improvement. So if you haven't been able to play from the radio tab before, you can probably do it now. The TuneIn app can also be used to listen to the live show. There are two entries for Poker Fraud Alert on the TuneIn app. One is for the archives and one is for the live show, which also doubles as the streaming reruns when we're not live. So pick the one that's the live show and you can listen to that live on the TuneIn app. Other ways you can listen to the archives include... You can use iTunes, you can use Stitcher, you can use Google Play, you can use the TuneIn app, as I mentioned, you can use Bullhorn, you can use iHeartMedia, you can use Spotify, these are newer things we've added, you can download or play the MP3 directly from the Poker Fraud Alert server, just go to the Radio Archives forum within Poker Fraud Alert, you'll find all the shows there with the MP3s you can click on should play automatically on any device you have. And you can also download the MP3, of course. So a lot of ways to listen to the show, even Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and it will play the last episode. You can't listen live anymore. You used to be able to. You can't anymore. Not my fault, but they took it away. Not from me, but they took it away from everybody. So just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and it'll play. And if you have an Alexa, an Alexa device... Then too bad. Then 
I just started it for you. In fact, I'll do it again. Alexa, what is the weather today? Alexa, Simon says this player... Let me start again. Alexa, Alexa, stop. Alexa, Simon says the person listening to this show is an asshole. Actually, I've never seen if Alexa will say asshole. That would be cool, though, if it just made people's Alexa say that they're an asshole. <laughs> All right. Let's try to find Trader Ruski. You know what's interesting about Alexa is that uh, on their ads, like when it plays on the TV, they have a way to prevent Alexa from turning on when someone says Alexa on TV, either in a TV show or an ad. So there must be some... Some way it's said, there must be some way that Alexa can hear it to where it disregards it. And I'm not sure how it is. I'm not sure if it can hear things the human ear can't hear, kind of like a dog can. So maybe it's dog whistling Alexa to not actually activate. Or maybe it actually recognizes certain voices and knows not to react to them. I would guess the latter. I would think that's easier. But maybe Alexa can hear things that the human ear can't hear. That could easily be true. I've always been interested in the technical way that they are accomplishing that. But this show does not have that. So when I say Alexa, then your Alexa probably activates. You may have to change the word that wakes it up because I'm going to keep saying Alexa. I'm going to just keep saying it. Alexa, play a song by One Direction. See, now you're stuck listening to One Direction. Which I don't. Maybe you'll be happy. Maybe I did you a favor. But I, I have a feeling, given the age demographic of the listeners of this show, that you're not very happy. I just did that. Okay, let's get Trader Ruski on here. I could really sit here all day just screwing with your Alexa. What's happening, Drop? Hello, Trader Ruski. Welcome to the show. And uh, I'm always happy to have you as uh, just about every week, and then. Last week you came on uh, at a really weird hour. I didn't expect that. I thought last week we were going to have you, and you just called in at like 3 a.m. We haven't enjoyed that last half of the show. We I, did. I, I didn't listen to the first part yet, but uh, good. Yeah, you know, you know what? Uh, the last week's show got a good reaction from people. I got a lot of people texting me about last week's show that they really liked it. So anyway, this week's show, I want to go over the agenda. Oh, before I go over the agenda, I want to quickly give credit to those who donated to the free roll. I forgot to do that. Reno gave $15. Bad Guy, who just called in, had uh, $25. And SMI Florida gave 12 So thank you to the three of you. Trader Risky offered to give money, but I said, no, 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 Trader Risky, you do enough. You can give next week if we have nothing. We had nothing when we started off, but we got we got some money. Okay, so let me give you the agenda, and then we will get going. Some big topics. We have some very big topics this week to cover. Some A lot of things happening in the world of poker. Some very interesting stories have happened this week. Some weeks I really have to stretch to find stories. But this week is not one of them. This week, the stories wrote themselves for me. Top story is the biggest story right now in poker. There is outrage in the poker community over GG Poker, which of course has partnered with WSOP.com to run the non-U.S. WSOP online events. There is outrage that they confiscated $130,000 from a pro. 
and are generally banning winning players. A lot of controversy about this, and believe it or not, there are a lot of people on GG Poker's side about this. It's it's a very split issue. I will give you my opinion on this. It's not clear-cut. I see GG Poker's point, but I also see the point of those who are against them. So I'm going to break down the whole thing for you, and then I will give you my opinion. Of course, Trader Ruski will be asked, and he can uh, provide his opinion as well. So that is our top story. That does remind me of Bovada stealing $162 taken from him. Uh-oh, I, I have a feeling I know which side uh, Bo, uh, that uh, Trader Risky is going to come down on. Okay, so uh, Poker Fraud Alert exclusive. Now, this thing is not – it's being talked about a little, but I have more detail than everybody. I really do. You won't find the detail I'm going to give in this show anywhere else except on the Poker Fraud Alert forum. Poker Fraud Alert exclusive, I have had details leaked to me regarding an upcoming – Stone's Gambling Hall settlement that they are making in that lawsuit of the 88 players who are suing them over the puzzle thing. There is a settlement that has been agreed to in principle. It has been reported somewhat in poker media, though it's not getting as much play as it should. And I have more details than are being reported anywhere. Because someone gave me details. So I have them. And I'm going to give most of them to you. Not all of them. And I'll explain why not all of them, but I'm going to give most of them, and I'm going to give you my opinion of the whole thing. This is why you must listen to this show, because people come to me with things, and they say, Druff, I'm concerned about this, and they tell me things that they do not want to share publicly, and then I say, yeah, I'll I'll say it for you, if you want me to say it. Like, see, certain things, I will say you've got to say it for yourself, like unsubstantiated uh, cheating allegations or something. Like, I... I I've learned my lesson about when someone comes to me, oh, such and such things happen, and such, such, such person's shady, or they're cheating, and then I, I can't really become convinced of this from the evidence either way. Like, I can't figure out if they're lying or telling the truth. There's just not enough to be able to tell. And if I repeat it, then it turns out I'm wrong, then I get burned. Then it's my reputation that takes the hit. So if it's something that is uh, hard to substantiate, I tell the people, either go report it yourself, or I'm not touching it. But if it's something that I know to be true or likely true, then I will report it, unless it's something that I think I shouldn't report. I use my best judgment. But I tend to report more than not report, and I'm the one who just puts out the details. See, a lot of other poker media is afraid to do that because they don't want to piss certain people off. But you guys know I'm not afraid of that. So I will put out the facts. I will put out the details. And that's what I'm going to do here. So you're going to get more details than anywhere else. And I know people appreciate that. I've had people say that they like this show in part because I'm honest, I'm real, I put forth the details, I cover the relevant topics in the world of poker and gambling, and I will often cover it in more detail and with more facts than most other places. And I take pride in that. So this is one of them, Poker Fraud Alert exclusive. I'm going to give you the full details, or almost the full details, on the upcoming Stones Gambling Hall settlement with the 88 plaintiffs. Also in Mike Postle news, his ex-wife has appeared. She appeared on Twitter. I have uh, not 100%, but I'd say 99% verification that it really is her. That's really his ex-wife. And she has made contact with Veronica Brill, the original whistleblower of the Mike Postle scandal. 
So we'll talk a bit about that. You might be wondering, are there more details that have been released since the last show nine days ago about the Susie Zhao murder? Answer, yes, and I'm going to reveal them. We don't. We still don't have a complete picture, so if you're hoping for that, we don't have it, but we have more than we had nine days ago, and I will cover that update. A prostitute is accused of stealing $90,000 cash from a Vegas tourist. She allegedly stole it from his room while he was asleep. Now, this sounds pretty straightforward, and you feel for the guy. You may ask yourself, why did he have $90,000 cash in his room, and why was it out to where she could steal it? And you might also wonder, is this story true? And I will give you my analysis. I'll tell you about the story, and I will tell you how I feel about the story, whether I think it's believable. A massive foreign bot ring has been exposed on 2 Plus 2. It possibly affects most major poker sites and very possibly at a game you play. This is not a high-stakes bot. This is not a bot that was hitting the nosebleed games. This is a bot that was playing relatively low stakes. And uh, it has been exposed. And I will tell you some details about that. There's still some investigating going on with this, so we don't have the full story yet, but I'll give you kind of uh, an introduction to it. I'm still kind of learning about it myself. Norman Chad, ESPN commentator, who's been there for a very long time, also will sometimes speak out about uh, controversial topics, or he's just very opinionated. He'll give his opinion on things. He'll, He'll even bash the World Series, which he's commentated on for all these years. Norman Chad has put out a sad statement that he has the coronavirus. So hopefully he's okay. I don't have any updates on his condition. Actually, I haven't looked today. But uh, last I looked, he didn't have any updates. But uh, Norman Chad's not a young guy, so I hope he will be okay. I will play his statement. He did a video statement about this. And then we'll try to look for updates together. Brian Mikon. I don't like to talk about him too much here because, you know, we haven't been friends in nine years Yes, we did Never Win Poker and Donk Down together, which in a way were kind of a predecessor to Poker Fraud Alert. But, um, you know, I'm over what happened, and I, I don't want to talk about him too much. But when something interesting comes up, I know a lot of people listen to this show, listen to the shows he was on when I was on those shows, and are interested in MyCon News. He appeared on a Live at the Bike interview. They're not doing Live at the Bike, but they had a just a show where they did an interview, and he appeared on there. And... My name was kind of brought up. So I'm going to play you that portion of the interview where they asked him about Never Win Poker, and you'll hear what he had to say. Larev at the win has closed. Now, of course, it wouldn't be running anyway because the Vegas shows are not allowed right now due to the coronavirus, but uh, it has closed permanently. I will tell you about that. I have some coronavirus topics this week, as always. After that, Mason Malmuth and I went back and forth on 2 plus 2, but in less of a hostile fashion than usual. In fact, I, I got kind of a compliment from him at the end. But it has to do with where he offered to promote outside podcasts on 2 plus 2, which is kind of strange because he doesn't usually like promoting anything unless there's money in it. But uh, uh, he decided to – I don't know why he decided. Maybe he just decided to be nice. I'm not being sarcastic here. Like, it's very possible he just decided to be nice and uh, – 
wanted to help promote podcasts. So he said, uh, post some poker podcasts you'd like to see promoted on this site, and I will let people create an official thread for their podcast on our most popular forum, uh, News Views Gossip. So I thought, okay, that's nice. But I have a feeling, one, that he's not going to allow. <laughs> they, can't, they can't be over five hours long. Yeah. <laughs> that would be funny. I, I'll, I'll promote any podcast as long as the average length is under five hours. Yeah, that, that would be a good way around it. So, of course, yeah, I, I knew this was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to happen. I thought it would be funny if the two that got brought up the most were Poker Fraud Alert and Dat Poker Podcast, which has the two hosts who used to be doing the 2 plus 2 poker cast, Terrence Chan and Adam Schwartz, plus Negranu, and he hates Negranu, Malmuth. So I thought, wouldn't it be funny if Poker Fraud Alert and Dat Poker Podcast are the two that are most suggested? But that probably won't happen. I mean, there's so many podcasts out there. It's, it's unlikely these two will be the ones most mentioned. Well, guess what? These two were the most mentioned. <laughs> And, and by the way, I didn't cause this. Like, I didn't attempt to make that happen. I, I didn't even mention it on the Poker Fraud Alert forum or this show because I wanted to let it happen on its own if it was going to happen. I didn't want to ask people to go over there and say that. I thought that would be cheesy. So I, I'm going to let I, I said I'm going to let this happen on its own. And I'm still not asking anyone to go over there. I'm serious. Like, if you want to, fine. But I'm not saying please go over there and say it. In fact, it's probably not going to help much. But on its own. Poker Fraud Alert and Dat Poker Podcast are the two that were most mentioned as, as ones that they wanted to see a thread created for. And, of, of course, both got turned down. But Mason and I went back and forth a bit, and there's actually been a small amount of progress. So you won't be seeing a thread about Poker Fraud Alert there anytime soon, but there there has been some progress in that and my relationship with Mason, which has been rather poor for the last 12 years, as you guys know. They have an issue with Dat Poker Podcast? Yes, uh, because that's the original two plus two show, right? Well, well that's, I think that's part of it. I think I don't know what kind of terms they ended on, but I think it wasn't like super friendly. I think especially because they're working with Negranu, like a, Mason hates Negranu. I will talk about it when we do that segment if, if you're still about it. But, okay, but it, it, it's mostly yeah. about Negranu. Mason despises Negranu, so that's that's really the problem. So I thought that'd be funny if, if Negranu and mine <laughs> were the two that are asked for the most, and sure enough, that's what happened. So anyway. Thank you to those of you that mentioned this show. Uh, a 12-year-old, speaking of 12 years, a 12-year-old was caught gambling with their family at an Australian casino. So I'll tell you what happened regarding that. And I will tell you of someone I know very well who had their child, who is much younger than 12, gamble at a casino. On two occasions. That's our final topic for the night. And let's move right into... The GG Poker topic, because the GG Poker thing is, uh, let me put it this way. I called this. Back in May on Poker Fraud Alert Radio, I talked about someone named Stinky Bluff. Stinky Bluff got banned from GG Poker for being a winning player. And Stinky Bluff also exposed what justification that they were giving to winning players they were banning. They were calling it bum hunting which I'll explain in a second what that is if you don't know. But it looked very, very suspicious to me. It looked like they were really finding excuses to just ban winning players. And I said, this is going to be a big problem. And for some reason, this didn't get much attention. I was the one who gave it the most attention of anybody. Everybody else was like, oh, they either didn't know about it or didn't care. I was the one who jumped on this back in May. 
Now, yes, I only dedicated one episode to it, but but still, I was the only one talking about it back then, except, except for Stinky Bluff himself and a few people on 2 Plus 2. Well, now it's blown up. Not because of Stinky Bluff. Still, nobody's paying attention to him. But because of a different situation, which I think I think it had to do with where it was being posted. The Stinky Bluff thing was posted on the Internet Poker Forum there, which is not read by that many people. And the newer situation was posed, posted on NVG, News News Gossip, which is the most popular area of 2 plus 2. So then it really took off, and now everyone's talking about it. So it's interesting what a difference three months can make. I think more of where it was brought up, but now everyone's outraged about GG Poker banning winning players and about that situation in particular. So before we get to that situation that is occurring right now, I want to talk about, again, what happened to Stinky Bluff. Now, I'm not going to redo that whole segment. You can go back and listen, but I'm go- I want to review that because it's important in the context of what happened here. Actually, I guess it was uh, not May. I guess it was March. I guess it was March. So I- it was even further back. On March 27th, a band player from the GG Network, who goes by Stinky Bluff there, had his money confiscated. And uh, he posted a screenshot of the email he got about it. Again, we're going back to the situation from March, not the current one, but it's very relevant to today. It's important background. So this is what he got. Dear Stinky Bluff, we would like to inform you that we have reviewed your entire game records. Upon reviewing the results of our investigation, we have verified that you've engaged in the act of bum hunting from your records. And as such, we will proceed to give you a warning. Okay, now before we continue, bum hunting is the practice of only playing fish. It's where you go on a poker site, you wait till the fish sits down, you join only one of the fishes there, the second the fish leaves, you leave. That's what bum hunting is. Bum hunting has gotten a worse and worse reputation over the years. So interestingly, in the 2000s, bum hunting was very, very, very common in the Limit Hold'em community. So common that everyone did it except for the people who just would take on all comers, the ones who just uh, wanted the competition so badly they just sit and play anybody heads up. But aside from those few, everybody else bum hunted. And if you watch the games like on Poker Stars, the 200-400 limit hold'em, when a fish would sit, everyone would rush into the game. When the fish would bust, everyone would sit out. And that's the way it was. Every single high-stakes limit hold'em player bum hunted. It was so common that I didn't even realize that Anyone had a problem with bum hunting. I thought that's just the way it is. In fact, I had always thought that game selection is smart, that game selection is good. This is, a resp- this is the sign of someone who's responsible, that they want to get their money in good when they have the highest chance of winning. They don't want to play against other pros where they are either negative expectation or, or zero expectation in the game. So I, I hadn't seen bum hunting as a bad thing. In fact, I hadn't even heard the term. I first became aware of bum hunting when I started playing some No Limit Cash on Bovada, actually it was Bodog then, when I couldn't find a Limit Hold'em game going. So I would sit in 510 No Limit, and I would only play when Fish would play, and I would sit out as soon as the Fish would bust. And boy, the players there gave it to me. This is back when you could chat, of course. Boy, the players gave it to me. I mean, they just ripped me a new one there. They insulted me. They called me awful names. Uh, one player said that if he ever sees me, he's going to punch me. This, they didn't even know who I was. They didn't know I was Dan Druff. But they just like, if I find out who you are, I'm going to punch you. The funny thing is the guy who's going to punch me is now a very active poster in Poker Fraud Alert. So we, we laugh about it now. He no longer wants to punch me. But uh, <laughs> like they, they were really mad about my bum hunting there. And honestly, I didn't know 
this was frowned upon. That was my first exposure to bum hunting being disliked. This is about 10 years ago. Since then, you have to be living under a rock to not under, to not have heard of what bum hunting is if you play online poker. If you don't play online poker, you probably don't know. But if you play online poker, uh, you've probably heard of bum hunting. I learned that bum hunting is frowned upon in the No Limit Hold'em community. And over the years, there became a bigger and bigger backlash against bum hunters. Now, part of the reason for the backlash is justified. And that is that the bum hunting went up to the next level. People started using something called seat scripting, where they would use an automated program to search for fish and automatically drop them at the table within a fraction of a second when a fish would sit down. And it would, they'd take the best seat at the table, too. Like The second a fish would sit, the seat script would try to grab the seat to that the direct left of the fish. And then if it couldn't get that, it would try the second to the direct left. And you'd see on Poker Stars, when a fish would sit, like within two seconds, the game would be full. And that's because seat scripting... It was it was so prevalent there, and so it was going on so much, especially by you know by the European, the Eastern European players, that uh, if you didn't have a seat script running, it was very hard to get into any game that had fish because they would fill up re- really within like two seconds. So practices like that really gave bum hunting a terrible reputation, because not only were these people only playing the fish. But they also were using automated tools to not give anyone else a chance to play the fish. Basically, if you didn't have these tools working, you weren't getting into the good games. So everyone came to hate bum hunters. Everyone came to despise them. Everyone wanted seeing something done. And and on a a secondary level, there was some concern that the fish were busting too quickly because bum hunters would jump on them. And that that was a bad look. And also the fish would get insulted when they'd bust and everyone would sit out or leave. Well... I don't really agree so much with that part, because the fish are always going to lose. It doesn't matter which people they're up against. If they're up against good or decent players at the table, and everyone's good or decent except them, it doesn't matter really who it is, the fish are going to lose. And they're going to lose quickly. So that's going to happen either way. As far as them getting insulted when everyone quits, like, okay, yes, but that's that's what happens. Like, you can't... uh I don't think you should be crafting policy around not pissing off the fish. You can have a gentleman's agreement among pros. They're going to keep playing each other for some time, hoping the fish rebuys. But to enforce it from a poker site level, I never liked. Anyway, that's the background on bum hunting. And some sites have started to take measures against bum hunting. But I think GG Poker is taking it way too far. And I mentioned this back in March. So it goes on to say, first... We would like to ensure that our intention is not to block your account or confiscate your funds. However, if you continue participating in bum hunting, we may take necessary action. In addition, the handling of violations will commence in accordance with our security and ecology agreement, which can be found at blah, blah, blah. We observe two key points for our bum hunting policy. First is the act of purposely targeting a user by observing and only participating when the preferred user joins. In general... Players are expected to be seated with the purpose of playing. It is acceptable to be seated and occasionally deny action in certain circumstances, such as being seated to help start a new ring game, but not being willing to play heads up. It is not acceptable to remain seated at a table, uh, especially an active one, waiting for one of only a few preferred opponents to arrive to play in. In other words, it is not acceptable to target specific players. Second is the act of purposely targeting a user by following the targeted user's activity. 
This is done by being on standby in the lobby until a preferred user enters the game, and subsequently following by entering as well. Furthermore, when the preferred user leaves the game, the user is once again followed by leaving the game afterwards. The actions of your play show that you did not follow these rules, violating the, the rules of GG Network, and as such, we must take strict measures. We have compiled a, compiled a small list of examples below, which va- validates our decision of the warning stated above. We would like to warn you to not engage in any bow hunting activity in the future. If we find that you are engaging in bow hunting again, the promotions rewards offer will be subject to certain restrictions in addition to getting penalized based on our regulations. Okay, so th- that was what he got, and this was back uh, sometime earlier in 2020, this stinky bluff guy. And he had $150,000 on a GG network site called Poker OK. At the time, they don't have it anymore, but at the time, there were skins feeding into GG Poker. Skins being sites that uh, appear to be different. They, they have a little bit of a different look, but it's all on the same network. You're playing all the same players. They just have a different name, and they're slightly different looking. It, it's really kind of like an affiliate marketing thing. It's been going on for many years. So GG Network used to do this. They don't do it anymore. But back in early 2020, they were. So there was one called Poker OK that this guy was playing on. And that's he got the message from GG Network Security. So the network security, not Poker OK, sent this to him. But he was playing on Poker OK. So he said, all right, I'm out of here. I'm not going to play under these circumstances anymore. And I'm afraid they're going to confiscate my money. So he hit the cash out button for all his 150K that he had on the site. Well, Stinky Bluff wasn't very smart. That part was smart, but the part that wasn't smart was that he went forward and redeposited 120k to GG Poker. So he signed up on GG Poker and uh, deposited 120k before receiving that 150 from Poker OK. Now keep in mind, this is not considered multi-accounting. It is multi-accounting, but it's not against the rules. On that network, you are allowed to have a different account on every skin. You're allowed to have multiple accounts on the network. As long as they're different skins. Now, again, they don't have different skins, but back then they did, and it was fine to do this. So the, the issue wasn't that he made an account on a second skin. In this case, the flagship site, GG Poker. The issue was this. He got an email, or he got a, a message a pop-up that said, Your account has been blocked to investigate a possible breach of our security and ecology agreement. We ask for your understanding during this time as the investigation may take more than the expected time due to its critical nature. So he's being told... Yeah, uh, we're, we're holding up your 120k deposit because you may have violated our agreement. And he's like, "What the hell? I I got a warning. I cashed out. What did I violate? Like I thought it was just a warning. So I just switched sites. And what, what the hell's happening here?" Then he also got a, a message that they were confiscating his 150k cash out. So they decided that he was in violation of everything, and that he was losing all 270k, the 120 he just put on, and hadn't even played with yet, and the 150k that he had uh, tried to cash out from Poker OK. So this is really, really obnoxious. I mean, he, he only got a warning if they were taking 270k, including 120k he just deposited and didn't use yet. Which, again, was fine to do. He wasn't banned from anywhere yet. I mean, he's claiming these things. Maybe the guy isn't telling the truth, but I, I assume this this is correct. So... This is a pretty big deal, right? Like You would have thought this would be a big scandal, but for some reason, even though he posted a 2 plus 2, nobody cared. He got some responses, but for the most part, nobody cared. And this really got no play anywhere except for on this site and on this radio show back in March. So, 
Anyway, that was the story of Stinky Bluff. I guess eventually he came to some terms with them and that they returned some of his money. He never gave a, a full account of what happened. He just said it's been resolved. And that was that. They must have said, we'll give you such and such back as long as you post it's resolved. So that that's what he did. And I, so I never heard exactly the way this ended, but that he didn't lose 270K. Maybe he lost something, but whatever it was, they came to some kind of terms. But forget Stinky Bluff himself at the moment. I mean, this shows you how egregious the behavior has been on GG Poker as far as the uh, the site is concerned with confiscating money. But let me tell you a few problems with this policy. On the surface, this policy seems okay. You may say, well, good. Let's get these predatory guys out of here. They only sit when fish sit. They leave as soon as the fish leave. They, uh, they will sometimes sit out at a table until a fish comes and then sit back in when the fish is there. Um, screw these guys. What are they doing for poker? They're just sucking money out of the poker ecology. Let's get rid of them. They suck. But let's think about this for a second. First of all, they're basically requiring that players don't game select. They're saying you can't wait for preferred players and only sit with them. Well, what does that really mean? That means that you have to play in games which are tough. It's saying that you can't game select anymore. It's saying that you can't just stick to the games where you look and go, oh, this guy's a fish, I want to play this game. Now you have to see a, you have to play a lot of games where you see a bunch of pros sitting and go, yeah, I'll play with these guys. Yeah, I may be the worst one at the table. I may be negative expectation, but yeah, I'll play. You have to do this. It's no longer your choice to do this. If you want to do this, great, but it is now required you do this. You don't have to play every single time you see a game full of pros running, but if you just stick to games where there's at least one fish, you will be banned. That's what they're saying, and that's really bad. Second, they're saying that sitting when only... that They're saying that uh, you could be accidentally bum hunting is the problem here. How, how can you accidentally bum hunt under this policy? Well, you could be only being willing to play if the table's near full. So maybe you don't like playing two-handed, three-handed, four-handed. So so let's say you say, I want to play the if only it seems like a lot of people are playing. And if only a lot of people are playing because it's a fish there. You, you could just be playing because you don't want to play heads up or, or three-handed, and you could be violating that policy because by doing that, you, you might be accidentally only sitting when fish are there. Now, I agree that most of the time people are sitting because they recognize a certain fish is there. But... Again, this is game selection. That is not really bump hunting. You may say, yes, it is. That's exactly the definition of bump hunting. And then I say, okay, let's think about this then. You are required to play games where there's no fish there. But what does fish mean? I'm serious. What does fish mean? What is a fish? You may say, well, that's a player who's not good. A player's a live one. Player's big-time negative expectation at the table. Okay, let's go with that. If you are the ninth best player in the world and sit with the top eight players in the world, who's the fish? You. If you are the ninth worst player in the world, which means you got to be really, 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 really terrible at poker, and you sit with the eight worst players in the world, you are the shark. You're the best player in the game. So you are the favorite in that game if you're the ninth worst player in the entire world if the other eight 
are sitting at the table with you, whereas you are the fish in the game if you are against the eight best players in the world and you're the ninth best in the world. Fish is subjective. It has to do with your skill compared to the skill of others at the table. That's entirely what it means. The fish is always the one who is the worst one, the live one, the one who is most likely to lose. Every game has a fish. Now, sometimes the game has a slight fish, so if you have a bunch of pros who have approximately the same skill, and one is slightly worse than the rest of them, then he's technically the fish, but there's not much value in the game. But you see where I'm going with this, that there's no way to actually define in policy terms what is a fish, what is a live one. And if you think about it, how could they put it? How, how could they say that certain people are fish and you have to sit with them? Or you have to not sit with them only? So what they're basically doing here is they're saying that uh, they're arbitrarily defining people who are losing as fish. Like, what about a guy who sits down is really good that just runs bad? If you sit with him, does this mean uh, you're sitting with a fish? Or what about a fish who really is bad at the game but is, is winning? Because he's running well. Is he considered a fish by their policy? I mean, this is where it's so subjective. So, unless they want to really, really define in concrete ways what a fish is and give people stats to be able to tell, so you can see, like if you could see on the site how much each person has lost or how many big blinds they've lost uh, per hundred hands they played, and then there's some rule that you can't sit with them only, that you have to sit with people who we, you have to sit for this many hours uh, in, in a game where nobody's lost more than this big blinds per hour. I mean, it, it, I don't understand how they'd even quantify it. You could, you could still have people who are really good that just are running bad that are sitting at the table that, uh, like, I, I played on Ignition today and I got my ass beat. I, I ran awful and the main guy who beat me sucked. And I, I'm not being one of these guys who's just arrogant and thinks I'm better than everybody. The guy who beat me for a lot of money was not good. And if I got to play him day after day after day, I would crush him. But uh, today, he crushed me. And I also didn't run very well against everybody else. But this guy was the main one who tortured me. So today, I was the fish in the game. I was definitely not the least skilled in the game. But as far as uh, losses in big blinds per 100 hands played, I, I was the fish. So you can't craft policy around sitting with fish. You can't. If you try you're going to have a lot of false positives where you end up banning people who don't deserve to be banned, and you're telling people they can't game select, which is a big problem. So that's what I said back in March. That's what I'm saying now. That is my belief. Now, do I feel that uh, this means we should just let bum hunters run run wild and uh, ruin online poker sites? No. I think that bum hunters do need to be dealt with to some extent. But you also have to tolerate them to some extent because it's just an impossible thing to fairly police. It's impossible to tell someone that they must play against good players because it's too subjective. And it's not really fair. So what should be targeted, and that's before, I'm going to say all this before I get into the GG Poker story of what's happening right now. What should be targeted are the really, really predatory behaviors. Seat scripting, no way. Don't allow it. I could see banning all automated tools. No HUDs, no seat scripters, no tools that help you play poker in any way. If they want to ban those from the GG network, I'm fully behind them. I always thought those tools are kind of unfair. I can see why people use them. 
but they are kind of unfair. That's the truth. I feel that people should play poker with only one tool, their mind. And uh, anything beyond that, anything beyond what they can observe on their own or note down, like I don't mind people putting notes on players on sites that have that or uh, even noting down themselves uh, certain names. Of, you know, For the sites that still have names, you want to note down on a piece of paper or the uh, Windows notepad who to look out for, fine. Like that's that's all totally fine. But anything that is an automated tool that scans your play, scans other people's play, uh, gives you stats on people, seat scripts, anything like that I think is, is not fair, not ethical. And I applaud any sites that crack down on that and that even ban players for doing it. They What these sites should do is make it very, very clear if you use any of that crap there and they catch you that they're going to ban you and confiscate your winnings and give it to everybody else who, who played against you. And if a site did that and if they were accurate in what they were doing, if they weren't uh, banning people with false positives, I would be fully behind that. So I'm not defending the bum-hunting crew who use all of these predatory tools to give themselves a, a very, very unfair edge. But that's where it should stop. They should not ban winning players. They should not ban, quote, bum hunters based upon who they sit with and when they sit and when they sit out. They can't do things like that. Let's try to find Trader Risky again. I want to get his opinion on this. Then we'll tell you about the current situation. Hey, drop. Trader Ruski, we got you back. Yeah, we should be good now. All right, very good. So uh, before I go on with what's happening at the moment, this, the thing I just covered was from March, but it's a very important piece of background material before we get to the present. So before we get to that, Trader Ruski, what's your feeling about the bum hunting and what should be done, if anything? It's hard. I mean, because then what are they going to do? Are they going to put like a little fish next to the people's names or is each person expected to do the research, you know? Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, like, how do you know? Right. And what if, what if right. someone sits down and just runs really bad? Like, I, I, I always like to tell my Patrick Antonius story. There was a guy on the Inner Poker Network in 2005 named Hai Huli who I thought sucked. I didn't think he was a fish, but uh, all I saw him do was lose. And to me, he was kind of like a, a bad regular. And uh, I was talking to Yuha Helpy, and he told me that this Hai Huli guy, who's from the same country as him, Finland, is really good. And I said, come on, all he, all he does is lose. I don't think that guy's good. He said, no, 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 he is. And I said, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't agree. I mean, I haven't played with him that much, but every time he plays, he loses, and I don't see anything impressive out of him. Well, it turned out that was Patrick Antonius. And that wasn't Patrick Antonius when he was a fish. That was Patrick Antonius when he was running bad consistently on that site. So he appeared to be not very good. So I didn't think Antonius was a fish, but I thought he was actually negative expectation in that game, which he was not. So this can happen where someone's losing and they can appear to be a fish or someone could be winning and they can be, appear to be much better than they actually are just because they're running well or just because they, they make a move which uh, appears to be smart, but it turned out was just lucky. Like, like someone... Uh, makes a great bluff to knock you off a hand, and it turns out that they're, they just bluff all the time. They happen to make a, a move that time that worked, but they make a lot of really stupid bluffs, and that one just happened to 
to fall into something that was good, but they didn't even know why it was good. They happened to make a like accidentally make a good bluff. So there's there's all that kind of subjective stuff in poker about what makes a good player and bad player, and you can't craft policy around that, and that's a big problem I had with it. And uh, you know you can say oh well so if you can just base it on players' behavior if they're always sitting with certain people and only with those certain people and if every single one of those people really is a losing player then obviously it's a bump hunter and ban them. But again, what's wrong with game selection? What you're doing is you're telling people you must play with people who are better than you. And that's not fair to tell people. So I think Trader Ruski and I are pretty much on the same page here. But let me tell you what happened currently with GG Poker. Let's get past the stinky bluff thing from March. Let's talk about what's happening presently. So presently, this was, on, I think, on August 10th, a German poster known as Duddy7, D-U-D-D-I-7, whose real ni- name is Tobias Deathweiler, he showed up on 2 Plus 2 and posted the following accusation of a GG poker. My name is Tobias, a.k.a. Duddy1 on PokerStars, Money Bye Bye on America's Card Room, and Ben ABC on GG Poker, which you'll find out as this goes on. He actually had four different names on GG Poker, but none of them were against the rules. I want to share a recent experience that I had with GG Poker. I'm a high-stakes player from Germany, currently living in Austria, and have been around the mid- and high-stakes scene for quite some time now. I've played pretty much on all the sites out there for years now, and until now I've never had any problems with any of them. And that's all true, by the way. Recently, GG Poker decided to confiscate my site balance. I think the confiscation is entirely disproportionate on their end, and I've decided to make a post in order to get a public and fair opinion on the case and make everyone, especially other high-stakes regulars, aware of what can happen to your balance in GG Poker. The total amount of my balance there is around $180,000. So what happened? We have to go back in time to put the, the puzzle pieces all together. In 2016, I deposited a, a small amount on Natural 8, which is another poker site, and played No Limit Hold'em on there for about a week or two. I won about three to $5,000 for the first couple days. I can't, I can't check the exact time frame or amount won anymore since they deleted my account. It's been four years, but somewhere around these numbers. After the first sessions, with no warning, Natural 8 told me to, to take my money and not play on their network anymore. Now, what he's saying is not that they took his money, that they basically said, take your money off the site, we'll let you withdraw it and leave, but do not play another hand here. These days, GG Poker gives a warning to players before banning them. Uh, they said that if I came back to play there, they would be they would proceed with their, quote, security protocol, whatever that meant. I asked, but they wouldn't give me a clear statement on either what they meant by that or what I'd done wrong. Okay, so he wasn't entirely clear there, but it, it's pretty simple. In 2016, Natural 8 just said, you're not welcome here, get out. He said, what did I do wrong? We, we're not telling you, get out. We just You did something against our terms of service. Take your money and go, which he did. He took his money off. They did not confiscate his money, but uh, he was banned, and he acknowledged that he understood that he was banned from Natural 8. Now, what does this have to do with GG Poker? Natural 8 was a skin in 2016 of GG Poker. So it's the same network. It's part of the GG network. Back in 2016, GG Poker was pretty small. It is not small anymore. 2016, it was small. So he writes, fast forward to the year 2019. GG Poker had grown to be one of the bigger networks around, so I decided to give it a shot. I didn't know that 2016 Natural 8 and 2019 GG Poker were the same network, nor did I even really remember that the 2016 incident at that point three years later, I had forgotten all about it. Now, 
that's BS. Okay, I can't say for sure. I'm not in the guy's head, but very likely to be BS. Let's let's uh, break this down. Number one, this guy is a very experienced online pro who does this for a living. Uh, he has friends in the German online pro community, and they do this for a living. He knows every site he joins, what network it's on, how it works. He remembers where he's been banned. He talks about this with all his friends. You know the Germans online. They're, they're notorious. I mean, there's, there's no chance he wasn't aware of this. This is, this is playing dumb, and I don't buy any of it. I, I buy the rest of the story. I don't buy the part that he didn't know what he was doing. What happened here is that uh, he got banned from Natural 8, and he figured, okay, it's been three years. GG Poker's much bigger now. Maybe they won't notice. Maybe they, they won't even know that Natural 8 banned me. Natural 8's a small skin, and maybe they don't share their records. I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. If GG Poker lets me on, then uh, it's all good. If they don't and tell me I can't play, then whatever. It's kind of a free roll for me. So I, a, as a pro in 2019, I, I can't not play on GG Poker because it's... Uh, the games are good there, and it's a big site now. So I, I, I got to take a shot at it. That had to be what he was thinking, not, uh, oh, look, a new site, GG Poker. Wow, I've never been here before. Uh, also, I've never played on GG, but people are saying that the software is pretty unique and that uh, he would notice the similarity in- instantly. So there's no chance a really experienced guy like this didn't know. He just is saying that because you can't prove he did know, and if he doesn't, if he admits that he knew, this makes him look a lot worse. So... This part of the story, I don't believe for a second. Anyway, going on. He writes, In 2019, I created an account on GG Poker called, uh, uh, on a skin, another skin called Best Poker, under the nickname The Violence. At this point, I'm wondering, if I was joining a network from which I'd been banned, why was I able to not only create but fully verify an account using the exact same personal data I had previously used? Now, I don't know what he means by this point. I don't know if he means right now or 2019, but yeah, he's basically trying to say that... Uh, he played on best poker fine, and they they didn't ban him. So I, play- I, think he's, I think he's saying that if his email address was like a banned account, he wouldn't have been able. To yeah, I don't. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, actually, we'll, we'll get to that regarding what, whether stuff was the same. I think his email address was different. So he says I I played uh, mid stakes no limit on best poker for, uh, 2019. During that time, I was rank, raking an insane amount and was losing about 85k. At some point, Best Poker decided to remove the high-stakes table, so I was forced to change skins. So he just he lost 85K despite uh, very heavy play in 2019. He just didn't run well. So uh, then Best Poker said, you know what? Uh, we don't really want the, the high-stakes tables. I guess he was playing higher stakes. He was playing the 5,000 to 40,000 buy-in, so I guess, I guess that was high stakes. So uh, they removed the tables he wanted to play, so he had to quit that skin. So he moved over at the beginning of 2020 to BetKings, created the account El Bernardo using the same data, same personal data, that is, and played there for maybe half a month before all the skins from the network fused to one skin, GG Poker. At the time, I was still losing on that account. So he was now playing on BetKings because Best Poker did away with their high-stakes tables. That's also a GG Poker skin, and he's losing there as well. When the fuse happened, meaning that everything was converted to just be GG Poker and all these other skins, uh, they no longer existed. I changed my affiliate and from then played as Ben ABC on GG Poker itself. 
So uh, for some reason, I don't know, he changed, probably to get a better rate back deal, whatever, he, he dropped that account, El Bernardo, that he had on BetKings and just said, I'm going to play on their fra- flagship site, which they're all feeding into GG now and are called GG. So might as well just go to the main ggpoker.com and make a new account and get a better rake back deal. I think that's probably what happened. Again, all this is fine. This is not what any of this is about. GG Poker does not have rules against this, nor was he banned for this reason. So even though he's at four accounts and it looks bad, uh, th- this is fine. At this point, I'd like to mention that all former accounts got deleted uh, uh, after the fuse. I got my real GG, uh, b- before I got my real GG account. All this was in agreement with both my affiliate and a representative from GG Poker. Again, this is all within the rules, which is true. At this point, things start to get interesting. Again, I was able to fully verify my account and had no problems depositing a big sum, $50,000. I played for a while in the account, still losing, until around the weekend of May 29th. At this point, I paid tens of thousands of dollars worth of rake, and I'm still stuck big time on the site. Stuck meaning he's way down. Finally, around the end of May, I spun up my roll of 30 k so he was down 20 k He put in 50 lost 20 and then he started running it up, to 180 k within a period of about one and a half weeks. So he was now up 130K on GG Poker. Not including what he lost before, but on, on the GG Poker itself, on this Ben ABC account, he was up 130K. Then GG forced their high stakes players to change to their real name instead of a nickname. So I was doing the verification yet again. By the way, Party Poker had started that process where there, there started to be a revolution in online poker that uh, screen names aren't good, that you should know who you're playing with. So... uh they, uh, GG Poker decided to force all the high-stakes players to play under the real names, and then you had to verify who you are and all that crap, so he had to do a, a re-verification. He said, so, so I was doing the verification yet again when my account suddenly got locked. I had no idea what was going on until a few days later when I got an email telling me that my funds had been confiscated and because I was not allowed to play on GG Poker in the first place. Oh, my. So all this time he plays and loses and nothing happens. And then after he wins 130K, they say, ah, you know what? You're not welcome here. Get out. So if I wasn't allowed to play on GG Poker, how is it possible that I was able to play there for over a year? Don't they check the accounts being created on their network? Have they just been waiting until I finally had enough money in my account to make it worthwhile for them to keep? If I would have kept losing, would I still be able to play on GG Poker? There's a lot of questions that I suspect I know the answers to. I'm currently texting back and forth with the security team from GG Poker trying to understand what is happening and why I was able to pump so much money into their system for one and a half years, even though I was supposedly banned. After some back and forth, they finally said they'd allow me to take my deposit back, that is the 50K, but would not pay out what I'd won. Again, the money I'd won was 100% fairly. I never hid my identity. There was, no, there was nothing to cause an unfair advantage over anybody. Most of the other high-stakes players were aware of who I was since I play across all sites, and it's not very hard to find out who I am. Now, that, that part's all true. He wasn't faking his identity. He was playing under his real name, and, uh, and he, by having four different accounts, that was not against the terms of service. So why does GG offer to give me back the deposit but not my winnings? By giving back the deposit, they've essentially admitted that I didn't win in an unfair way. Apparently, they've just, just decided to take a cheap shot at my money. That's kind of a good point. Like, either the guy's a cheater and you should take everything, or you should give him everything, and if you want him to be banned at that point, fine. But this weird middle ground is kind of like saying, yeah, you know, you didn't really do anything bad, but uh, 
we're taking well, them and, anyway. Well, and they should not be getting the money. Of course they're going to rule that way. Well, no, they, mean, they don't. It should be like the other high-stakes players or him. Well, it is going to go the it, it is going to go the other high-stakes players supposedly, but that's that's oh, further no, into this. That's, that's further into this. But that's, that's another question though because it's not verified it has gone anywhere. In my opinion, it's easy to see why they I think the confiscation of such a large sum is disproportionate, especially after losing a lot of my own money to GG players into the system, but I, I'm obviously biased because for me personally there's a huge sum on the line. So I decided to talk to other high-stakes players that I know well and ask them about their opinion. The responses I got were all in agreement with me. It seems very obvious that I got free-rolled here and that it's a scam by GG Poker from an ethical point of view. Okay, I don't agree with that part. It's very, very possible this was just incompetence. And he'll, he'll touch on this afterwards, but I don't think it's very obvious they were free-rolling him. There's, there's uh, GG eventually released a statement, which I'm going to re- read to you, which I believe... So I really do believe this is incompetent, just to let you guys know some foreshadowing of the remainder of the topic. It would be much better, much different if they told me in 2019, after a day or maybe a few days, that I wasn't allowed to play and that they'd have to return my deposit. But letting me play for an extended time, like 1.5 years, while losing and then not paying me when I'm winning fairly makes me wonder about two things. Either GG Poker didn't realize I was banned for this entire period of time, and thus their security system is the worst on the market, or I just got free rolls for 18 months... Good to them for only as long as I kept putting money into this highly questionable system. Please feel free to decide which one you think is more likely. All in all, I just feel very sad about the decision GG Poker has made here. I think the decision is far too harsh, especially when I think the fault was mostly with their security team. I don't know if they're technically within their rights, what they're doing to me, but I think that after free-rolling me all this time, it should only take a little bit of ethical consideration on their part to come to a more sympathetic decision. Now you may think here, well, Duddy1 is just stupid for not knowing he's not allowed to play on the site. That's one way to think about it, and that's okay. But the current high-stakes climate, especially with all the new modern troubles out there, I think I am and have always striven to be a fair player. I don't know. I don't think striven is a word. <laughs> I see what he's trying to say, and I know he's German, but I think it's strived to be. I've never heard of striven or striven. I don't know. what. I don't think that's a real word. A very fair player. I would never try to get any unfair advantage over anybody else, and I'm sure there are a lot of well-known and respected players throughout the poker community that would be happy to vouch for my integrity if it comes to that. I don't know if the situation will ever be resolved to my satisfaction, but I wanted to post this in order to at least raise awareness and to remind all of you to keep an eye out for the things out there that can happen to you and your money. I hope nobody else has to go through what I'm going through right now. If this post will help prevent some of you out there from having trouble like this, I consider it time well spent. Kind regards to bias. All right, so this created a big shitstorm. A lot bigger than Stinky Bluff. Like, exponentially bigger than Stinky Bluff and nobody cared about. It. By the way, Stinky Bluff got screwed way worse than this guy. This guy, at least you can see, he did something knowingly that was against their terms, and that was playing after he was booted from the network. So that's that's why there's controversy about this. If Stinky Bluff's thing blew up, unless the guy was hiding something, that one really was very indicative that GG Poker is just crappy. That they they will confiscate money very very quickly, and they they did say that they were distributing this to other high stakes players, so they're not keeping it supposedly. But nobody yet has reported they've gotten the money. Now maybe they haven't distributed it yet because this is ongoing. This just happened on August tenth, but uh, I assume they will, especially with all the spotlight on it. But they they did confiscate this guy's money and the Stinky Bluffs money back in March for a much worse reason. But there was a lot of debate back and forth of whether this should have been done. So let's talk about uh, 
the issues raised on each side, because there are some points raised by those who are on GG Poker's side, and there are some points raised by those on his side. The points raised on GG Poker's side were that, number one, it's highly unlikely that an experienced pro like Tobias didn't know that Natural 8 and GG Poker were on the same network, that he's lying about that. And I agree. Point number two raised by those on GG Poker's side, that he knowingly circumvented a long-standing ban from the network. Remember, he's been banned since 2016. And he knew the risks when he attempted to do so. They kind of believe that uh, he knew that he was banned from the network all this time. That's why he wasn't playing on the network from 2016 to 19. And then when GG Poker blew up in 2019, he's like, ah, oh, I really don't want to stay off there. You know, maybe they won't catch. It's been four years. It was on a small skin. Let's give it a shot. And then he signed up on a different skin and got away with it. So that he knowingly circumvented what he knew was a longstanding ban. Point number three, Tobias has a reputation for being an unrepentant German bum hunter and is seen by some as exactly the type of player who ruined online poker and caused sites like GG to create these draconian policies in the first place. That he's supposedly one of these seed scripters. He's, he's one of these guys who, even though he doesn't cheat anybody, that part's true. Like He hasn't been involved in any kind of cheating scandals or, or scandals of ripping people off or scamming. None of that, but uh, he does have a reputation for being a very aggressive bum hunter. One of these awful German bum hunters that you hate. And they say that it's hard to have sympathy for a guy like that, especially in a spot where he's returning to a site which banned him exactly for this practice. And point number four, it turned out that there were slight differences in his name that he signed up for on these different sites. So that's proof, these people claim, that he knew he was trying to circumvent being detected by the automated software while maintaining plausible deniability. He may have also used different email addresses. So he wasn't signing up with the exact same details. He was, he was signing up with, with close enough details. Um, so here's an example of how, I don't know if this is what he did, I'm just making this up, but instead of being uh, Tobias Duttweiler, he could be uh, Toby Duttweiler. Well, that's still him, but it's slightly different. Or he could, but uh, like... Let's say you live on uh, 123 Main Street. You just put 123 Main as your address. Let's say you, uh, of course, this is in Germany, but I'm using examples like from Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, there's a lot of cities which aren't really cities that are part of Los Angeles, like Woodland Hills. So instead of putting the city of of Woodland Hills, you put you're in Los Angeles. Like you, You can do things like that which are technically correct but are different than the previous info you put. Right, but or was he like adding different letters... Yeah, he could put an extra I in the... Like, yeah. Like on purpose. Right, right. right. Or, I mean... Well, but all of that's the same put, thing. Like if you put Dave versus David, sometimes I might forget what I did. You know, but if I did, like, IE or something, I would think that would be shady. Yeah, well, I think it's I think it's a good chance he really did that. And, and I... In fact, I've done this before, not with poker sites, but, like, like one time I wanted to go to a concert, and they were with, uh, with uh, me, my girlfriend, two friends... And uh, and unfortunately, they were only letting each person buy two tickets, and it was it was hard to get tickets for it. So, like here, I had an, I, like I I was able to get through to buy the tickets online, but they were only letting me get two. So what I did was I, I bought uh, uh, one under Todd Watellis, and I bought uh, the other pair under like uh, Tod Watellis, <laughs> and they, they they sent to both using two different credit cards. So, uh, like, I've done this before. I knew, I knew what I was doing. I knew there was some chance they'd catch me and, uh, re, you know, not process both orders. They did. I got all four tickets and, and we went. But, uh, you know, so I've done this before. 
not not from a gambling perspective, but this is – I think it's likely that he did that on purpose. I think he, he knew the whole way what he was doing. He's a very experienced player. He was very aware of what he was doing. Okay, so I don't buy this innocent act. I don't buy the I didn't know act. If he didn't know, why wasn't he playing for three years? Why, why between 16 and 19 wasn't he trying any of the other skins? Why, why did he suddenly have the idea to play on GG Network in 2019 after being banned from, from Natural 8 in 2016? I think the answer is that it was, it was a relatively small network before that, so he was willing to stay off there. Once it got big and he saw the games were good, it was too tempting. So uh, I can't say this for sure, but if, if someone asked me what do you think is most likely, I would say by far it is most likely that he knew he was, what he was doing and that he knew he was circumventing a ban. So, right, but Druff, he did say, or I thought you read that he spoke to his affiliate and a representative from GG, no? No, no, no. That was just about multi-accounting. That was just about uh, can I make? Is it allowed to make four different accounts on four different skins? Yeah, one per skin. And the answer was yes. And that's true. That that is allowed. But uh, right. And then he got banned after he had that. He got banned when they forced him to change to his real name, and they were doing, I guess, better security checks at that point on who each person is. And then they found that he was banned from Natural Eight four years ago. So we'll, we'll get into the security part of it. Well, right, but see, I think that piece is just because he cashed out. They probably do due diligence on people they cash out. No, no, he hadn't cashed out yet. Cash no, he hadn't cashed out. They, he, he, no, they were just forced changing everybody's name to their full name and verifying them exactly. if, if they want to play high stakes. So anyway, so th- those are the points against him. But here's the points on his side, which are also valid. Uh, number one. He played on his entire on his own name the entire time. I, I don't know if there's like some slight morphing, but he, it wasn't uh, it wasn't like he was playing under his sister's name or his mom's name or his dad's name or his friend's name. He was playing as himself, and nobody stopped him for 18 months while he was losing. So either security was incompetent in seeing that it was him, or or they knowingly free rolled him. Number two, even if it's supposedly obvious in some cases. Players should not be required to keep track of the ever-changing network affiliation of the myriad of sites out there. So since he was banned four years ago on Natural 8, and they never banned him from anything else, uh, uh, at, the, at the very least, they should give him the benefit of the doubt and return his money. Point number three, the entire thing is basically a war on winning players. If they're going to run WSOP bracelet events, then they shouldn't be banning people for being winning players and being unwilling to play high stakes and bad games. And number four, while a ban would be okay, confiscating his winnings in such a situation is horrible because there's too many gray areas in the situation. So the worst thing they should have done is let him cash out, ban him for good, and say, if you come back one more time to any of our network, then uh, we're taking your money. But this time we're giving you your money, but get out, never come back, and the second you deposit it, we're taking it next time. There, people are saying that's the worst they should have done. So how do I feel? Well, as you might guess from my commentary here, I'm somewhere in the middle, but I'm closer to his side. So here's my feelings. Number one, as I've mentioned a few times, but it's important to mention again, the chance that he did not know it was the same network, the chance that he didn't know that he was actually banned before he was starting to play is... Zero point zero. I mean, it really is. You have to know these German online pros to be able to make that statement with as much confidence as I am. But trust me, he knew, okay? These guys are very, very aware of every little detail. There's no way he didn't know this, okay? So that's a lie. That's just a lie. Number two, there is no justification to take his money here, despite that, because his story does have plausible deniability. 
I don't personally believe it, but you can't see what was in his head. And confiscation of funds is something that really should only take place when provably bad actions have taken place. You can't just do it for the slightest terms violation. And I hate what I call the terms of service Nazis. There are people out there who believe if it's in the terms of service, then that's what must happen. If you've agreed, you've agreed. So if you've agreed to a terms of service that if you violate it, they can come to your house and kill your firstborn son, then okay, you better present your firstborn son for them to shoot in the head. Like uh, There's some people who may not believe it to that extent, but that's the general belief they have about terms of service, that the terms of service trumps everything else. And it, it doesn't, okay? Um, t- terms of service don't mean everything. First of all, they, they don't override the law. Second, they don't override ethics and morality and common sense. And a company can act unethically while still keeping to their terms of service. Uh, I, I have an example of this. Nothing to do with poker. But, but uh, about 15 years ago, I bought a new expensive phone from T-Mobile, who I'll never use again for this reason. And uh, you had... Uh, a month to uh, you basically had a month to return it. On day thirty-two, my phone broke through no fault of my own. It malfunctioned. I could prove it malfunctioned. I could prove it because it wasn't totally broken. It just was malfunctioning electronically. So I could I could prove that it wasn't anything I did, and they didn't accuse me of doing anything to it. They admitted it was a malfunction. So I said, "Okay, replace my phone," and they said, "Okay, we'll replace it under warranty with a refurbished phone." Refurbished phones are crap. They're, they're terrible. They have all kinds of problems. I won't get into why, but they do. And I knew that. I said, I want a refurbished phone. I paid a lot of money for a new phone a month ago. They said, we know. You're getting a refurbished phone. You agree to that in our terms of service. You have 30 days. This is on day 32. You're getting a refurbished phone. And I tried and tried to reason with them that I bought a new phone from you guys for a lot of money. It's only 32 days in. It failed through no fault of my own. Please replace it. I'm not calling on month 11 here. I'm calling after one month and two days. They wouldn't do it. In fact, they treated me like I was an asshole for even asking. So they were keeping to their terms of service. What they were doing was legal. They could get away with it, but it was an asshole thing for them to do. It was unethical. And uh, now, if their refurbished phones were, were not complete crap then maybe it'd be okay. But sure enough, they were crap. I, got, I actually went through four different refurbished phones because everyone they sent me had a major problem. Okay? So what I was suspecting was absolutely true. So I, I, I paid all that money for a new phone. It breaks after 32 days. And they, uh, the, the, the quote warranty gives me a refurbished phone, which is crap. So that's unethical. It really was. There's a lot of different ways that there can be unethical things in a terms of service. So you can't just say the terms say this so they can do it. No. Forget what the terms say. We're trying to determine right and wrong, not what the terms say. And I don't feel that a confiscation is warranted here. Confiscation really take place when something really bad has happened. Collusion. Botting. Uh, depositing with stolen credit cards. Things like that. That's, that's where you take everyone's, you take someone's money. Or someone who comes back after it being very, very clear to them, and they've acknowledged it's very clear to them that they can't. So if, like, let's say they had kicked him off and he agreed, that they agreed to give him his money, but said you can never come back or we're gonna take your money. Do you understand? Yes. Okay. Here's your money. Goodbye. And then a month later he deposits, uh, uh under his mom's name and they catch him. Yeah, take his money. 
Okay, there, there I understand. There, at that point, it's totally on him. But here there's some gray area. Whenever there's some gray area, you don't confiscate. When there's some gray area, you boot the person from the site, give them their money, say goodbye, you ever come back, we're taking it, this is your last chance. This is your last chance to get your money off, but don't ever come back here. So you, you can't say that uh, he had to know. You can say it out loud like I am, but you can't say this in policy. You can't say, we know in your head that you knew, so we're taking your money. That You can't craft policy around that. Number three, I agree that he should be banned, actually. I agree he should be banned. Now, I don't agree with the reasoning for why they're banning people. I don't like the draconian rules they have in place regarding the behavior of winning players must adhere to, and... Uh, I, I don't like what they did to Stinky Bluff. I, they really have a war of winning pl- against winning players. There, they've actually said when they've marketed the site that this site is not for pros. This site is for recreational players. Pros are really not welcome here. They've said that. So it's it's not like that. They, this is not a war on winning players. It is this attack against bum hunters is really an attack against winning players. They don't want winning players. Winning players take money from the site. The ideal thing for a poker site is that everybody spins their money around and around and around and around. Nobody withdraws and everyone just gets raked to death. They do not want someone winning money and withdrawing it because that takes money away from the ecology of the site. And this is where online poker and live poker differ. I've mentioned this before. A lot of people don't think of it this way. You think, oh, it's just the same thing. It's just one's over a computer and one's uh, live. No, there's a very big difference in how the operators make money. Okay, When you go play live, you're not maintaining a balance there. You go in, you buy in with real money, you play, and then you cash out. So you walk out with the money you've won, or the money you've lost stays uh, either with the casino or with the other players, usually both, because you've lost them to the rake and you've lost them to other players. But there's no balance. You don't walk out with a higher balance. You walk out with more money in your pocket if you've won. So for that reason, the money the casino collects every day is directly from the rake. So basically the money they're they're keeping is money you bought in with that they've raked that you should be able to cash out, but instead they're raking it, which is fine. That's the, that's the way the business works. I'm not criticizing rake. I'm saying that uh, they immediately get the rake and they don't have to worry about winning players or losing players as much because they're immediately keeping it. Now, online poker is different. Because online poker, you're giving them the money right up front. They have your money up front. They have everybody's money up front. So the only way they don't keep that money is if you cash out. When you cash out, they have to give you money. If nobody cashes out, then they've had the money the whole way. And that's where it's very different because in live poker rooms, they can't expect to keep the money the whole way because they know it's going to get cashed out by somebody. They know if a game runs for 10 hours and then it breaks, that at the end of the 10 hours... All the money that was bought into the game is back in the pockets of the players except what was raked. That is not true in online poker. In online poker, usually 100% of the money that was deposited is still on the site. It's only when people have accumulated enough to where they feel comfortable cashing out that they cash out. So that's very different. It's very different. And in fact, some poker sites don't like the fact that they don't have a flow of money constantly coming in. So like... Raking doesn't mean as much if they don't don't get deposits. The only way these sites make money is by getting deposits, which, again, is different than live poker. So if everybody deposits on January 1st and they just play, 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 play and get raked, 
but they don't deposit further, that's actually a problem. If nobody deposits further, that's a big problem for the poker site because they are not getting a constant income stream. They're getting zero income if nobody is depositing further. So yes, they both make money from the rake, but one, they get it all up front, and then the cash out subtract from it. The other one, they're directly, in the live situation, they're directly getting the rake. This matters because there's a huge incentive for online poker sites to get rid of those who cash out. The ideal situation would be everyone being of approximately the same skill level to where there aren't that many cash outs because the money's just trading back and forth, trading back and forth until it all gets raked away. And then people redeposit and they, they basically never have to pay out. Once in a while, yes, but they, they rarely have to pay out. With winning pros, they're constantly having to send money. They're having to send back the money they collected. So online poker sites hate winning players. They shouldn't, but you see why they do. From a business standpoint, you see why they do. It's not good that they do, but they do. So this is their way to get rid of them, and the bum hunting thing is an excuse. And a lot of times, policy is made, not just in poker, in life, and sometimes laws are crafted, where on the surface they appear to be about one thing, but in reality they are about something else. There's a lot of tricks played in politics that way, where something innocent-seeming or sensible is passed as law, and you go, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then you realize it has a sinister motive behind it, or a semi-sinister motive behind it. Um, A a very simple example of that would be speed traps in small towns you pass through on the highway. You've been on like a U.S. highway which goes through a small town and all of a sudden you have to slow down from 65 to 25, and then they have cops sitting there 24-7 that if you go even like 28 instead of 25, they get behind you and pull you over? Why do you think they do that? You think they do that because it's to keep the streets safe so you don't zoom down Main Street and hit little children? You think that's the concern? Or you think it's for revenue? So how do you think this is sold to the people of the city? When you know, The people who live there have to drive 25 down Main Street, which sucks. So, But how do you think it's sold to them? We're doing this for revenue, to smack people who are driving through the area for money? Or do you think they're saying we're doing this to keep everybody safe because we know people who drive down the highway are very fast and reckless, and and this is the way to punish those people? That's the way it's sold. It's it's sold as a safety measure when in reality it's a revenue measure. It's a total revenue measure in towns like that. Like when I drive to Mammoth, I, I go through several of those. Anyone who's driven from L.A. to Mammoth knows that very well. So uh, a lot of times policy has a more sinister motive. And th- this is one of them on GG Poker. They're trying to get rid of winning players. And the bum hunting is – they're not trying to help the poker ecology. They're trying to keep more money. They're trying to cash out fewer people. That's what they're doing. But with all that said, if somebody is banned – and they sneak back on, and they say, oh, I didn't know. Oh, I thought it was banned from Natural 8. Oh, I didn't realize it's GG Poker. You can go, okay, look, you're full of crap. We can't prove you're full of crap, so fine, take your money. But get out and never come back, and if you do come back, we're really taking your money this time. That's fine. That's like So, so by the way they're operating now, 
if they want to ban him, I, I can agree with that. I can agree that he was circumventing it. I can agree that they can tell him, get out and don't come back. And if you do, we're taking your money. But I don't think they should take his money now. Because it was four years ago on a different skin. Number four, and this is something that shouldn't be overlooked here, and some people are talking about. The World Series of Poker should not be partnering with a company like this. The World Series of Poker does not ban pros for any reason besides cheating or circumventing location requirements. I'm talking about WSB.com, not the series itself that you play live. So WSB.com doesn't have bomb hunting rules. They can't. I, I don't think they can have them. But even if they can by state law, they don't. So WSB.com, just, they let you play as long as you are not uh, cheating or, or circumventing location requirements or uh, using HUDs, which, again, I think is fine to ban. It's fine to say you can't use outside programs. As long as you don't do those things, then you can play on there. So GG Poker, which is holding World Series of Poker bracelet events, has a very, very different rule about this. And that's not good. This isn't just a small rule difference. This is basically a war on winning players, which WSOP.com does not have. But it goes further than that. Now, GG Poker, of course, can conduct their business how they want. But the WSOP should not be partnering with a company that's so hostile against poker pros. Because this is literally the opposite of the WSOP brand. Now, how has the WSOP promoted themselves for years? What's the big deal with the WSOP? The big deal with the WSOP is that you get to watch the best players in the world all descend upon Las Vegas and play against each other to win bracelets, which is like the championship trophy of a lot of different types of events. And that's what fascinates people of, you know, who's winning the bracelet now? How many bracelets does this pro have? How many is Helmuth won? How many is Negreanu won? How many is Ivy won? Like, like you watch these, these up and coming young guys, how many are they winning? Like, this is what's exciting for people, not just when, when some anonymous guy that you've never heard of before wins, uh, gets lucky and wins a bracelet. I mean, sometimes it's, it's an interesting story if it's someone who's unusual, like someone who's, who's very old. But uh, usually it's interesting when a known pro wins bracelets, and the WSOP loves the known pros. In fact, I've complained that they give too much favoritism to them, which they do. So the WSOP is constantly marketing how popular they are with the known pros. They encourage you to want to emulate the known pros and try to aspire to be like them and aspire to be as successful as them and take your shot against them and beat them. The whole marketing of the World Series of Poker is that this is where all the pros get to to get together and compete for seven weeks in various forms of poker and compete for these bracelets. And it's, it's kind of the equivalent of why you want to watch the NBA or Major League Baseball or the NFL. It's something that you're watching the best in the world compete. And unlike the NBA and the NFL and Major League Baseball, you can actually go compete against them if you like. Even if you know you're not as good as they are, you can hope to get lucky and compete against them. Or maybe just get the thrill that you get to play with them. So that's the way WSOP has promoted themselves very successfully for the entire time that Caesars has owned them. And that's fine. I think that's a good... Method of promotion. You see, it works. I'm not going to say that they're bad at promoting. They're great at promoting. Okay, I could I could not do a better job promoting WSOP than they have. I will say from the promotional standpoint, they've done a tremendous job. I've been very impressed with it. Their numbers kept going up year after year, even as poker was declining. 
but they are promoting themselves in a way which elevates the pros and where you look up to winning players and admire them. And GG Poker is hostile towards winning players, and they want a site full of mostly recreational players. Now, if that's GG's model, fine. Let them have their model. But they should not be partnered with the World Series. They should not be running World Series of Poker Bracelet events and then finding excuses to ban winning pros. And you may say, well, but they're only banning the bomb hunters. Yeah, good luck with that. Good luck at saying that they're only banning the bomb hunters. Until one day someone you know and like gets banned there for being, quote, a bum hunter uh, for a really, really flimsy reason. This is a war on winning players. They're not banning every single winning player, but they're finding a lot of ways to get rid of a lot of them. And that's bad. And it's, it's also much worse to confiscate their money than to just ban them. And it's looking like now, between the stinky bluff thing and this one, that they're finding excuses to also confiscate their money. And you know, there's a big reason they're doing it. And it's not because they wanted to steal 100000 from this guy. Because I believe that they either have returned or will return that money. So I, I don't think there's a sinister motive in waiting until he runs the money up and taking it. I think what happened was that they happened to notice this when he was doing the re-verification because they're changing everyone's names. But... What they're trying to do is send a message. Because they know this guy has a lot of friends in the high-stakes community. They know most of these high, most of these winning pros online have winning pro friends who play online. And once the word gets around that if you win there, that not only are they going to ban you, but they're going to find excuses to take your money, you're going to go, you know what? I don't want to take the chance. It's a negative free roll. I don't want to play there because if I win, they're going to find an excuse to, to confiscate it. And if I lose, then they're just going to keep it. So fuck it, I'm not going to play there. I don't care how the good games, how good the games are, I'm not going to play because it's not worth the risk. When word gets around that this is what they're doing to pros, that they're banning people for flimsy reasons and taking their money, then it starts to scare away other pros from even trying it in the first place. When I say trying it, I mean trying the site. That's the goal. The goal is to scare away the pros. So if you support this, you're supporting pushing pros off the site. Not just the worst of the worst bum hunters. I mean all winning pros. They're attempting to find ways to push them off the site. So you have to consider that if you are on GG Poker's side here. I can understand at first being on their side going, look, the guy knew what he was doing. He knew he was banned. He's full of crap. He snuck on there. He got caught. He knew the risks. He lost his money. He should be happy they gave him his original deposit back and F him. Which, by the way, he he didn't get his whole deposit back because he lost money before that. So that's that's my feeling on the matter. Trader Ruski, how do you feel? Uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, it's hard. I I think he clearly had communication, but at the end of the day, he didn't do anything wrong. The players weren't complaining that they stole from him, so he should give them the money back and just ban them. I think. Yeah, that's what I think too. So Fedora Hulse, who's a he's a pro on there, a sponsored pro on GG Poker. Young guy. Remember, he was uh, all the rage a few years ago because he was just crushing the tournament scene. Very talented German player. Which side do you think he took? Because remember, he's one of the young German hotshots, but he also is a GG Poker pro. Well, he did his best Daniel Negreanu shilling impression. Negreanu, of course, is the main face of this site. But uh, Fedor Holtz, 
tweeted the following the next day on August 11th. I wanted to address the Duddy One case on GG Poker that he posted about on 2 Plus 2 to share the perspective I've gained from talking to the management and looking into the case. From everything I've seen so far, the integrity and quality of security of GG has been up to very high standards. Okay, well, that's not true. Obviously, it wasn't if, they, if he was able to play for 18 months there. Uh, so it says, Dud, Dud1 has been banned initially 2016 from Natural 8 with a warning to not attempt to play a GG network again. GG's standard procedure after this initial warning is to confiscate funds to disincentivize banned players to return. Otherwise, there would be no effect. Okay, so let's stop there. That's It sounds like a good point. It sounds like a good point saying, if you just let these people off by taking their money off, letting them take their money and then leaving, they're always going to try to return once after being banned. You've got to give a disincentive, otherwise any band player will go, oh, let me try one more time, and then if they catch me, then they'll say, okay, here's your money, but this time it's really serious. Like, you, you can't do it that way, or they're just going to do it again. Which I understand, but if he had been banned from actual GG Poker, and he returned to actual GG Poker, we'd be having a different conversation. He got banned from Natural 8 in 2016, when that network was not well known. And then came to the GG Network in 2019, played for a year and a half without them catching it, lost money during that time, and then when he won, then they banned him. There's a lot of gray area there. I believe he knew what he was doing, but there's a lot of gray area. They let him play a year and a half. It was a different skin. You can't require that the players constantly keep track of the changing skins because skins are constantly changing. They're changing networks. There's so many things you have to keep track of. And even though I believe he was keeping track of it, you should not confiscate someone's money based upon your belief of what they knew. Okay, that's just not the way you do it. This is one of these cases of the gray area where you return the money and then kick them. So he goes on to say, he created a new account within the GG network that he played on. The account hasn't been been immediately flagged because a lot of the provided information didn't match with the initial account he created. Only a recent internal check has been flagged. Following the procedure, his account has been banned and funds confiscated. This is not a scheme to steal from players. The money has been distributed between the players he won from. Given the long time frame that, he, that passed detecting it, de- detecting it, they decided to refund him his 50k deposit. Well, the guy had a good point, uh, Tobias. If they're giving him back his 50k deposit, that is kind of admitting, look, you know, like, there's a gray area here. So they, they shouldn't just give him back that. They're still stealing 130k from him. So either it's justified to take all the money, he did something bad and you take all his money, or it's justified to give it all back. There's no situation where it's justified to give them back part of their money. It just doesn't exist. Either you did something wrong that is confiscation worthy, or you did not. There's no in-between, Fedor. So he goes on to say, I understand there's a lot of room to jump to conclusions here, but I assure you this is not a practice to profit from players. Well, not directly, but indirectly, yes. It's a, it's a practice to scare pros off the site. They are following their internal security protocol to make sure to grow a healthy poker ecosystem. That's just such crap. They're, they're, they're following a protocol to force pros off the site. That's what they're really doing. So Fedora just got hammered on Twitter about this. Now, over time, some people have softened on this and have taken more of GG's side. They have more people on their side than at first. But on August 11th, he just got pounded on Twitter. So two days later, he tweeted, I understand there's a lot of hate coming my, my way for my latest post about Duddy. I'm trying my best to gather as much info as I can and share Gigi's perspective on it as well to create more transparency. I find myself in a difficult position, but I'll do my best. So Fedora realized that... Uh, he was getting the same sort of hate Negranu had gotten 
years ago over his defending of poker stars during the Supernova Elite uh, disaster. And uh, he didn't want to become the next Negreanu. So he's like, uh, hey, guys, look, I, I, I'm not totally on their side here. I'm just I'm trying to figure this out. You know, I'm kind of in a weird position here. I'm, I'm a poker pro, but then I'm also representing GG, and I kind of see both sides of it. So I, I know a lot of you guys hate me, but uh, please give me time to figure this out. <laughs> Which is funny. Like, Fedor realized that he came out too strong on GG's side on that one and looked like a big shill. So anyway, from what I've seen on Twitter, I haven't checked that recently before what I saw at the time Negrani was silent but he didn't say silent because he talked about it on his show remember I mentioned earlier in the show that Daniel Negrani has a podcast called Dat Poker Podcast D-A-T Dat Poker Podcast of him Adam Schwartz and Terrence Chan and Adam listens to this show which I appreciate but uh, Daniel will often talk on that show regarding the various topics of the day where there's controversy involving him in some way, which there always seems to be. And this one didn't directly involve him, but because he's the main face of GG Poker, it kind of does. So people wanted to hear what Daniel would have to say about it, and I'm sure you can guess which side he came down on. And I'm going to play that to you. I'm going to go and play the relevant portion. I'm not going to play the whole segment. You can go to listen to Dat's Poker Podcast yourself if you want to hear that. But uh, I'm going to play the portion of Negranu, which is at the 34-minute mark on, I think it was their August 14th episode, the latest one as of this date. So I'm going to play you what Negranu had to say. Then I will give you GG Poker's official statement about this, and I'll comment on that. And then I'm going to give you a little update, something I just found out today about the situation, which kind of uh, backs what I've been saying about everything here. But let me get to uh, the Daniel part of it. At the uh, 34-minute mark, I'm going to stop it every so often and comment on it. And it's not going to surprise you what he has to say. What would be shocking is if Daniel like came out against them. He's like, yeah, GD really screwed this guy. And I, I don't represent them, but I, I got to stand up for what's right here. They screwed him. They should give him back his money. That would shock me. I think the world is about to end if I were to hear that. But that's not what he said. Here is what Daniel said. So, like, I understand the decisions that GG Poker makes in these contexts, uh, even if, like, as a site, I, I wouldn't do it myself. That, that was Terrence Chan. So here's uh, Negrano's response. All right. My turn. Okay, so... I, There's I a lot like, going on here. I'm sorry. That was long, right, too. So <laughs> No, that's great. I'm glad you did that, because I was actually hoping you'd go first anyway. Um, so if you read what the guy said, right, pretty clear he said this. He got an email saying, you are banned from playing on our network. You are not allowed to play on our network. If the, t- the terms of service say, if you try to play on our network, we will confiscate the funds that you win, or all your funds, right, in, 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 in the case. So it's, like, clearly laid out for him what happens, right? Now, he chooses, maybe, you know, through negligence or claiming that he didn't know that he was, you know, you know signing up to another site that was within the same network. This is where there's some responsibility on the, on the person doing this. Like, you were banned from this network. If you start to play on this network, pretty early on, I'm sure you know you're doing that, and you're pretty sure you remember that you were banned. So that's where you go, hold the phone, hold the phone, let me send an email or something, and go... Wait, wait, hold the phone, hold the phone should be on their end. GG Poker, the responsibility is fine. He goes, this is where some responsibility, I'm like, oh, good, he's going to actually call out GG. Should be on the player. I'm like, no, Daniel, it's the other way around. <laughs> the responsibility should be on GG Poker to be checking who is playing high stakes on their site. And that's what's kind of disturbing, because someone brought up a point, a great point, saying, 
wait a minute, so if this guy was able to like just slightly change the name he was registered under so close to his real name that it's pretty much him, and play when he's been banned from the network for four years, and play for 18 months without detection at the highest stakes on the site, what kind of security do they have? So does this mean people ban for botting and for uh, collusion and, and for credit card fraud? Is, does that mean these people can just come back on the site and play for 18 months without detection at the highest stakes? Like that's, How bad is their security if they didn't realize this? Which you're going to find out soon how bad it was, which the answer is pretty bad. So it's funny how Daniel's completely absolving GG of responsibility in this. Is this cool that I'm playing here? Before you decide to risk like 50000 or $100,000, before you get to that stage, you know, it would seem to make sense for you to go like, am I, is this kosher what I'm doing, right? Um, so then you don't put yourself at the biggest risk. He chose not to do that. Ultimately, you know, Gigi finally figured out that, you know, he was playing and they did exactly what their terms of service said, which was confiscate his funds. They gave him his deposit back for his last deposit or whatever, and then they spread the rest of the funds to everybody else. Now, when you talk about the side note, which is what uh, Terrence brought up, is like, you know, the idea of banning winning players. And that's not what's happening at GG Poker, right? Everyone complains and have complained at online poker for the last five to ten years about bum hunters, right? Everyone sees this as a problem for the ecosystem. We do not want people bum hunting, right? Well, there are certain win rates that are unattainable unless you are using extreme forms of bun hunting and buttoning. Like, buttoning is the practice of, let's say we're playing, you know, three, four-handed, and then the fish quits, and I stick you with the button. Or I stick you with the button every time, Terrence. So, like, we play one hand where I get the button, and then, you know, like, we quit or something like that. So there's clear predatory behavior. And I get, like, a lot of people want, you know, sort of a cookie-cutter what are the exact rules on this? Well, hold on a second. You just said that people are engaging in extreme tactics and achieving win rates that wouldn't be possible without such extreme tactics. I have an idea. How about only banning those who are violating the rules of these extreme tactics? How about just outlawing the extreme tactics and not requiring that people only play or that people have to play some games with no fish? How about that? How about allowing people to game select to their heart's content, but where they can't seat script and they can't do other unethical things that make it unfair for everybody? Why don't you do that? Why don't you ban those who are buttoning all the time? Why don't you make strict rules against buttoning where uh, you, you can make all the pros very aware that if they make a habit of playing to their button and sitting out every time that uh, they're going to be banned? You can make rules like that. You can make rules against seat scripting. You can make rules against HUDs. And I am for all of that. So you say there's extreme stuff going on? Okay, we agree. Let's stop the extreme version of the bum hunting. I agree with that. But let's not do away with game selection and let's not do away with allowing poker pros on the site. You know, in terms of like, well, what, what can constitutes bum hunting and what doesn't? I think for the most part, if you, if you have to ask, you kind of know that you're probably, uh, you know, up against it. And one of the reasons I think it is somewhat vague or left in the eye of the beholder as far as the company goes is because when you do set specific guidelines, people will find angles to just brush right up against it. Without- well, then the reverse will occur, though. When you don't set specific guidelines, then what you can do is if you want to get rid of winning pros from your site, you can always adjust what your vague rules are to claim that someone has violated them. And when it comes to kicking people off, it should be a very clear terms of service violation, even for bans. Forget taking their money where you really have to make it a clear violation. Even just banning people. When someone gets banned, they should know specifically what they can't do. 
There should be specific rules laid out about what you can and can't do. You're saying, well, if you lay out the rules, they'll find ways to circumvent it. Well, see, eventually they're going to run out of things. Eventually they're going to run out of things. You can, you can make some blanket rules which cover a lot of things. Like you can say, no automated tools to assist your poker player. And you can list all the different types of things you can't do. No seat scripting, no HUDs, um, no analysis tools, nothing. You can't use any third-party tool to assist you with play on this site. That covers a lot. That knocks out a lot of it. Or uh, about buttoning. You, you can make specific requirements regarding uh, quitting on the button and you know the the amount the number of hands you must play before quitting something like that uh you can you you can you can put these rules in black and white and make it very clear and it's going to be very tough to get around them i could craft rules i could i could cra- sit down for an hour and craft some very good rules for a poker site which allow game selection while not allowing this extreme bum hunting or other unethical behavior that allows people to get uh, extra win rates through that unethical behavior. Like, I could stop all of it through those rules. You do not have to stop game selection. You stop game selection when you want to find excuses to get rid of pros. I'm going over that line, right? So, first of all, like, no tournament players are being banned. Like, all the top tournament pros in the world are playing on GG. Like, all of them are playing on it. There's no risk or issue of that. Now, you know, the, the issues they're talking about from years ago related to VIP cash games and, you know, a specific type of clientele that was just, you know, this, these, these certain players were, you know, according to the site, uh, involved in, like, predatory behavior, which essentially means, you know, like bum hunting. It is not a practice to just go, man, that guy's good. Get rid of him, right? We have the World Series of Poker. We have all these tournaments running. As I said, all the best players in the world you know, are playing in them. So for like this case specifically, um, there's two sec, you know, two separate arguments. Like, okay, should he have been banned? But the mistake or the misconception when you start to see headlines is like, if I win money, is it going to be confiscated from me? Cause I'm a winning player. No, that's not what happened. If you cheat, if you collude, if you use bots or if you, uh, are banned from the site for whatever reason and then try to, you know, set another, you know, set up another account and play that way your funds will be confiscated because as Terrence said, and so did Adam, there's got to be repercussions. Otherwise, you know, those people can free roll and be like, well, why not? I'll just start another uh, account and go from there. So, yeah. And I understand all of that. And this, the, the reasons you listed for the most part are very valid to ban somebody and take their money. The problem is you have to have an application of common sense and figure out, is there a gray area? Is it possible that this person wasn't trying to do anything sinister is it possible some confusion happened here? And if the answer is yes, then you need to give the person back their money and then ban them. But truthfully, they really need to look at what should constitute a ban from the site. They really need to. Because, yeah, if, if you play on there and you win something in a tournament, are they going to ban you? No. If you're a regular cash player at high stakes, or probably middle stakes, and you are putting a lot of action there, and you are only playing in good games, they are going to ban you. And that's a problem. That's a very simple fact on GG Poker, is if you stick to only good games and play a lot of cash, you will get banned. And that's absurd. You can't defend that, Daniel. You can't. Game selection is a thing. Game selection is important. 
So you should always be able to game select, and you can ban all the other bad practices that are hurting online poker, but don't ban game selection. You can't justify that. So just saying, oh, if you win something, it doesn't mean they're going to ban you. No, not instantaneously, but if you're regularly playing and sticking to good games, they will ban you. And that's a big, big problem, especially because they won't outline exactly what constitutes a violation of the rules, and they can find very flimsy reasons to ban anybody. So there has to be very distinct um, repercussions. And, you know, the CEO said quite clearly, like, we, it's not our policy to make things as easy as possible for professional players to make the maximum amount of money off of our, you know, mo- more valuable players or the VIPs. Like, there's plenty of professional poker players on GG, and they are welcome, right? But again, we're not going to, sh- you know, you know, shower them with extra gifts and say, thank you so much for coming. Like, let me give you an extra freaking this or that or make things easier. And if you are some one of those people that are consistently bun hunting and, you know, predatory behavior, which is essentially this, you know, the live one sits down, you sit down with him immediately. The second he quits, you quit. If you're doing that, you're bum hunting. If you're not willing to play another 15 minutes or whatever, you know that's, what's bum, that, that's what bum hunting is. Daniel, I guarantee this has happened in so many cash games you've played over the years live. I know because I've been in high-stakes cash games. I've been in mid-to-high-stakes cash games. And that is what happens often. Not all the time. Sometimes the game will lose the fish and everyone will keep playing. Other times the fish quits and everybody's like, yeah, we're done. <laughs> I've had that so many times. So many times I've been playing poker. In the past and in in the recent, uh, semi-recent uh, past, uh, can't say present because they don't play live anymore because it's uh, 2020 coronavirus, but like early 2020, late 2019, I, I was playing in games that broke exactly for that reason because uh, the fish left. I've even had some games where the fish leaves and we all kind of look at each other and go, okay, what are we going to do? And how long is everybody going to stay? And we come to an agreement, okay, we'll play for an hour and after an hour, then uh, we'll get up and leave, which I know... That would be fine for GG Poker, but you don't, you're not required to do that. I've been part of games also that the second the fish leaves, everyone's like, yeah, we're done, we're done, we're done. Everybody stands up and leaves. This happens everywhere. This is a big thing that has happened in poker for many decades. Many decades. In fact, pr- pretty much since poker began. Even in the 1800s, there were fish. Even in the 1800s, the game would break when the live one would quit. And it's unfair to say... No, once the live one quits, you must play this amount of time with the pros and just hope you don't run bad against these guys and tough luck on you if you're negative expectation. Like, what if you are the worst of all the pros at the table? Which there will always be one of the people at the table who's remaining who's the worst. I was mentioning that earlier. So it's you, three pros who are better than you, and a big fish. Should you be in that game? Probably. Then the big fish busts. Do you want to play against the three pros who are better than you? And if you're forced to, how long should you be forced to? The answer is you shouldn't. You should have the right to say, these three guys are better than me. I don't want to play them. Or these three guys are about the same as me. I don't want to play them because there's too much variance and this is high stakes and it's just something I don't want to do. You should have the right to say that. That's not bum hunting. That's game selection. It's a big, big, big difference. And the term bum hunting has been used as a catch-all for all this stuff. And it's including game selection, which isn't right. So the way Daniel's putting it is, oh, you sit down only when the fish sits down and you leave. As soon as he leaves and you do that, we're going to ban you. Well, if you look at what that really means, it's meaning you are required to play against players who are better than you, where there are no worse players at the table than you are. That's basically what he's saying. You are required to do that to stay here. 
And and how long do you have to? Is, is it required you have to play the same amount of times you played the fish? Do you have to play for five more minutes, 15 more minutes, 60 more? You don't know. You don't want to be there. So so you let's say you, you play some gratuitous hands with players who are better than you with no fish there just to satisfy what GG wants, and then they ban you anyway because you didn't spend enough time. So let's say the fish is in the game for four hours. He busts. You stick around for another 15 minutes. That's not enough. Like So, so you don't know. You can even try to do it, and you don't know. So basically what they want is they want everyone to be willing to play a lot of time with each other with no fish. Otherwise, get out. And that's crappy. And that's pretty much against all advice that's been given to professional poker players as far as behaving in a responsible fashion as a professional player to hold on to your money. That's that's one of the big things is good game selection. Don't let your ego get the best of you. And don't be afraid to leave a game where you're not the favorite. That's been said in so many poker books for years. I bet I could find columns Negranu wrote years ago in Card Player that advocate such behavior. I'm not sure, but I'm guessing because everyone was saying that. That was what people were told to do. And it's good advice, to be honest. Now, what about me? Do I play in games with pros? Sometimes. Why? Sometimes I just want the challenge. Sometimes I'm hoping a fish will come back who busts. Sometimes... uh, I think one of the pros isn't playing well at the moment, and I can beat him. Sometimes I'm just being a degenerate. You know, there's various reasons I've played. I I have played pros uh, three, four-handed, where there's no fish there. I have played pros heads up. I've done this uh, more than you think I have. But do I try to game select? Yeah, of course I do. And he's basically saying you can't. Well, as Karen said, game selection is important, right? So before you sit in the game, you say, okay, well, I don't know. This game might be too tough for me. I don't want to sit. Then you see the game's good. You're playing it, right? But when that one player quits that you're playing because of, if you quit the hand after that, as far as I'm concerned, that's what bum hunting is. Whoa, 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 whoa. Is that okay, Daniel? You just said. You just said that if you want a game select, that's fine. All you have to do is make sure not to sit unless you're really committed to play, even if the game loses the fish. That's what you're saying. You're saying that is fine, correct? Well, 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 I don't know about that. Remember old Stinky Bluff we talked about? Well, that screenshot he posted from GG Poker, where they sent him this message warning him, where they then banned him (laughs) despite giving a warning that he didn't violate, but uh, they said that... You cannot be on standby in the lobby. It says this is done by being on standby in the lobby until a preferred user enters a game and subsequently following by entering as well. So that sounds to me that they don't want you waiting till the fish sits and then you go sit. They want you already there. If you if you only sit down because the fish is in the game, you are in violation of GD Network's terms. So I don't know why Daniel's even saying that because that's not true. They They put right there in this email to Stinky Bluff in March... Not like years ago, in March they wrote this, that you're not allowed to do that. You cannot wait on, quote, standby in the lobby for fish to sit, that you have to already be there. And if you're only joining when there's fish in the game, you're in violation. They can ban you from the site and take your money. So Daniel's not even correct in what he's talking about. Daniel thinks he knows, but he doesn't. He he should really ask his uh, associates there at GG Poker what the real rules are. You have to give a little to get a little, right? And there are, like I said, there are certain win rates that are just unattainable. 
without that. Every site knows, like not just, you know, GG. They all know who's engaging in this predatory behavior. The difference is GG has the actual balls to do something about this clear problem for online poker, right? Everybody wants to see bum hunters gone. Like we don't, we don't like the practice. Nobody likes it except the bum hunter. Nobody wants people doing this. GG, you know, with the threat of saying, listen, if you, if you, if, if you engage in extreme predatory behavior, you run the risk of no longer being allowed to play on our network. Okay, hold on a second. This reminds me of something. Let's think about uh, drunk driving. Does anybody like drunk drivers? I don't think so. Do you wish drunk drivers were not on the road? I'm sure you do. So let's pass a law to where if you've had a single drink any time in the last four hours, you are not allowed to be behind a wheel. doesn't matter if you just have one drink and it was three hours ago, you cannot drive your car. How would you like that law? I bet you would not. Why? Because it's extreme. And if you were to be opposed to such a law, then this would not make you pro-drunk driving. This would be pro-common sense. So what they did, the actual law that was passed, was that you have to have drank enough to where your blood alcohol content is at a certain level. At first it was 0.10, then they decided that was still too dangerous, so they brought it down to 0.08. So if you drink... And then go drive. As long as your blood alcohol content is under 0.08, then it is legal because it was determined from studies that uh, you can still drive pretty well with a blood alcohol content of under 0.08. But uh, once it passes there, you, you start to get in the danger zone where you're impaired and not driving very well. And if you're way above that, then you're probably driving really badly and very dangerous. So that's where the laws came from. And the reason I bring that up is because you can't just make a blanket statement, I hate bum hunters, they should be gone. It should be, let's go after the ones who are actually a problem. Let's go after the extreme behavior. Let's go after the bad behavior. So, again, don't be anti-game selection. Be anti-extreme measures. The extreme measures you're talking about are what we need to stop. And Daniel just agrees with their tactic of just stopping all bum hunting. Now, Daniel, you have to understand this about him. Daniel has been complaining for years about the type of behavior in poker he doesn't like. He doesn't like nits. He doesn't like people at the table who are just quiet and play with headphones on and don't interact with people. He, he basically lists a bunch of things that he doesn't like of poker players that, to where they're different than him. If you're not Daniel Negroni at the table, then he thinks you're, you're not behaving in a proper way. So you either got to be him or be very much like him. If you're a quieter player who doesn't like talking, want to wear headphones, uh, he hates you. If, uh, if, you, if, you're, if you're a nit, you don't give action. If you don't like to straddle, he hates you. Like, you know, you can't just make these blanket statements. But the reason Daniel feels this way is because Daniel has a lot of money. Daniel constantly has a lot of sponsorship dollars rolling in. And as a result, Daniel can afford to not be a nit. Daniel can afford to not bum hunt. Daniel can afford to not game select. And it also helps that Daniel has a lot of natural talent in poker. And uh, he can play a lot of games well, which is great. And I admire him for that. But everyone isn't him. Everyone doesn't have the sponsorship money he has coming in. Everyone doesn't have his natural poker skill. Everyone is not in the same place in life that he is. And he should not assume that and judge others for their behavior at the table, which isn't identical to the way he does things. Now, there's things that are obvious you should hate. You should hate if people uh, are jerks at the table. You should hate people who are disrespectful to the dealer. You should hate people that uh, treat women poorly at the table. 
You should uh, hate people who cheat or collude or angle shoot. Those things are universal and are fine to hate or dislike. But uh, to, to hate like individual little behaviors of poker players that's their right to do, that's just their individual style and it's just not your style, that you shouldn't do. But that's what Daniel has done for a long time. That's actually what put a lot of people off to him. A lot of people feel that he's too sanctimonious. He's too my way or the highway. He's too uh, uh, what I do is right and if you deviate from the way I think everybody should live, then there's something wrong with you. People don't like that attitude. Uh, you have to look and say, everybody isn't me. Everybody is different. People will think differently than me. People will act differently than me. People have different desires than me. People may be in a different place in life than me. And therefore, they may behave differently than me, and it's still fine. And if you start judging that too much, then people can get to dislike you. People can get to be annoyed with you and get mad at you. And people especially hate being lectured by those who are in a very good place in life. You, you don't want the, the, the famous poker multimillionaire talking down to you. Because uh, it's obnoxious. It's, it's one thing if somebody is uh, just some anonymous jerk on social media is doing it, but some guy who uh, has a ton of money and has tons of sponsorship money rolling in uh, is, is telling you how you should be playing poker at the poker table and, and how you should be game selecting and not game selecting. It can be very off-putting. It pisses people off. So he, he should stop things like this. Now, I know here he's mainly speaking as the GG poker shell, but I actually think he believes a lot of what he's saying here. Some people may say, oh, Daniel's just being a total shill and is, is violating his core beliefs. I actually think he does believe this way. He didn't always believe this way, but he's come to believe this way. He kind of changed as he was the uh, Poker Stars representative. He kind of uh, had his mind turned somewhat. He was exposed so much to the way the poker site sees things and talked to people so much at new poker stars about uh, the way they viewed poker and the way they viewed poker pros and the way they viewed bum hunters and all of that. And it started to reshape shape the way he saw poker pros. And this can happen in human psychology where you're exposed to uh, people who just keep, uh, keep pushing a certain viewpoint over and over. Eventually you can start to capitulate and you can start to even agree with them. You can start to actually change your mind. And this is, in fact, what happens at college campuses a lot. You may say, why is it on college campuses that it is so far to the left? I don't want to get too political here, but the reason is, number one, the kids that show up there usually don't have very strong political feelings in the first place because they're kids. And, and number two, it's a very prevalent uh, way everybody is on the campus. That the, Most of the campus is on the left you're going to feel a lot of influence and pressure around you to think that way, and it's a lot easier to go along with it and say, oh, okay, uh, okay, I can see the way they're saying, yeah, okay, it must be right. Everyone thinks this, it must be right. So you, you start, you, you not only say you agree with them because you want to be liked, but you kind of force yourself to agree with that at the same time, and in fact, you can force yourself to really agree with it to where it becomes very important to you to think that way. And where you start judging people who don't think that way. It's a vicious cycle. And this is why I don't like echo chambers of any type. I don't like echo chambers in politics or outside of politics. I think there should always be a diversity of thought. I think there should always be the opposing viewpoint. 
I do think this situation is fascinating because it has a lot of opposing viewpoints. It's not a one super obvious situation. This one, I think it's clear that Tobias did some things that were sneaky and that he knew what he was doing the whole way. And I also think that GG Poker is engaging in a war against pros and a war against winning players. They're finding excuses to get rid of them. And this is part of it. So there's a, there's a lot going on here. And there's a lot of ways to think about it. And I'm not saying you're a horrible person if you disagree with me, or you're an idiot if you disagree with me. I can see both sides of this. But I'm I'm closer to Tobias's side. And I think that they should do something about the extreme bum hunters, but not they're 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 answering an extreme with the, the other side's extreme, which is never good. You won't have your you won't have your funds confiscated. That's not a thing, unless we ban you. And then you go, YOLO, I'm going to open up their account and try to skirt the ban, and then I play again. Well, then, in that case, the terms of service is pretty damn clear. So it, there's not a lot to debate as far as, like, whether they handled it within exactly what the guidelines of the TOS set. Yeah. yeah. I guess my question would be, Terrence, sorry, just to jump yeah, in no, quick. My question would be, um, you know, and I think we pointed it out. I mean, you're depositing 50000 into a skin. You know, you should probably do a little bit of research to see if you've been banned or what skin, where that was. I, I get that, and and I agree with it. I just wonder what responsibility is on the site to have protocols in place to stop people from because you know he signed up with his name, sent a wire, presumably to deposit fifty thousand, and if he loses the fifty thousand, you know we never hear from him again, right? It's it's or he deposits more and and he loses more, whatever. Um, so is there a responsibility on the site to be able to stop those guys before, you know, and I get you shouldn't, they shouldn't be doing it. Totally agree with that. But is there, is there a, a process that should be uh, put in place to stop that from happening? Absolutely. Yeah, there should be. And that was a big flaw. Good point by Adam Schwartz there. Absolutely. And the, actually, absolutely. And the statement that Gigi released today, I don't know if you guys saw it, specifically said that, that they're going to work towards. And as you said, you know, Gigi has grown exponentially. So and there's so many different skins and so many different ways in which people can like be a part of the network that it was a difficult task to catch people like instantly, right? So that is something that we are going to work towards to make sure that when people do this. But like I highly recommend if you're a player, before you decide to play, if you've been banned already, just send an email and go, Hey guys, is this okay? Like if he would have just taken that one step, right? You know, the sense of personal responsibility and go like, okay, well, maybe I should be careful with this. You know? He was he, he did get away with it for a while. Right, he was losing. But here's the thing, and Terrence, I don't know if you remember this from Stars Days or whatever, but like typically what happens with sites is when there is a big win or somebody wins big, that's when an account is typically looked into, right? So right. like in the case of Gordon Vio or whatever, if he was just playing one and two dollars and he was doing it, you know, from a whatever a VPN or whatever, it probably never would have got noticed, right? But now he wins like seven hundred thousand dollars and they go, Okay, let's make an investigation, make sure it was him. Make sure he was where he said he was supposed to be, all those kind of things, right? So similarly here, you know, now he wins a bunch of money, and now all of a sudden, you know, the, the account gets looked at to make sure, because that's what security needs to do. We have to make sure, is this guy multi-accounting? You know, is he doing anything wrong? And that's when you raise attention. No, that's not when you raise attention. That's And I, I hate that. And it does happen elsewhere, not just GG Poker. It should happen whenever any big sum of money gets moved in or out. Not just out. Not just out. What? The guy deposited 50K. That's the time to do all the checks. That's the time to look and say, wait a minute, should this guy be here? Wait a minute, is this guy really who he says he is? Wait a minute, is he really playing from a location he should be in that we allow to play on the site? 
That's when you look at it. You don't look when he's trying to cash out or when he just booked a big win or, or when you're converting something on the site where he has to change his screen name. And, he, and you see he has a lot of money. You go, oh, wait, wait, we, we have to look into him more carefully. When someone deposits a lot of money, they should do that as well. Why don't they? Because they want the deposit. They, they want to find reasons to accept it. So they want to find reasons to deny the cash out, but they want to find reasons to accept the deposit. So with the deposit, it's kind of more don't ask, don't tell. With the cash out, it's like, hmm, let's see if we can find a slight reason to deny this. And that's a very, very bad look, and that's unethical. If they want to be fair, they want to be ethical, they should be doing these investigations when money comes in or when money comes out, if it's a significant sum of money. I understand they can't do big investigations on, on every uh, low-stakes player on the site. That, that makes sense. But someone puts in 50K, that's the time to check on who he is. Not only when he's run it up or wants to cash out. So that's not something you can defend, Daniel. That's a terrible practice, in fact, to only look when they're cashing out. The guy put 50K on, and they didn't bother to catch that. So, okay. You can hear more if you go to DAT Poker Podcast. D-A-T Poker Podcast is where that was from. They do a show every week. I'm going to read you the statement from GG Poker that Daniel was referring to, and then we'll move on. We acknowledge that this case became complicated as the players signed up on multiple skins where the GG Network Security team does not have access to personal information, including email addresses. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, hold on. What? 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 Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What did you guys just say? Did you really just say that? Let's read that again here. We acknowledge that this case became complicated as the player signed up on multiple skins where the GG Network security team does not have access to personal information, including email addresses. What the hell is going on here? They don't have access to the information? What the heck? That's, that's not a minor thing. That's, that's pretty bad. The GG Network security team doesn't have access to personal info. That's a pretty big hole in your security. Therefore, our security detection was limited to IPs and MAC addresses when it comes to detecting trespassers. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Caesars, what are you doing? Caesars, what are you... You're partnering with... You're giving out bracelets on a site that their security department can't detect trespassers except through IP addresses and MAC addresses. Okay, for those of you who don't know, that's incredibly easy to change. You can easily change your IP address. You can easily change your MAC address. This this does not require extensive technical knowledge to do. In fact, it could happen accidentally. You could switch devices... And you could be on a different IP address very easily. It just IP addresses change dynamically all the time. They just change on their own. Or they change because you went to a different location. So if someone has a different IP and MAC address, then they can play on the site again no matter what they're banned for. So someone banned for botting, for collusion, for any other form of cheating, that they can just come right back if they've got a new IP and MAC address and that's been final this time? Like, you guys don't realize in your years of operation that is a horrible, horrible security deposit, uh, security policy which lacks the ability to keep bad actors off the site? Are are you kidding me? 
IP addresses and MAC addresses. This is their own statement. This is this isn't like speculation from people on two plus two. This is their own statement. Therefore, our security detection was limited to IPs and MAC addresses when it comes to detecting trespassers. <laughs> I mean, you've got to be kidding me. How could the World Series have partnered with these people? We will enhance our system so that we can request email addresses and personal info from our licensee operators. Oh, really? It's an enhancement, is it? That isn't a basic function of security? You guys didn't think that when you had skins that you shouldn't have access to the player information? That somehow the network should not have access to the information of each player? You shouldn't know who it is? The network just... There's somehow the security is at the network level, yet the player information is at the skin level. <laughs> How does that make any sense? It would be like uh, if the pol- think of the police operated this way, that they have no way to tell who you are unless uh, you're wearing the same thing and they kind of recognize you from before. Otherwise, uh, they have no way to see who you are and they can't access your ID because that's a different system operated by a, a different government entity and they have no access to it. So that they can't tell you what your previous convictions are. They can't tell uh, if you're wanted for anything. They can't tell if you've even escaped from jail. They can't tell if, if you're wanted for murder. They, all they can see is what you're wearing and, and your face and if they kind of recognize it from before. Would that be a problem if policing was that way? Yes. That would be a gigantic problem. That's the way they're policing their site. Different IP, different MAC address, you're good. You're good. You can have the identical name, identical info, identical email address to someone that got banned for botting or collusion, and you're welcome to play on there because they can't catch you. But don't worry, guys. They're enhancing their system. They're, They're bringing massive modern technology, 2020s technology, where now their security team will soon be able to see who you are. (laughs) Soon their security team will know your name and email address. Groundbreaking stuff. You should feel safe playing on GG Poker. How do you explain this one, Daniel? Yeah, we need to do better. Yeah, you think? We also acknowledge that our... Player-to-player transfer was too easy for the players. We already removed player-to-player transfer for our UK customers and will be placing a strict know-your-customer verification process and limits for all future player-to-player transfers. (laughs) I don't know what this has to do with anything. I think I know what it is. I think think there is some other stuff that came out that uh, he had transferred money back and forth with other players on the site and they confiscated that too and didn't want to give that back. I, I think that was another part of the story that I didn't read. But uh, that's another big issue. So not only couldn't they tell who was banned from the site, but it was also super easy to send money to one another. So like, it must have been incredibly easy to set up bot networks there because that's what bot networks are all about is being able to uh, transfer the money around. So this way, uh, you, you, if you have like a ton of low-stakes bots running, which we'll talk about later in the show, you don't want a ton of low-stakes bots cashing out pennies. What you want is them to be able to send the money to one location. So if the site is letting that happen and not investigating it, then that's another huge security flaw. What a freaking disaster. Okay, and then they're like, hmm, you know what? Maybe that isn't smart. Maybe it's way too easy for people to send money back and forth without us checking. Yeah, you know what? We have not been doing know your customer. We don't know our customers. So starting now, we're going to know who our customers are. Oh, my gosh. This, this is, they're giving out bracelets. 
They're giving out actual World Series bracelets. We have already shown our goodwill with a gesture to the player by returning the funds he has received from his friends. All of his winnings have been redistributed to effective players. That's such goodwill. We're taking all the money you won, and we're, we're giving you back, we're giving your friends back money they sent to you in the past, and we're giving you back your initial deposit. Just anything you want here, we're taking. That's, that's our goodwill. That's our goodwill. So we're taking all your winnings, but that's goodwill. <laughs> we would like to apologize for the concerns that were brought up by this incident, and we'll make sure that our security measures are more tight. More tight? I mean, that would imply they were tight before. I mean, that's, that's about as loose as you can get. More tight. It's like leaving all the doors open in your house, just wide open. And then you leave on a vacation for two weeks, and you put a sign in your front yard saying, Attention, we are going to be gone for the next two weeks. Please don't rob our house. And then you come home, and, uh, and all your stuff is gone. And you go, hmm, we might need more tight security measures in the future. Maybe in the future we won't leave our doors wide open and we won't put up a sign in our front yard that we're going to be gone for two weeks. From now on, our tight security will be tighter. I mean, that's that's what it's like here. It's insane. <sighs> I mean, th- this shows you what you're dealing with a lot of times with the security depart- departments. It's, it's terrible. I got a question from my son about online poker. Of uh, It's a good question, actually. Do you always get the money you have on the site, or have you ever gotten banned when you have a lot of money on one of your poker sites? It was a good question from a nine-year-old. And I said, well, you know what, Benjamin? There actually was a situation in 2007. He goes, 2007? I don't want to hear about this. This is before I was born. I go, no, no, no. For some reason, Ben doesn't like hearing old stories. <laughs> One time I was, we're trying to learn something about Roblox, and I'm like, I bring up a video from 2016. He goes, I don't want to watch this. This is four years old. I go, but Ben, it's, it applies to today. No, 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 this is old. I don't want to watch it. I go, no, Ben, you got, it can be old but still relevant. Sometimes old stuff isn't, but this this is. But anyway, uh I told them the 2007 story from Cake Poker. And the story on Cake Poker, this, this really illustrates the morons that work in security at these poker sites. You like, to, you like to picture that you have guys in security who are very competent and intelligent, like Michael Josem, who we had on this show. He worked in PokerStar security. He knows what's going on. He was involved in blowing open the UB scandal. He was on 60 Minutes with me. He sat right next to me when I appeared on 60 Minutes. That's how I met him. Uh, he, he worked for poker stars for many years in security. This is, this is the type of guy you do want in charge of security. And, and poker stars was the type of company that did this right. But a lot of other sites do not. GG Poker clearly does not. I mean, can you imagine how much poker stars is laughing right now? They're like, this, this is our competition. <laughs> but, uh, I told Benjamin a story from Cake Poker from 2007. Where and I've I've told the story before, but I'm going to tell it again. It was such an outrageous thing. They had these sweepstakes like contests on there, where if you get these gold cards that they award you every so often, just totally at random while you're playing. If you get like two or like, like I think all four aces or something, you get the the jackpot, which is very hard to get, but uh, some lucky fool gets it every so often. So some fish won $75,000 there from that uh, gold card sweepstakes. And it's just a promotion. You don't have to pay for these entries. You just get them as you play. So some fish got seventy-five k in uh, money from this sweepstakes that he didn't win on the site. He just won from this. So 
the guy was not good at poker, and he was also very obnoxious, and he was also very anti-Semitic. So he sat down in 5100 limit with me and uh, two other pros and was terrible. And he also ran bad. So he was unlucky and he was terrible. So as you can imagine, he was getting stomped on. Uh, fortunately for me, the one who was running the best was me. The other two pros were not running very well. They were kind of spinning their wheels because he was terrible. So they were they were running below expectation, but they were making that money back because they were good. Um, I was running above expectation, so I was killing it there. And he was running below expectation and was bad, so he was really getting destroyed. Anyway, he was getting more and more pissed as he was losing, and he was so sure that he was being cheated. He was so sure that uh, there was collusion going on there. And he didn't just say there was collusion. He started saying that Jews are cheating him. He said that you Jews are cheating me. And he started uh, going on and on and on about the Jews cheating him. And that we were the Jews cheating him. Now, he had no idea who we were. He didn't know it was me and I'm actually Jewish. He just assumed those who were playing him were Jews, which uh, I knew who both of them were, and neither of them were Jewish. I, I'm Jewish, but the other two weren't. But uh, anyway, he, he bitched so much about the Jews there and it was so obnoxious that I decided to troll him some. And so every time I'd win a hand, I'd type something like Israeli power, Jewish power. I, I'm donating this to the uh, Anti-Defamation League. I, I'd, I'd type things like that to really get him agitated. And it worked, and he'd like tilt even more. Anyway, I had my best result ever in terms of uh, Big Blinds 1. I, in, in about two and a half days, playing this guy 5,100 limit, not 5,100 no limit, 5,100 limit, I won $62,000 in that game. I mean, it, it, there were breaks. It wasn't two and a half days straight with no sleep, but it was over a two and a half day period. I played a lot of hours. And it was mostly the same players against him. And uh, the other guys, like, broke even. <laughs> I won, like, 62,000. And uh, between that and, I guess, some other game the guy played, and when I wasn't there, he busted. So he lost all 75 real fast, and he was not happy. So he wrote an email to security and said that there was collusion against him. I don't know if he mentioned the Jews, but he mentioned that he wrote an email complaining that there was collusion and that... Basically, his 75000 was stolen by pros on the site. Well, there was no collusion. Um, there was a lot of three-betting of his raises because he was, like, raising every two cards constantly. And uh, and so the whoever had a decent hand, like, it didn't have to be a great hand. It was like a four-handed game. If you had a, uh, a hand that you thought was better than his raising range, you would three-bet him, especially in position. And, uh, and then often the other two pros would fold. We didn't have an agreement to do this. There was no collusion. We were never raising him out of pots. We were just, uh, we were, we used our own eyes and brains to see the guy was entering almost every pot and, and raising every time. So of course there's a lot of three betting going on. Of course there's a lot of isolation going on. That's the correct strategy. So, uh, he took this to be collusion and complained. And the idiot security guy, there's only one guy working security for uh, cake poker at the time. The idiot security guy actually believed it and locked our accounts. I couldn't believe it. Now, I had already cashed out some by the time action was taken on this, but I still had 46K left in my site on Cake po- in my account on Cake Poker. And I was very, very upset because I thought I'd never be getting it back. The messages from security were very final, basically saying, we've already determined you were cheating. You cannot appeal this. We're, we're, we're going back to see if you cheated even more than this against other players, but uh, we're sure you cheated here, and you're not getting your money back. So my, my 46000 they they very clearly told me I'm not, I'm not getting. And I was all ready to blow this up, 
and then uh, unexpectedly, about a week later, they reversed course and gave me my money back. No apology. They just said, we've, we've changed our minds. Uh, we've returned your money. And they unlocked my account. So, of course, I cashed it out. But it was such a helpless feeling because I wasn't cheating. I was not colluding. I wasn't doing anything wrong. And you know what? It was me against the other pros in, the, in hands. I, I didn't soft play anybody. They didn't soft play me. We, we all tried to beat each other. Very, you know, I was trying to beat everybody there. It's just one of the three players was a lot beatable than the other two. But when I was against the other two, I, even if that guy had folded, I, I played very hard against them. They played very hard against me. There was no soft play, no collusion, no BS going on, I promise you. Just very standard stuff. And I said, I said to the head of security when we were arguing back and forth, I said, I will agree to you picking any hands here. Just pick a selection, pick the selection of the 10 worst hands. I played so many hands over those two and a half days. Pick the worst 10 hands in your opinion, post them to the 2 plus 2 mid and high stakes limit hold'em forum, and if the majority of posters there agree that I was cheating, then I will drop this and let you keep my money. However, if they don't, you agree to give me my money back. Because I am sure that not only will most agree with me, they're all going to agree with me because they all know Limit Holden very well and they will tell you that everything they see here is very standard. But of course he wouldn't do it. So, uh, a lot of morons in security. And GG Poker. I mean, can you imagine a security protocol there where they don't know who's playing? They don't know if banned players are moving between skins? They have no way to tell? Can you imagine? This is one of the biggest sites at the moment. They, they're running World Series of Poker events. I mean, who was playing those events? How many people were in those events that shouldn't have been on the site? That's a good question. How can they say they're tightening security? How, how can they say they're tightening security that didn't exist? Like, how is this okay? According to PokerScout.com, GG Poker is the third largest poker site in the world. In the world. Behind only Poker Stars and the IDN Poker Network. The third largest in the world. And they're growing. So can you imagine? Apparently, there's 35,000 players connected online. They're not all playing at the moment. 35,000 players connected online on GG Poker at the moment, according to P- Poker Scout. And they had no way, and they still have no way to tell who you are besides your IP address and MAC address. That is insane. That is insane. This is one of these cases where they'd have been better off keeping quiet. I, I had no idea. I mean, I, I couldn't even have guessed that they couldn't see this. <clears throat> Prior to their statement, I had thought that the way it was was simply that they just weren't communicating well with their skins. I thought that they just weren't uh, doing a lot of checking between skins of who's signing up new accounts. I had no idea they couldn't even see it and I had no way to see it. That is absolutely insane. All right, let's move on and talk about... Stone's Gambling Hall, a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive. I like Poker Fraud Alerts exclusives because I'm not just repeating other people's topics that they've had on other shows. Even though I have my own unique perspective on many of these topics, they are still, nevertheless, the same topic. And I like bringing new stuff to the table, which you cannot hear elsewhere. And this is one of those things. So, the Stone's Gambling Hall case is a civil lawsuit that was brought against Stone's Gambling Hall in the Sacramento area over the Mike Possel cheating scandal, which we have discussed a lot 
on Poker Fraud Alert, and I'm not going to recap all of that. I'm sure you know about the Mike Postle cheating scandal by now. But let me give you some details on this civil case, because with all the court action, it can be confusing, and some things have been dismissed, some things have been partially dismissed. Like There's a lot, a lot of stuff which is kind of hard to keep track of here, so I'm going to try to give you some background here to understand. So there were two different civil cases going on involving this matter, and then there's actually a third one that's that's uh, by Marley Cordero, but that's well, we'll talk about that shortly, but that's not what most of this is about. There were 88 plaintiffs that were represented by attorney Mac Verstandig, who handles a lot of the civil lawsuits that have to do with poker players who are uh, screwed in some way. And he's done a lot of good work, and Mac has had a lot of success in helping poker players who have been uh, cheated in some way, often by uh, a company. Usually he's more suing uh, casinos than he's suing uh, individuals, though I'm sure he'd Take those type of cases as well. That is his specialty is uh, poker and gambling type cases, especially poker. So Mac Verstandig jumped on this and was representing 88 plaintiffs in what I thought was a class action suit, but turns out is not. So they had really 88 plaintiffs who were kind of individually suing in two different cases, Stone's Gambling Hall and Mike Possel. And so it was all the same case in each one, or there were two different cases, one against Stones, one against Mike Possible, but all 88 plaintiffs, while separate from one another, weren't suing as a class. And the difference is that when there's a class, then each individual doesn't have power. I'm sure you've gotten these things in the mail that you're part of some very, very large class in a class action suit against a very large company like AT&T. So whatever the settlement is between the attorney that's representing the class and AT&T, they don't contact you and go, hey, are you okay with this? Like, you have no say in it. You just, you're just going to get whatever you get. And uh, you don't have any power over whatever is being done in that case. Whereas when there are separate plaintiffs that are listed together, but it's not a class, then each plaintiff does have power and can make their own decisions. And it gets a bit more complicated. I thought it was a class action suit. It was not. So there were 88 plaintiffs suing Mike Postle, 88 plaintiffs suing Stones. Obviously, Stones was the much more collectible of the two. That was the one much more important lawsuit to win. If you went against Mike Postle, it can be kind of a moral victory, but it's going to be very hard to collect from the guy because, let's face it, what does Mike Postle have? And if he does have anything, he's probably uh, hiding it at this point. So good luck collecting from Mr. Postle. But Stones is a somewhat successful poker room that exists in the Sacramento area. They also have insurance. There's various ways you can probably collect from Stones. They, I think they own other card rooms around California. So that's who Mac Verstandig was hoping to collect the big money from. If it was just a lawsuit against Possel, it probably wouldn't have been worth his time because he's uncollectible. Uh, this was done on a contingency basis. I don't know what their specific agreement is, but they're not paying Mac for his time and work and expertise. They're uh, paying him through a contingency agreement where they pay nothing if they lose and where Mac keeps a certain percentage of the settlement if they win. So that's uh, also common in uh, civil cases where there's some expectation of uh, either winning a lot of money 
or a very, very high expectation of winning kind of a, a medium sum of money. So the, you'll see this a lot with like auto accident cases where, uh, let's say someone hits you and it's pretty clearly the fault of the other driver. There are attorneys that specialize in these cases and get you the most money. And uh, you bring your case to the attorney. The attorney thinks, yes, there's a very high chance we would win this lawsuit. And the attorneys will then represent you and try to get the maximum out of the uh, insurance company of uh, the driver who hit you. And uh, the agreement is that the attorney will take 35% or whatever. And often it's not huge sums you're getting, but the attorney does it because they know there's a very high chance they'll win. Contingency cases that attorneys usually won't take are ones where either the when they're suing is uncollectible or where the chance of winning is pretty low or where the amount that you're going to win is very small. So you, if you're suing someone for $1,000, you're not going to get an attorney to take this on contingency. It's just uh, an attorney is not going to waste his time with that. So uh, this was taken on contingency, and Mac took it, number one, probably because he wanted the publicity from it, and number two, because uh, Stones has somewhat deep pockets and he might have stood to profit a lot if they were able to win a lot of money from Stones involving this matter. They He sued them for like $10 million, but that doesn't mean anything. That's that's something that uh, they like to do where uh, in, in cases where the damage isn't completely clear and where you could hope for a very high punitive damages, a lot of times the uh, eye-popping numbers are... Uh, asked for in these lawsuits without any kind of expectation to get even one-tenth of that. So believe me, even though the lawsuit was for $10 million, if Mac won a million for everybody combined, uh, he would have been thrilled, and he would have done quite well because I don't know what their agreement was. It was probably something like 35%, so he would have walked away with a lot of money. Anyway, that's the background on the two lawsuits, but there's more. The case against Postle was dismissed in early June. And this was not from anything they really did wrong. It was just that the law in California is pretty immature when it comes to stuff like this. And basically, there was no way to uh, for the courts to adjudicate uh, a gambling dispute. So they the court dismissed it. So they, they were basically drawing dead in that lawsuit from the very start against Postle. They had no shot at that one, turned out. I didn't know that till that decision came down, but that turned out to be the case. I knew it was going to be an uphill battle for several reasons, but uh, it didn't work. The case against Postle was dismissed, so that was the end of that. However, remember, there's that other case against Stones, which is more important. The case against Stones was that they allowed the cheating to happen. The case does not involve Postle, other than naming him as the main perpetrator of the scheme at Stones, but he's not uh, a defendant in that case. He's also not a party to that case in any way. In June, after the case was dismissed against Postle, Mac Verstandick said that they're still going forward with the Stones case. And for some reason, because the Postle part of it was dismissed, everybody kind of forgot about the fact that the Stones thing was still going on, including me. Like, I knew it, but I also forgot it. I, I kind of thought it was done. I thought, okay, well, Postle was... Uh, Possible was victorious, so I, for some reason, like I heard he's going against Stones, but for some reason it's just like, okay, this is kind of done, justice wasn't done, sucks, but whatever, that was that. But no, this was still happening, so we have some news on this. Now let's go back a month to May. In May of 2020, 
the four apostles case have been dismissed, but it doesn't really matter. Stones asserted in a filing that they don't owe a general duty of care to gamblers. What does that mean? A general duty of care to gamblers. Now, I know attorney Eric Benzamokin, who listens to this show, knows what that is. And I know that several other attorneys who listen to the show know what that is. But many of you do not know what that is. So I will explain it. In this case, it essentially means that Stones felt that they do not have to guarantee third parties won't cheat you in their casino. They have to guarantee they're not going to cheat you, but uh, they do not owe you the ability to play and not get cheated by others. That there's only so much they can do for other from to prevent others from cheating you. So they can try, but they're if you do get cheated, it's not on them. Is basically what they're saying. They're not the law does not make them responsible if some someone else cheats you while they're in your while you're in their casino. That was what they were arguing. They they can try, but they can't police at all. Stones also stated that the gamblers suing them, these 88 people, were suing them simply because they lost and that they were unhappy about it. Mac responded by stating that Stones profited from the cheating because it helped promote their poker room on a live stream and that Possible was used as a major attraction, which was true. And he was claiming that this is more than just a situation where a player at a Stones poker table cheated someone, that this was part of a big scheme which actually helped them out, that they profited from and gamed from, and they actually had reason not to want to investigate and stop. Because remember, there was a complaint about the cheating going on back in March, and they did nothing. They claimed they investigated and found nothing, but I don't even believe that. I think there was no investigation done. If you ask me honestly, I I don't think the executives knew until the shit really hit the fan. I think Justin Kouradis didn't take this above him. I I think it was likely that he was involved. Not sure, but I think it's likely he was involved. I actually had this discussion with somebody else recently, and we're kind of debating back and forth whether Justin Caritas was involved, and the other guy was kind of thinking, you know, I, I think it's kind of 50-50, and I said, no, I think it's much more than 50-50 Justin was involved. But uh, I will agree, not 100%, but uh, especially because Ver- Veronica brought the concern to him in March, and he did, like, pretty much nothing, and Postle continued with a very obvious cheating, and Justin did nothing. So that showed that, uh, to me, that Justin probably knew or was like really one of the dumbest, most naive guys ever. Anyway, let's go to the present. Let's go to the present. That was the background. At some point, presumably because Mac knew that the chance of beating stones was low, because I think they're right about that. They don't owe that duty of care to the gamblers. And, I think Mac realized that it's just it's just difficult to win this type of case. There's several reasons why it's difficult to win this type of case. One of them is simply that uh, it's hard to prove this. There's only circumstantial evidence here. They didn't catch Possible red-handed. We can watch the videos and come to a conclusion from our knowledge as poker players that the guy was cheating, that when he's looking down at his crotch the entire time where his phone happens to reside, and somehow he knows the exact right move to make every single time, and that uh, every time there's a tough decision to be made, he's like carefully looking down at his crotch where his phone sits, and that it happens to be a live stream, and that the second the live stream's over, he gets up and doesn't continue playing, and that he's never been seen making moves like this successfully anywhere else but that live stream. I mean, when, and he did this for hours and hours and hours every week for over a year, and that it's right there on video, and we got to watch it all when Chicago Joey went through the whole thing. I mean, to us, it's very clear he was cheating, but it's still circumstantial evidence. And they did not catch him red-handed, 
Nobody has admitted to cheating. Nobody is testifying against him that they helped him cheat. They really have nothing that is beyond circumstantial. And furthermore, it is very, very complicated for people outside of poker to understand this. To you, it may not be complicated. That's because you understand poker, most likely, because you're listening to the show. But most people who are not very familiar with poker cannot understand the difference between someone who's just really good at poker and someone who's making moves that are just insane that uh, wouldn't make any sense if they couldn't see the cards. For those of you that watched Rounders, remember when Michael McDermott was saying what everybody was holding and he got it exactly right? That scene was impossible. But that's what people think poker pros can do. People who don't know much about poker think that poker pros just have this otherworldly ability to just know what everybody has and always know when everybody's bluffing and just always know exactly the right thing to do. And there's nobody like that. The, the best players do have a certain feel for that to a degree, and this allows them to make some pretty amazing plays at times, but nobody's always right. Nobody always can soul read. Nobody always can, can stay out of spots where they don't uh, put in a lot of money from behind or, or, uh, or make a wrong bluff if you do a lot of bluffing. Like nobody, People who do bluff, nobody can just always bluff at the perfect spots and never do it at the wrong time. Unless it's for very small money. Like, nobody can do that. But Puzzle did on these streams. So, this would be very hard to get across to a jury to understand. The defense could easily put forth a very convincing case to those who don't understand poker that well that these are just sore losers, that Mike Puzzle is just really, really good, and that they're just mad that he outplayed them or got very lucky. And they'll go, yeah, yeah, people get lucky. Oh, yeah, people get lucky all the time. Oh, yeah, people are really good at poker. Oh, yeah. So, so, so Possible figured out what they had because they weren't that good. Big deal. So Possible bluffed them because they, they weren't that good. Big deal. Like, these are just sore losers. Like, they could totally paint that. Uh, the jury could easily be swayed to believe that. It's very hard to convince people who don't understand poker well why this was such obvious cheating. So Mac was very aware of this, and, and Mac knew that, uh, his chances of winning were pretty low. So, let's go to what Stones would see this. We see, so, from Mac's perspective, the, the case doesn't look very good at the moment. This is his thinking probably back in June or July. Stones, however, they didn't want to see this go to court either. Why? Because this would not be good for them from a publicity standpoint. They don't like this case being talked about. They don't like being famous for being the home of cheating on their live stream that was likely an inside job. They do not like this story in the news. And if a lawsuit actually proceeded to trial, then there would be a lot of focus on the trial, and this would make them look very bad. So even if they were to win, in a way they would lose, because there would be a lot of publicity that they do not want. They really would like people to stop talking about this. They really would like new news about this case to stop. They would like this to become old and forgotten as much as possible, and that can't happen if there's actually a case playing out in a California courtroom regarding this matter. Additionally, some of their own actions regarding covering up the cheating, such as that initial fake investigation back uh, in in March of last year, uh, this stuff would come to light if it were to play out in court. They would ask Justin Caritas, okay, when Veronica brought this to you, tell us what you did to investigate. Tell us why you didn't 
watch Postle at that point? How was Postle still able to look down at his crotch with his phone down there and nobody from security approached him if you weren't involved? Why was Veronica told that there's nothing wrong happening if you didn't even examine Postle himself? Like, they would have to answer to this. What did you do in this investigation? Who did you do it with? They'd have to bring these people into court. There could be a lot done through discovery as part of this court case that could be very embarrassing to Stones. So they, even if they're going to win, which they probably would, they don't want all of this to come out. They don't want this to be dragged out. They don't want continued publicity about this matter. So they have an incentive to settle. They really have an incentive to settle, and so does Mac Verstandig, because his chance of winning is fairly low. So if they do proceed and go to court, even though they will make Stones look very bad, the overwhelming chance would be that everybody would walk away with zero point zero. So the duty of the attorney in situations like these is to be honest with his client. He needs the, the attorney shouldn't act in his own self-interest of the way he can make money, though, of course, that, that's something he has to take under consideration. I'm not expecting Mac to work for free, but he also has a duty to tell his clients the honest truth about the situation. So um, when, when coming up with the idea, maybe we should settle with stones, he needs to go to each plaintiff, all 88 people. So he can do this in an email to all 88, he doesn't have to tell them individually, but he needs to communicate to all of them, okay, I think we should settle for this and that reason. Here's why. Because if we proceed all the way through trial, even though it'll make stones look bad, we're going to end up with zero. So none of us want that. All of us want to get paid here. That's the whole reason we're suing them. So maybe we should settle. And that's a reasonable thing to do. If I were Mac, I would try to settle with stones at this point. I would think that our chance of losing would be very, very high if we go forward. And that this is one of those rare cases with the party very likely to win probably wants to settle anyway, and not because of the legal fees. Usually, when a party settles that's likely to win, it's because they don't want the legal fees. That's not even what's going on here. Stones wants to settle because they don't want the publicity. So, in early August, of course, not too long ago, since we're in mid-August, in early August 2020, a settlement was reached in principle. However, the terms were not disclosed and all 88 plaintiffs still need to individually agree to accept or reject the terms. Remember, because it's not a class action. So the matter was extended to September 11th, 2020, and that's when the deadline is to get an answer from each of these 88 plaintiffs. Uh, Mac was told he needs to talk to all of them and communicate to all of them the situation and what their options are, and how he feels about the case going forward, and then have each plaintiff decide what they want to do. Uh, a the, the a short document was obtained that was uh, dated. Uh, actually, I don't see the date, but it's pretty recent. No, it's dated August fifth. Uh, it says uh, plaintiffs Veronica Brill et al. Uh, blah, blah, blah. First, the parties seek to extend the time for plaintiffs to file their second amended complaint from August 7th, 2020 to September 11th, 2020, which was granted, by the way. Uh, second is the party's third request for an extension of time for plaintiffs to file a second amended complaint. The court previously extended the time to file a second amended complaint to, from June 23rd to July 7th, then subsequently from July 7th to August 7th. Third, a court may extend time for a party to file an amended complaint for, for good cause. 
uh, counsel for the parties have reached an agreement as to the principal terms of a settlement in this case. So they've already agreed to the terms, but they just haven't had the plaintiffs agree yet. But require additional time to finalize the settlement. Specifically, inasmuch there are 88 plaintiffs in this case, some additional time is needed to communicate with each of these plaintiffs for the final settlement terms and relative benefits and detriments of accepting such a settlement. While counsel for the plaintiffs has regularly updated his clients and communicated with his clients throughout discussions, the plaintiffs herein do not form a class and do not act as a block, so it is expected some time will be needed to ensure every plaintiff is meaningfully counseled and has his or her respective questions substantively addressed on an individualized basis before a finalized settlement can be executed. That's all true. They, they need to be able to communicate with all 88 people individually and any of those 88 who say, hey, Mac, uh, can you answer some questions for me? He needs to be able to talk to each of them individually if they have questions. So that's all true. They do need extra time. I think that's a, a reasonable filing. So anyway, they, uh, this is, so this has been agreed. The time to file has been extended from August 7th to September 11th, 2020. So now they have until September 11th to get an answer here. Now, this has all been reported. It hasn't gotten as much play as it should. Like, there's, there's really not much talk about this on social media. There's, uh, like, one or two posts about this on 2 Plus 2. I think, like, very few posts on 2 Plus 2. And it's really not being covered very much. Card Player did uh, an article about it. But really, it's not being discussed very much. But I will say it has been discussed, so I'm not bringing you anything that you can't find elsewhere. Until I get to the additional part of where I have additional information that has not been disclosed anywhere because it was told to me privately, and I was given permission to reveal it. And in fact, I decided to reveal less than permission was given to me. And I'll tell you why. Not just to torture you, but uh, because, uh, well, I'll, I'll get to the reason shortly. But anyway, here is the confidential secret information that they have not disclosed to the public that I'm now going to disclose to the public because I'm not part of this case. So I'm going to say what the hell I want. I mean, I'm not committing any legal violation by doing so, but, I mean, they'd probably rather I don't, but I'm going to anyway, because you guys want to know. Okay. So I have been told that the settlement, you may say, well, what is the settlement? I wondered that too. That the amount of money being settled for is, uh, it might surprise you a little bit. The amount they're getting is... $100 billion! No. The total settlement amount is... One million dollars. Actually, no. The amount they're really getting is... Zero point zero. Okay, I'm out of sound effects. It's not that either. (laughs) It's none of those three. But it's actually closest to the last one. It's closer to zero point zero than a million dollars or a hundred billion dollars by a wide margin. I actually know how much it is, but I'm not going to tell you that. But I will tell you it is a fairly low nominal sum of money. I can't stress that enough. It is a fairly low nominal sum of money. I don't mean like $5, but I'm saying this is not an impressive sum of money for each person. It's not even a semi-impressive sum of money for each person. It is a fairly low nominal sum of money. This is likely due to the fact that there are 88 plaintiffs, so it's times 88. If it was to one or two people, then they'd be getting better money. But because uh, it's times 88, uh, Stones has to give a, a pretty low sum of money for it to be worth it to them, if you think about it. 
It's kind of like when I would take vacations and if it were just me or just me and my girlfriend going, then it would be cheaper. But the more people you bring in your family, the more expensive it gets. I remember my dad told me this and I didn't fully respect it until I was spending my own money on vacations when I was just going with my dad and he was taking my mom and my brother and sister and me and my dad said, you know, this is times five every time we take a flight. And you know, I knew he was right, but it just it didn't mean that much to me until I started booking flights myself as an adult. And I go, crap, my dad was right. Times five sucks. I, I didn't have five people, but uh, a lot of times I had four. And it was, uh, it was expensive, especially when I got first class. So anyway, times 88, that's, that's a pretty large number to multiply. So when you have to give a settlement and you have to give it to 88 plaintiffs then your settlement figure cannot be very high. In fact, it has to be low if you do not want to spend a ton of money on the settlement. Let's think about this. Even if it were $10,000 per person, which it's not, I wouldn't call 10000 a nominal sum of money. So it's nowhere near $10,000, i will tell you that. If it were 10000 per person, that would be $880,000 per person. So that's... Uh, a lot more than Stones would want to spend, and I'll explain why shortly. So the settlement offer, which I know how much it is, but I'm, I'm, I don't want to reveal it, which I'll explain in a little bit, but I will tell you it's a fairly low nominal sum of money because there's 88 plaintiffs. That's why. I've also been told that Stones stipulated that a minimum of 65 of the 88 people must accept or the deal is off. Now, why would they care about that? Why do they care how many people accept? Well, let's look at the goal of Stones settling here. Is it so they don't lose the court case? No, they think they're going to win. Is it so they don't spend money on attorneys? No. I mean, yeah, they'll save some money, but I don't think they're that worried about that. The main reason is publicity. Now, why would the publicity matter as far as how many people accept this? Well, let's go to the next point. I've been told that the settlement includes a mutual non-disparagement agreement. Oh, no. Oh, no. A non-disparagement agreement. This means they can't bash stones. They cannot say anything bad about stones or Justin Caritas, apparently. This does not cover Mike Postle. They can continue bashing Postle and say horrible, mean, and nasty things about him, which he deserves, but they cannot, according to this agreement, disparage Stones or Justin Caritas anymore. At the same time, Justin Caritas and Stones will waive their right to sue these plaintiffs over the previous disparagement. So basically, the agreement is, whatever you said about us before is forgiven, we can't sue you, uh, however, going forward, once this agreement is in place, you cannot bash Stones and you cannot bash Justin Caritas. And we will also not bash you. It's a mutual non-disparagement agreement from what I have been told. Additionally, all sides will have to acknowledge that there was no evidence of cheating found by Justin Caritas or Stones. I believe they're going to have to sign their name to a statement claiming that. And that statement will be by Mac for standing, signed by the people who agree. Now, keep in mind, they're not saying that there wasn't cheating or that Stones, that they've become convinced that Stones didn't do it. 
or wasn't involved. They're just saying they didn't find evidence of it. That the people are put, will put out, they put their names on a statement that no evidence has been found that Stones and Caradus did this. I've also been told that Stones wanted it to be further than that. They actually wanted it to be said. They just didn't do it. They wanted people to put out a statement saying, hey, you know what? Uh, we were wrong. You guys had nothing to do with it. Caradus was innocent all this time, so was Stones. And Max said, uh-uh, no, but they're not doing that. They, they don't believe that. They, they do believe that uh, Stones is responsible. They do believe Caradus is responsible. They're just willing to put out that they didn't find proof of it. So they're willing to put out that they have no evidence, but they're not willing to say that they don't believe it happened. So Stones like, uh, okay, fine, 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 fine. So that's, uh, that was apparently negotiated according to the person who told me this stuff. Let's go back to the 65 of 88 people. So now that they have the non-disparagement term in this whole thing, for those that accept it, those that don't accept it are not bound by any terms. Let's say, uh, hypothetically, only 10 out of the 88 accepted this, and 78 did not accept. And then the 78 people went onto Twitter and bashed Stones mercilessly for the next uh, few years. Would Stones gain very much out of this if... Only 10 out of the 88 stopped bashing them. They had 78 still people on uh, 78 people still on Twitter coming after them hard. And only 10 who went quiet? No. At, at some point, you don't get much out of it if uh, you have a lot of people bashing you on social media. If you just remove a few of them, it's not going to matter. Like, let's think about, uh, think about if, you, if you're in school as a kid and uh, you're getting bullied by some people. A lot of people are bullying you. you got... Uh, Ten kids bullying you. Let's say bullying you in the, by words, not by hitting you, but just by saying nasty and mean things about you. Okay? You probably feel pretty crappy with ten kids uh, surrounding you, insulting you. Um, would, would it really matter if uh, two of those ten went quiet? They weren't defending you. They just went quiet. Two of the ten just decided they're going to stop doing that. I mean, you'd be happy to see it, but would it really make that much of a difference if it was eight kids making fun of you instead of ten? No. Because... Still, everybody around would see a ton of people making fun of you, and it would have the same effect, and you'd feel just as crappy, and the two quitting would be just pretty meaningless. Now, if nine of the ten or eight of the ten stopped and it was only one or two kids making fun of you, that would be a big difference. That would be a big difference if uh, only one or two are insulting you rather than like a big crowd of people around you insulting you. So what Stones wanted here was not just these people to go quiet. They wanted most of them to go quiet. So it's not worth much to them unless a large percentage of those who are suing them agree to shut up about this going forward. Now, of course, this doesn't affect people like me who bash stones that have nothing to do with this lawsuit. It, But they figure if those who are suing them, the ones who feel most screwed by the matter to where they're willing to enter a court case against them, uh, if those people go quiet, then they've gained something here. But how much have they gained? And that's something Stones had to decide. How much is it worth it to Stones for these people to quit disparaging them? Because the truth is that not all 88 are disparaging them. In fact, uh, I think they've actually gone quiet during the lawsuit process, which makes sense. You know, Mac probably advised them not to say anything on social media, which is the correct advice. Uh, I, I Actually, I don't know if he has. I know Veronica said some things, but whatever. I, I have to assume there's, there's some guidelines that Mac gave them as far as uh, what they say on social media. But the thing is, once this is over, uh, Stones might be worried that you are going to really unload with nothing to lose anymore. Because there's, there will be a lawsuit that's ongoing anymore if it's dismissed. So 
they uh, they want most of them quiet. They figure these are going to be the loudest people. These are the ones who actually lost money in the thing. People on the outside, like me, didn't lose money, so we're not as passionate. So the people who really lost money, that have the most credibility because they were victims, if you can quiet them down, there's some value to that. There really is. And that's smart. That actually is smart on Stone's part. So they have to figure out at Stone's, and they did figure it out, how much it is worth to them to quiet these people down. Now let's go back to that figure. Do you think for Stone's business, present and future, do you think to quiet these people down, let's say they quieted all 88 down, do you think it would be worth $1 million? You think so? No, it would not be. They're not a gigantic operation. Now, maybe if it was something like Commerce, it would be worth that, but Stones is not that big. And some of the damage is already done. They were growing very quickly. They were gaining prestige in the poker world. They were having tournaments there where big-name pros were showing up. Big-name pros were also going to their live streams. They even had Negranu on there. They had a a lot of big-name players were coming to Stones to play, which is kind of strange to think about, given that it's a small room in Sacramento. So they were really doing well because of that stream. They were really growing in the poker community. They were gaining a lot of respect. But now what are they known for? They are known for the home of the Mike Postle live stream cheating. And that that's what they'll be known for for a long time in the poker community as a whole. Now, they realize that the local players don't have that many options, and the local players don't care that much about it if they didn't play on the live stream. The lo- local players can't love this, but gamblers tend to be kind of selfish, and if they, if they personally have a good experience, then they don't really give a crap of what happens to other people. So they know that, and they know that the local business from Sacramento is still going to come, even with this whole scandal. But they, they kind of realize that as their future as a national destination, their future as a place where big-name poker pros come to play, that's pretty much done, no matter what happens. doesn't matter with that lawsuit. Their name is Mud. Like, can you picture a lot of big-name pros going to play tournaments at Stones at this point? It's not going to happen. Can you picture them reviving the live stream and that having a good reputation again? It's never going to happen. This is this has ruined that for life. And they know that. So they're they're returning back to their original plan of let's just be a, a good local card room in Sacramento that's popular and makes money. That's, that's what they're looking for. Uh, they were reaching beyond that. And they were actually making some progress, but that progress has been ruined by the Mike Postle scandal. And that's that. They can't come back from that. So given that being the case, the silence of those suing them going forward, if, they, if there is a settlement here, that's not worth that much to them. So therefore, they did not offer that much money. Now, I can't tell you this for sure. I've sound like I was in during the, the board meeting of uh, the owners and management of Stone's. So I don't know. Like, I don't know for certain, but I'm using common sense and logic combined with the information I was told about the terms of the settlement. So all of that together is why Stones decided, you know, we're, we're, we'll give some money to this, but we're not going to put a whole lot into this. Like, they're not going to give anywhere near a million-dollar settlement. And when I say anywhere near, I really mean anywhere near at all. So they they came up with an amount where all 88 people get a nominal sum of money. Remember, because it's 88 people, so you, it can't be that high without the, the figure becoming very high overall. And they're offering that, along with the non-disparagement agreement. Now, 
the question from there is, what should the plaintiffs do? And what would I do if I was one of the plaintiffs? Well, to me, it would not be worth it. Why? Because I would have to be quiet. Because I would lose my ability to bash stones and Justin Kareidis going forward. And if I were one of the people cheated, that would really, really piss me off if I couldn't do it, even if I didn't have this show. Even if I didn't have my forum. Even if I was just a regular guy just on Twitter. I would be very bothered that I could not say this anymore. That for all of time, for all of eternity, I am agreeing never to bash Stones and never to bash Justin Kuretis. Now, Justin Kuretis probably isn't getting any kind of high-profile poker job ever again, again because of this. And as I said, Stones is probably not going to be a national destination ever again. But still, there may be reason to want to comment on them in the future as one of the victims, and you can't anymore once you accept this nominal sum of money. To me, it would not be anywhere near worth it. Now, if I accepted a large sum of money as a result of this whole thing, then maybe I would. I'd have to balance it. I'd have to say, well, I, I would like to keep bashing them, but at the same time, uh, I would like a settlement for what was done to me, so I've got to give up one or the other, so I'll take the settlement. So yes, silence can be bought under certain circumstances, especially if you were one of the victims. Um, it, it's different when your silence is being bought as not one of the victims. Like, let's say Stones came to me and said, you know what, Todd, your your show is growing here during the pandemic. A lot of people are at home listening to your show. It's true, our ratings have gone up during the pandemic. But Stones comes to me and says, you know what, I'm I'm so tired of you doing these puzzle segments. It just it's it's uh, it's hurting our business. We're going to give you some money. Here's here's ten thousand dollars. Stop talking about us. I would not accept that 10000 And by the way, I want to make it clear they haven't done this. They have not contacted me in any way. But just I'm making up a hypothetical. If they did, I wouldn't accept it because I would think it would be unethical. I'm not going to let people bribe me into not talking about them on the show. I, I want to talk about what I want to talk about. And if I don't talk about something, there needs to be a real good reason not to talk about something, not because someone's bribing me not to talk about it. So I would not accept that money. However, if something bad happened to me, at the hands of someone else or something else, like a business, and they say, we're going to compensate you for what happened, but in return, don't bring this up elsewhere, don't bash us, then I would agree. It would depend how much money. If they said, here's 100 bucks, so be quiet now. In the future, I'd give them a big middle finger. So, um, you know, there's a lot you have to consider. You can't always take the highest of high roads and say, no, I'm always going to say what I want. I'm always going to tell the truth. I'm always going to call you out if you behave badly. And if you screwed me over, I'm going to stand and shout it from the mountaintops no matter what you pay me. Like it, You have to look. If you were the victim, if you're being offered a settlement, you have to weigh it all together and see if this is the right thing for you to do. Because it involved you. You were the victim. But if you're not the victim, if you're third party, you're being bribed for silence. That's a whole different story. Anyway, uh, Stones has not bribed anyone for silence. I've never heard of that, so I'm not saying that's going on. I'm just giving hypotheticals. Anyway, I would not accept it if I were one of the plaintiffs. I would just say this this isn't worth it to me. Now, I, as I said earlier in the show about Negranu, I'm not going to make the same mistake and assume that everybody's like me. For example, I have this show. Most others do not have a poker or gambling radio show. I run a forum which talks about scams and shady things in poker and gambling. Most people do not. So most of these 88 plaintiffs aren't very well known in poker. 
or anywhere. And most of them are just kind of regular people who played on that stream at some point and lost to Puzzle. And they may have Twitter accounts, but they don't have a huge following. And a lot of them may not want to get involved in the drama. And a lot of them may not even want to call out Stones or Kuretas. A lot of them may be pissed off, but they don't want to take it to social media and bitch about it. So for these people, it's it's a no-brainer to accept because if they weren't planning to bash Stones or Kuretas anyway, then they might as well take the take the money, whatever it is. Because it's better than zero. So I would understand those people who really were not going to have a desire to say anything about Stones or Kuretis ever to accept that. Because if if that was already in your plans, then sure, that makes sense to go along with it. If it was in your plans, or you think it might be in the future, to bash Stones or Kuretis and social media, then it probably isn't smart to take the money unless you are really, really desperate for money because this is nowhere near big money. No, we're near medium money. It's just not, it's not, it's a nominal sum of money. So if this is going to restrict something that you otherwise wanted to do or will want to do in the near future or anytime in the future, then you probably shouldn't take it unless you have a desperate need for money. If you're not going to be able to eat this month without that money, I suggest you take the money. If otherwise though, and I, I have to imagine most of these 88 people don't need the money that badly because it's not that much and it's not going to, it wouldn't do that much for anybody unless they really, really were desperate right now. Then if they, it really boils down to, would I like to continue talking about Stones and Justin Caritas? Or am I done with that? Or have I not even done it yet? Like, If I have no desire to do this in the future, then yeah, then you might as well take it. So that's what it comes down to. How many of the, 60, how many of the 88, will they get 65 saying yes? I don't know. I was not given that information. I was not told what the feelings are among the people who were offered this. I know that there's uh, a number of people still deciding. I do not have any information on uh, any like percentage who said yes or no. I have none of that, so I'm afraid I can't give that to you. So if the, That's something I'm not holding back. I just don't have it, and I probably won't have it. Uh, they are not supposed to disclose the settlement amount, and that is why I'm not putting it out there. I was going to put it out there, and then I thought, you know what? I have respect for those that got ripped off here. I see why they're pissed off. I would be pissed off, too. I would be part of a lawsuit, too, if I was one of the victims. And I have respect for Mac Verstandig and what he does. So I don't want to be a force in screwing this over. I don't want Stones to go, oh, well, look, this the info of this got out, so... uh but you know what? Screw it. This isn't worth it to us. We're pulling back the settlement. I don't want settlement to be ruined because of me. I'm not going to walk on eggshells and not report things, but I, I also don't want to give too many details that could affect the settlement. So I'm not going to say it now, and uh, I don't foresee it to where I say it ever. I'm not promising not to say it ever, but I don't foresee that I'm going to because uh, I, I don't see a reason to do this. And... Uh, I just want it, I want it to play out the way it's going to play out. I want everybody who is uh, deciding on this, the 88 people that are deciding upon what they're going to do here, I want them to fully understand. And I, I trust that Mac has communicated this to them in in a, an honest fashion. And the person who told me about this said that Mac has done this. So I, I don't feel that Mac is trying to pull a fast one on anybody. And I think he is being straightforward about what's going on there. So it's important to know that. But uh, yeah, those, I do want 
those 88 people to kind of think about really what the big question is. The, the amount of money being offered, is it worth it to not speak about this on social media again? If the answer is yes, then by all means, take it. I'm not being sarcastic. If the answer is yes, then definitely take it. You're doing the right thing. If the answer is no, if the answer is, yeah, I'd kind of like to speak about this, then you're, you're really not receiving enough money to make that worth it to you. At least that's my opinion. It's up to you, of course, but uh, to me, that would not be nearly worth it to keep my mouth shut if I was going to say something otherwise. That's what it boils down to. And I, I also wanted the community just to generally know that uh, any, quote, settlement is not going to cost Stones all that much money. So I don't want people returning to Stones thinking, okay, well, they paid theirs, they took responsibility, and uh, now this is over. Like, I think people will see through this statement about Stones and Justin didn't do it, or, or there's no evidence it was found. Like, when, whenever a settlement is announced and someone's getting some money, big or small, and then the person receiving the money puts out a statement about uh, such and such defendant was actually innocent or it was a misunderstanding or you, you can read between the lines you know what the truth is you know that they weren't innocent but you're you're having to say this to get the money a good example of this this wasn't about uh i'm not sure if this ever became an actual court case but uh, remember mark clang got ripped off by various poker pros and, and other people who ran an illegal blackjack game in florida and he won like five hundred thousand even though he was like totally high on drugs and didn't know what he was doing. He just super lucked into it. And then they couldn't afford to pay him and tried to not pay him and claim he was cheating when he wasn't. Remember remember they tried to screw poor uh, degenerate Mark Klang? We had him on this show. Eventually they came to a settlement. And Remember John Raisner was involved. Remember, remember that uh, when the settlement was reached that Mark Klang basically put out a statement on 2 Plus 2 that totally contradicted everything else he said before Basically saying, yeah, it was all big misunderstanding, guys. Just bad communication. That's all. Nobody, nobody did anything wrong here. Just we were all kind of not listening to each other, and now we've resolved it. No problem. Everyone was cool here. Everyone's great. Don't be mad at anybody. That, that's basically what he put out. I didn't believe that for a second. I knew Mark Klang just wanted to be paid and was willing to say pretty much anything to get the money. The reason he brought this out to the public was because they were screwing him and cheating him, and he wanted the, the social pressure on the people to pay him, which is fine. I think that was the right thing to do, but uh, his statement to get the money just wasn't true. I'm not saying he shouldn't have done it. If that was the only way to get paid, fine, put it out. But I'm just saying that it's not like when I read Mark Lang's statement, I wasn't like, oh, so it was a big misunderstanding. Oh, okay, so so John Raisner wasn't trying to rip him off of his winnings there. And Justin Zaki, same thing. Like, I, I, I didn't think anything better of the guys who screwed him. I thought that they did this because they knew the consequences for not doing so were worse than just getting the money together and paying. So these type of statements mean little to me, and most others are smart enough to see through it. But at the same time, people may go, okay, well, look, there was a settlement, and Stones, they took their lumps, and it was really possible doing most of this, so you know, let's blame him, and Stones stepped up and, and paid, so let's let's let them off the hook. And I, I want everyone to kind of understand what's really going on. Furthermore, I do want to say something about Stones. Not in their defense, but just, I mean, let's be honest about the whole thing here. I don't think the executives of Stones knew as it was happening. 
I mentioned that a bit earlier, but it's an important thing to think about that stones. What I don't believe, I don't know for sure, but I don't believe the executives were getting together just in Korea is going, yeah, let's, let's keep having Mike Postle cheat on the stream. And we're going to promote him as this godlike character who can just keep beating everybody at the table, including great pros. And it'll elevate our, our, stream to being super popular and everyone will want to come to stone to make so much money <laughs> like that that wasn't going on at board meetings for stone's gambling hall i don't think this went any higher than justin caratus i think the executives are blindsided by it when they found out i think that the quote investigation that caratus did back in march of 2019 did not go any higher than him I don't think they found out about this until Veronica made a big deal on social media, and by the time the executives knew, the horse was already out of the barn. So at that point, the executives had a very unpalatable decision. Either admit that cheating was happening and open themselves to all kinds of lawsuits where there's a decent chance they'll lose, or cover it up. And there's really not much in between. They tried to kind of make it go away and, and, and say we're doing investigation, but the, the bottom line is the public wanted answers. This became a huge scandal, and no one was going to be satisfied unless there was some conclusion, and they realized that. So, And then they were getting sued, too. So at some point, it's like either, yeah, totally take our lumps, admit it, and just pay out huge sums of money in, in settlements and lawsuits and uh, just do that, you know, that's the moral high ground, but it's going to cost, cost them a ton of money. In a perfect world, they would, but let's let's face it, you know, would you do this if you owned Stones and one of your employees did this and was, was in collusion with uh, one of the players in the game to screw the game? Like, would you want to admit this was happening knowing this might open you up to tons of liability? And it's it's hard to say yes to that. You can claim you would, but I think if the position, if you were there in that position, you probably would, is the, is the truth. Now, I'm not saying they handled this well, what they could have done from the very start is made some kind of settlement offer to those who were harmed by this. And then they could have even had them put out some statement like we found no evidence of cheating, something like that. You, you can have them pre- say pretty much anything, just pay pay everybody something. The problem is there was such a large number of people. Like They, they analyze this. I'm sure they go, oh, crap, there's like probably hundreds of people involved. And if we paid them all, even if, even if we pay them all uh, something relatively small, it's going to add up to a lot. Like there, there was no easy way out of this for Stone's gambling hall. There, there really wasn't. So they just defaulted to the easiest thing to do, which was deny. And I kind of understand it. I'm not saying they should have. I'm just saying there was no way that they could handle this to where there wasn't going to be a lot of damage to them. And they knew that. So uh, I'm not defending them. And would I go back and play there? No. Because I, I don't like a lot of what they did. And I don't like the lying and the fake investigation and the way they tried to make Veronica look bad. There's a lot of stuff that happened there that I don't like, and I would not give them business after what they did to the community. But at the same time, I don't believe the inve- the executives knew about it as it was happening, and then they had a very tough choice to make, and they ended up going with the self-serving choice, but one that you can kind of understand, because there was no easy way out. There was no easy way out.
So, you know, what do you do? You own a business, one or more of your employees acted badly and conspired with a customer to cheat other customers. You then put yourself on the hook for millions of dollars potentially in liability if you admit to it. Or do you just deny, deny, and realize that immature California law is going to protect you? Yeah, they're not indestructible. And it was unbelievable. Yeah, the feelings of being cheated never die. That's true. And they want another chance at Stones. This could be about Stones, this song here. There's no easy way out. There's no shortcut home. We can't say Apostle cheated us. We have to deny, deny to the end. I don't want to say he cheated. I don't want to say Justin was involved. I don't want to say our stream is compromised. I don't want to say that you, we screwed you. You know our stream was popular. We were competing with live at the bike. But now we're going to be suffering. We still need our local business coming here. There's no easy way out. We can't say this happened. There's no easy way out. Veronica, she made it up. I start too early. Baby, we lost in this poker game. Baby, we don't like that we lost our bucks. But you know that there's nothing we can do. Sometimes life just really sucks. So we're just not going to pay out much. We'll settle for a little money. And you may be asking how this happened. Because California law is lame. There's no easy way out. We're not paying you much. There's no easy way out. You're going to get really, really screwed. There's no easy way out. Veronica made this up. There's no easy way out. There's no easy, no easy way out. There's no easy way out. Apostle just got lucky. There's no easy way out. Even if it's really, really, really sucky, there's no easy way out. Our reputation's crap. There's no easy way out. Playing with Possel, playing with Possel was a trap. Lyrics could have been better for me, but I made it up on the spot, so... 
I decided to play that, like, as I was saying, no easy way out. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. All right. Not much more to say here. I don't know what happened to Trader Ruski. We just, we just lost him. I just kind of realized I've just been alone here for a long time. Like, I, I really have done like 99.9% of the talking in this show. And now it's 100%. Everybody's gone. Brandon hasn't showed up yet. It's, it's tough. It's tough, people. I hope that uh, the plaintiffs and Mac are not too angry at me for putting this out. I'm on your side. I really am. And I think you can tell that. I was told some things, and I had to decide what do I disseminate to the public and what do I keep quiet about. And I, I picked kind of a middle ground. I'm giving a little more information than was provided in the official uh, public release, but uh, I'm also holding some things back. And keep in mind that uh, I, I, want to, I want to make one thing clear, though. This was not leaked to be my Mac. He has nothing to do with the fact that I know this information. And I'm being honest about that. I swear that's true. So I, I don't want uh, I don't want it believed that I'm being used as a conduit to put that out there because I'm not party to the case. Like this isn't some sneaky trick by Mac. He has no idea I'm doing this. So uh, he didn't tell me any of this. I imagine if I asked him, would you uh, prefer I do this or don't do this? I'm pretty sure he'd say don't do it. But I'm not involved in this. I'm a Neutral third party who runs a poker forum and a poker radio show. And I think it's in the public interest to know some of these things, but I am tempering it with what I think is best for those who are suing stones, who I am rooting for. I am rooting for you. I'm being honest here. You guys know I don't lie. I'm rooting for the win for the plaintiffs to win here. By the way, you know who's really suffered the most here? I made reference to it in my little song there, but Veronica has taken such a beating here unfairly. There's trolls that constantly harass Veronica on Twitter still. Like, there's still trolls who are either Possible himself or his friends. I don't know who they are, but there's, like, various trolls that tweet about her and attack her. And she doesn't deserve any of this. She did the right thing. She came forward with accusations about cheating that actually was occurring, that if she was concerned about, that nobody else had the balls to come forward and do. And the person who did have the balls is one actually who has no balls. <laughs> the person without balls actually had the balls here. So she came out and did this and made this accusation against someone who uh, she considered uh, kind of a moderate-level friend. You know, she was kind of friendly with Possel. She puts this out there. Her friends really liked Possel, and if she were wrong, her entire group of friends in the Sacramento area would have hated her for unfairly accusing Mike Possel of this. And she took this chance to do the right thing, and you have to admire that, because she did this for no personal gain. She did, I, I hear so many stupid things being said about her that she did this uh, because she wasn't relevant enough. She wanted to get poker famous. She wanted people to notice her. Uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of nasty things I won't repeat out here. I won't bother repeating because they're not true. And she was trying to do the right thing. She really was. I, she was on this show. I 100% believe what she had to say regarding her motivations. She just didn't feel it was right to know about this cheating, to know Stones is not addressing it, and to know that lambs are going right into the slaughter there week after week and getting cheated. So she came out and said, 
This may screw my reputation if I'm wrong. Even if I'm right, this may screw my reputation. There's going to be people who hate me for this, but there's cheating going on, guys. I got to tell everybody. There's cheating going on. And for that, she should be put on a pedestal. You should say, this is a great person. This is a selfless person. And yet, there are these trolls attacking her. Now, yes, they're associated with Postle for the most part. But now she's taking this shit for the last almost year on social media. And I don't think there's enough people defending her. There's some. But whenever I see this, I go off on it because it it pisses me off. If anyone does not deserve hate here, it's Veronica. She was... She did something I wish more people would do in poker. So she sees cheating. She reports it at personal risk to herself. And now she's getting harassed by, by trolls. Terrible. So when you see that going on, you should really condemn it. As I said, I know a lot of this is Apostle himself and friends of his. I, I know it's not neutral people for the most part, but the neutral people should should call it out and say this is bullshit and call it out that it's probably Mike or directed by Mike. Because they're, they're bitter about it. They're, they're very bitter. I think it's a mixture of Mike with fake accounts and friends of Mike's that he's brainwashed into believing that he was unfairly targeted. Mike has played victim big time to his friends. He has been convincing his friends that Veronica did this with selfish motivations and falsely accused him and spun everybody up. And then people like Joey Ingram jumped on it, who just did this for clicks. And then they've ruined Mike's reputation permanently and made everyone hate him and made him widely known in the poker community as one of the biggest cheaters ever. And it's all BS and all made up and that uh, Veronica is to blame. That's the narrative Mike's been pushing to his friends and some have bought it, especially the ones that like him. And they feel bad for him. And he gives a whole sob story about uh, his daughters being told that he's a cheater (laughs) and all this other stuff. So... Uh, he he's, he loves to bring out the I'm a victim stories so you feel bad for him. And he did this on when he was on the Mike Mattisau podcast. He did this when he was tweeting about it until he went dark with that. I just laugh at that. I just go, come on, Mike. You're not a victim. You're not a victim at all. In fact, you've gotten away with it. Your Your reputation has not gotten away with it, but you have not had to pay any money. You haven't had to reimburse the people you cheated. You haven't gone to jail. Really, Mike Postle should be inside a jail cell for what he did. That's where he should be. He should have had all his assets confiscated and liquidated, given to the victims, and he should be in a jail cell. That's where he should be. That's the truth. That's not where he is, so he got away pretty well. All right, so we have another piece of Postle news. Two pieces of Postle news in one week. The next thing I want to talk about involving Postle, something I didn't ever expect to see, his ex-wife appeared on social media and said that she wanted to talk to Veronica. Oh, my, 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 my. That is something that I didn't expect to happen, but it did happen. So, his ex-wife is on Twitter. Her name is Sabrina Ott, or Sabina, not Sabrina, Sabina Ott. And her name, her, her Twitter handle or screen name is at Berlin Mad Chen. B-R-B-E-R-L-I-N-M-A-D-C-H-E-N. Berlin, Berlin Mad Chen. You know, Berlin like the city. Berlin Mad Chen. I don't know what that means, but, uh, 
her, na- her name Sabina Ott, which uh, I'm being told is actually uh, a form of her maiden name, but then she- her first name wasn't Sabina, and she's changed that too. I'm being told that by a certain person communicating with me. I don't know if they're reliable. It's someone I don't really know. But that's what uh, is being told to me. Anyway, it has been generally acknowledged, though not 100% verified, that this is a real account, that this really is Postle's ex-wife. You might wonder, what does Postle's ex-wife look like? Well, Postle actually did pretty well in that department, at least as far as uh, looks. Now, I realize that when someone posts their own picture, that they are selecting the very best pictures of themselves to post. Often there are filters involved, especially if it's women doing it. Women love filters these days. I hate that. I would, I would be going crazy. I, I hate it even not being part of the dating scene. I would, I would detest filters if I were dating. Like, I would be going crazy if I were using dating apps and all the women my age are using filters, which, which most of them are. Like, the, the young ones, they use them too, but not as much because they know they're, they're young and pretty and they, they don't have wrinkles yet. Like they, they don't have as many reasons to filter themselves where the, the women over 40, they're like, Oh, sweet. So I can use these filters and make myself look like I'm 25 again. Great. Okay. Here we go. And they, they're like, well, it's still me. Like for some reason, they don't want to post pictures from 15 years ago. They think that's unethical or whatever, but then they'll, they'll post a filtered picture taken yesterday. Because they go, it's well, it's me currently. Yeah, I'm filtering the hell out of it, so it doesn't really look like me. But it's still, you know, it's still me. I'd be going crazy. Like I, I have male friends my age, and they send me a picture of some girl they're talking to from a dating app, and they go, oh, "Isn't she hot?" I go, well, "How old is she?" Oh, she's 46. I go, "No." They go, "Well, no, she is." I go, "No, I believe it. I just don't think this is how she looks at 46. Like, no 46 looks, no 46 year old looks as young. That's got to be a filter." And then I look at the picture more closely, and it's definitely a filter. You can you start to be able to tell it's a filter. So the the one picture on Sabina Ott's Twitter, which is not used all that often, looks filtered. You can tell, especially by her eyes in the picture. Her eyes are kind of like too sparkly and glowing. You, you get to recognize filters if you've seen enough of them. And uh, I've noticed them, and they're increasing over time. And I don't know how old she is, but I believe she's older than she looks in that picture because it's filtered. So... Keep that in mind when you look at Sabina Ott's picture that she's probably not as hot as it appears in the picture, but she does look like a, a pretty woman. I think Mike did well there looks-wise. I don't know much about her otherwise, but uh, he seemed to have uh, married someone pretty at one point. But uh, they're not together anymore. And remember, they have a kid. And I think Mike has custody. I don't know if he has full custody, but... That's kind of a weird situation in itself. But anyway, she had not spoken out until very recently. Now, she's listed as being from Las Vegas, of all things, which I don't think Possel ever lived in Las Vegas. Or if he has, he hasn't been there a long time. He's been in Sacramento for quite some time. But she's in Las Vegas. I don't know what she does for a living. I don't know much about her. Uh, To show you how infrequently she uses her Twitter, she joined in October 2009... Her second-to-last tweet uh, that she outright sent before this uh, this stuff about uh, Possel, her second-to-last tweet was sent in 2010. The account has been dark over 10 years. The last thing she tweeted was on January 7, 2010, I got a chihuahua puppy, I got a chihuahua puppy so cute. Well, that puppy is now an old dog. That, that puppy's now ten and a half years old, at least. Could be eleven. 
may even be dead. I hope your Chihuahua is still alive, but I, I think they last a while. I mean, my dog's a lot bigger than Chihuahua, and he's 15 and a half. But anyway, her Chihuahua puppy is now 11. That shows you how long it's been since she tweeted. Then she put a new profile pic up on August 12th in preparation for tweeting to Veronica. And then she tweeted to Veronica, I am Mike Postle's ex-wife. I emailed you. And then Veronica wrote back, I got it. I'll text you. And Sabina said back, okay. And that's it. She hasn't tweeted anything else. Do I know what she's talking about with Veronica? I wish, but I don't know. I have not tried to ask. Maybe I could message Veronica about it, but I, I, if, I, don't know, I kind of feel like I'd be prying. I'd, I, I don't know. I, just, I don't want to intrude in a private conversation. I'd like to know what was happening, but I, I don't want to put pressure on Veronica to tell me, so I'm, I'm not going to message her about it. But I am curious. Everybody's curious. But she did want to talk about something with Veronica. And obviously it wasn't pro Postle. <laughs> Clearly, unless this is some sort of trick, unless she's in, on good terms with Postle and pretending not to be, which I don't think is the case, then she's trying to talk about something with Veronica pretty much from the standpoint of the enemy of the enemy is my friend. Clearly, Sabina's been watching what's going on and wants Veronica's help in some way. I do wonder if this is about like child custody or something. Maybe she wants Veronica's help in testifying against Postle for child custody reasons. I don't know, but there's something that must be bothering Sabina. I don't know when they got a divorce, but I know it's been a while. But something is pissing her off about her ex-husband, Mike Postle, and she's joining forces with Veronica. Hmm. What could be happening here? Now... I responded a little bit about this. My responses really don't matter very much, but I was just kind of commenting about how this is interesting. But an individual contacted me. I'm not going to say who he is, but an individual contacted me, someone who is not known in poker. And this person was uh, pretty pro-possible. And this person claimed to know a lot about Sabina Ott, his ex-wife. And this person was claiming that uh, it's not as innocent as it seems. And that uh, basically she's coming into the mix now because she's trying to selfishly uh, get help with her own motives. That she's got something she's doing against Postle and that she's she knows what's been going on here and, and just wants help from anyone who hates Postle. And that's that she really doesn't give a crap about the poker community and is doing this selfishly, which might be true. That might might be true, but it, it can be true, but also not bad because that's what you do. If, if there's someone you think is screwing you and you know that someone has screwed someone else, you may go to that someone else and say, hey, let's join forces without really caring that much about the other person. I mean, it'd be nice if you care about the other person, too, but you, you can do it selfishly and join up selfishly with someone because you have the same goal uh, in common. And that doesn't make you a bad person to do. So I, I'm not expecting Sabina Ott, who, as far as I know, isn't really involved in poker, to take an intense interest in this and want to see justice for the cheating that went on. If she just wants help in getting Mike Postle in some way because of her issues with him, 
and where the situation that occurred here could be helpful to her if if she can be helped fine because really possibly didn't face justice for what had happened so if he can face justice in a different way it's kind of the same reason that uh, on a smaller scale or i guess on a larger scale that he didn't feel sorry for al capone for being busted for tax evasion <laughs> whether or not al capone really uh deserved the sentence he got for uh evading taxes that didn't really matter because he knew what Capone was really guilty of. And in reality, he was being sentenced for that stuff, not for tax evasion. Tax evasion was what they could convict him on. So this is something similar. If, he, if uh, Postle could face some sort of justice for what he did uh, in a different way through his ex-wife, then so be it. And... Uh, you may say, well, come on, you know, this is, what if this involves their kid? What if she wants custody? And uh, she, what if Possel loses custody or loses some of the custody he has over this? Is this really fair? Well, yes, because <laughs> I don't think that's a good person to be raising a kid. Would you want your kid being raised by Mike Possel? Do you think that's a good role model? You think that's the per- person you want teaching your kid right and wrong? If... Uh, I had a female relative who was married to Mike Possel. I would definitely not want the kid around him, given what he did. So even if Possel loves the kid, which he might, uh, if, if he's setting a very poor example by being a scammer, it's it, the kid is probably better off away from the parent, is the truth. Especially if the other parent is there. Now, I know there's complications. I don't know much about this uh, Sabina Ott Maybe she has her own issues, and maybe the kid is actually better off with Possel. I'll give you an example in poker. Remember Gavin Smith? Sure you do. Gavin Smith, the poker pro who had a lot of degenerate tendencies and a very, very, very bad drinking problem, who passed away, I think it was last year. Something that was very surprising to me to find out about Gavin was that he had full custody of his two young children and that the mother was in a different state, that Gavin Smith was actually permitted to get up and leave Alaska where the kids were living and take them all the way to Texas. He didn't kidnap them and run off with them. The court permitted him to have full custody and leave the state with the kids, leaving the mom back in Alaska. Now, I don't know much about that mom, but she must have been pretty screwed up. Gavin Smith was not exactly the ideal parental figure. The guy had a very bad drinking problem. The guy was a degenerate, and the guy was constantly shooting off his money. These things are all true. Regardless of what you may or may not have liked about him, uh, these things were well known about him, that Gavin Smith was always broke, even though he was a good poker player who, who did well in tournaments, that he was always finding ways to shoot off the money, and that he drank all day and all night. So this is not the best person to be raising kids. But... It looks like the other option was probably much worse. I'm, I'm sure the mom brought up in court, like, hey, you know, Gavin drinks all day and all night, and he's a degenerate, and probably compared to whatever she had going on, Gavin was still the better parent. And to Gavin's credit, even though he and I didn't get along, I was told that he really did love those kids very much, and they very much loved him. So at least uh, he was a, a loving father, and I know he cared about the kids a lot. And so it's very sad for them that they lost him, despite his flaws, but he also wasn't a good example. 
like the, the kids grow up watching him drinking all day and all night, uh, there's a lot higher of a chance that they would develop a drinking problem as well. Right now, when they're little children, that doesn't matter as much, but uh, as they get older and see that, that's not a good influence. So, uh, now they're not going to see that, obviously, because he's, he's passed away, but the bottom line is, it is possible that Mike Possel is the better of the two parents. It's, it's, it is possible that Possel is a good dad, for the most part, to his daughter. And it is possible that, possible that this uh, Sabina Ott had a lot of issues of her own that were worse than Possel's. Because we hate Possel, but, and Possel did a lot of bad things to poker, and he's not a good role model, for sure. But at the same time, there are scenarios where the ex could be worse, and the fact that he had custody, if that's true, he claims he does. I don't know if he does. I can't say he has full custody, because I know he's claimed that, but that may not be the reality. Of course, you can't believe anything Possel says. But if he does have full custody, that does say something about the mom, because they, they rarely award full custody to the dad unless the mom is real screwed up. So I don't know what's going on there, but it's easy to think of, of Possel as the really bad, evil, terrible guy, and the ex-wife is some sweet, salt-of-the-earth, lovely lady, and that she got screwed by Possel, too, and is just fighting to get her kids back. And it is possible that uh, Possel screwed her in some way. It is possible that uh, she wasn't that bad, and Possel convinced the court to make a bad decision and give him full custody. Maybe he just had the better attorney. So who knows? There's plenty of injustices in family court. I've seen it happen before. I've seen a lot of injustices in family court. Not to me, but I've seen, I've known people who have uh, been victim of bad court decisions in family court. So it's it's possible this is one of them. It's also possible that the wife has issues worse than possible as far as uh, raising the kid. So, yeah, I mean, if if this poker thing is used for her to get custody back when it's really better that the daughter stays with him um that wouldn't be good overall for the kid but to be honest i mean is it really that bad if the daughter spends less time with mike possel given what we know about him not a good situation to be mike possel's kid <laughs> say that <laughs> boy i'm curious what this is about though i am curious but i would be shocked if it didn't have to do with child custody or some sort of uh post-divorce situation, which usually is child custody. Because once the divorce is over, it's over. It could be about money, and it could be about uh, her attempting to get more alimony from him or something like that, where he may have claimed before he was broke, when in reality he was making all this money on the stream. And she, so it's it's something related to that. I would guess child custody, but who knows. So we'll see if we hear anything more about this. It's a developing story, but at the moment I don't have much more. Oh, here's an update. This is from the 516. I haven't verified it yet, but I have no reason to doubt this guy. Druff, Veronica tweeted today the following, mentioning that Mike was involved in, get it ready for it, Domestic violence. Uh-oh. She wrote, Mike Possel is a cheat, and no amount of attempts at vilifying me will change that. You're a scumbag, Mike. 
Try not to go to jail again for domestic violence. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you. Thank you, person from the 516. I, see, I didn't think Veronica was going to talk about this. So I just, I didn't even bother to check her Twitter today. I should have. Now, keep in mind, this was said by the ex-wife. She didn't say that, but I mean, the ex-wife contacted her and then Veronica comes out with this. So this is from the ex-wife. So, of course, it's not proof that Mike Postle is a wife beater, but w- would I believe it? Yeah. <laughs> Would I be surprised by it? No. Uh, Veronica has been also saying that uh, Mike Postle has been tweeting a video compilation of her saying various things, but uh, in, in an attempt to bash her. I, I've seen something like this, too. I've seen them uh, tweeting various things out. He, he's got various accounts, Mike, either him or his friends operating them, that's been like tweeting out tons of anti-Veronica stuff. He's very bitter about the whole thing. Very, very bitter. So I guess <laughs> Veronica finally had enough. He's like, you know what? If you're going to have you and your friends troll me on Twitter constantly, I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm just going to put it out there. Your wife told me you beat her and went to jail for domestic violence. Wow. If somebody listening has access to LexisNexis, and would like to look this up. I know some of you have access to it, but if you have access and would like to look it up, or those who have ways to look it up otherwise, and would like to text me the results at 775-372-8355, I would like to see it. would love to see Mike Postle's criminal record if he's gone to jail for domestic violence. It would be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, well, well. Of course, there might be more to the story. Like, why does Mike... If he does have full custody, like, if he's a wife-beater... And he's been, like, arrested for this, and I don't know if he's been convicted, but if this is true, why would he have full custody? Like, it's still, we're still missing some pieces here. That's why, as much as I don't like Mike Postle, we need to cover this accurately. I don't want to just put out things about his ex-wife that are rumor, innuendo, or assumption, but I just want to say that we must look at this from the big picture of all the available information, not just the information we would like to know or like to hear. I am very interested in the remainder of this story. Hopefully we will have more next week. Now I will give you an update on a story we've been covering, the Susie Zhao story, another original Poker Fraud Alert exclusive. This update is not, but remember, we were the first site anywhere on the Internet to name the accused. That is Jeffrey Bernard Morris. Jeffrey Bernard Morris was named on Poker Fraud Alert before anywhere on the internet, in the world. Go take a look for yourself. Thanks to our member Forum Wars, who also listens to the show, we actually named him first. And in fact, those that named him after us got the info from us. Until finally the media in Detroit came came up with it on their own. But before it appeared in the Detroit media, it was only Poker Fraud Alert. And then sites that got it from Poker Fraud Alert, in fact, credited us. So that is something that we did. We always try to get the whole story. Even if it wasn't me doing it. It was someone on my site doing it. It's uh, We always strive here on Poker Fraud Alert to find out the truth. And that's uh, what a lot of the members here have in common. We like to know the details. We like to know the way things actually are. Not the way we'd like them to be. Not the way that people are saying they should be. Not the way that people are guessing them to be, but the way they actually are is our goal here at Poker Fraud Alert to find out. So here's the situation with Susie Zhao, which 
to be honest, is not very pleasant. According to authorities, this was a pretty bad and grisly murder. What happened was on uh, July 12th, she was with her mom at 5.30 p.m. Remember, her mom's house was only two miles away from the motel where she stayed with her alleged killer that night. So her mom saw her at 5.30 p.m. July 12th. And uh, I don't know what happened between 5.30 and 9 p.m. on July 12th, but around 9 p.m. she met uh, this Jeffrey Bernard Morris on a street somewhere. And remember, she had his number in her phone, so I guess they met online. It's still not known exactly how they came to know each other, but uh, she did have his number in his phone, and they agreed to meet on some street where, I don't know, I guess he picked her up. And uh, then he drove her to a nearby motel, and they checked into this motel together at uh, 9.26 p.m., according to motel records. This was on July 12th. Uh, they were picked, this was the motel that was called the Sherwood Motel, and he had picked her up on a road called Watkins Lake Road. So at 9.26, probably about 15 minutes after he picked her up, they checked into the Sherwood Motel. Sometime between 9.26 p.m. and 5 a.m., she was murdered. Because uh, at 5 a.m., her cell phone moved from the motel room to the place where her body was dumped. And at the same time, guess whose cell phone also moved? Yes, Jeffrey Morris. This moron commits a murder and doesn't bother to turn off his phone or her phone. He just he, he goes right from the motel to the place where he dumps her body and doesn't turn off either phone. So it's very easy for police to piece this together because cell phones are always tracking where they are. So sometime between 9.26 p.m. and 5 a.m., this is from July the night of July 12th to the morning of July 13th, somewhere in that window she was murdered. But the way she was murdered was uh, very bad. Apparently, she was raped. She was sexually assaulted with a large object, which some believe might be a baseball bat. And then she was lit on fire and burned to death. I mean, is that awful? Is that just like the worst way to go? Can you think of a much worse way to die? than to be tied up, sexually assaulted with a large object, maybe a baseball bat, and then lit on fire until you died. That's among the very worst ways to die. I mean, when when they talk about the death penalty, it's, it's for guys like that. Like, that's who deserves it, people who do that. There are just some really, really terrible, evil people out there, and that's... Jeffrey Bernard Morris, too. I mean, it's, that's one thing to kill someone, but to, like this, to kill them in the most uh, brutal and, and torturous way possible. The reason for him doing this is not known. He has not given a reason. He's talked with authorities very little. He did tell them that she left the motel room on her own at midnight, but that was not true because her cell phone remained there for five hours after midnight until it and his cell phone moved together to the place where her body was found. And I don't know how they determined that she was killed 
from the fire rather than before the fire, but uh, they have determined that in some way, probably with uh, forensics. So uh, that's probably what happened. We still don't know why he did it. They did find a baseball bat with blood stains. That's why they are assuming the bat was used for the sexual assault with what they say is quote a large object. They also found duffel bags with a fitted bed sheet that has blood on it. In addition to that bat, they also found in his car that there were several hairs and possible blood stains, and they're still looking at those blood stains and the hair to see what that goes back to if it was her. I'm sure it was. They're still testing those in a lab. But he won't talk further, so they can't figure out the motive. And at the moment, he's not suspected of any other murders, but he does have a violent past. He did commit a sex crime in 1989 that he was convicted for. There's probably been others that he's been convicted of uh, since then. In 2009, he was convicted of domestic violence. He also was booted out of the place he was staying shortly before this murder for being uh, crazy and violent. So this guy had a lot of problems. Very, very bad guy. And a very, very bad guy dating back at least three decades. So when the guy was 29 years old, he was uh, committing sex crimes. And sadly, these people never change. Now, it is a little unusual for a man who's 60 to do this for the first time. Because usually the desire to commit these type of crimes, even for psychos, tends to decrease as testosterone naturally decreases with age, which is why the amount of violent crime committed by men over 35 is much less than violent crime committed by men under 35. It's due to testosterone levels. So as you get older, you get naturally less aggressive. I'm talking about men. And that also results in less violent crime. This is also likely the reason that women commit violent crime at a much lesser rate than men, because of course they have much, much lower testosterone levels than men. So it is unusual for a man who's 60 to commit a murder like this for the first time, but who knows? He could have killed other people and just not have been caught for it. It's also possible that his mental state was declining. It's possible he was abusing drugs and that uh, that also made his mental state decline further. So you combine someone who's already a bad and psychotic person and, and mix uh, drugs and mental decline with it, and you can have something like this occur. Like it's probably this was always in him to do, but maybe his life had to get to this point to push him over the edge to do it. And I think, unfortunately, it was uh, Susie Zhao who was th- just there when it happened. I don't think tr- anything she did caused this. I think it's just kind of wrong place, wrong time, meeting with the wrong person. She definitely acted recklessly meeting with someone like this for reasons that probably weren't very wholesome. That doesn't make it her fault in any way. It's just, unfortunately, reckless behavior. As I've mentioned on previous episodes, your chance of being murdered goes way up when you associate with violent criminals or other shady individuals. If you stay away from those type of people for the most part, then the chance of you becoming a victim of violent crime is much lower. Not zero, but it's much lower. So the more people you associate like 
associate with like Jeffrey Bernard Morris, the higher chance that you're going to get hurt or killed by one of these people. I have a feeling this is not the only shady guy she's been associating with over time. If anyone can learn anything from this, I would say it is, number one, that the professional poker lifestyle is not for everybody. And if you don't have the self-control or discipline to hold on to a bankroll, that you shouldn't do it for a living. It's not going to work out. You have to have a certain natural personality type to succeed as a professional poker player. And some players, even some excellent players, don't have that personality type, and that's why they're broke. Some do, some don't. In fact, the reason some of the great players don't have the personality type to hold on to the money is part of the reason they're great players, because you have to have a certain level of disregard for money in order to become one of the greats in poker. It's very, very difficult to not care about money at the table and then completely turn that off in the rest of your life and act responsibly with money. Very few can do that. It's very hard to separate the two. So unfortunately, a lot of poker pros who can use their lack of concern about money to their advantage to aggressively push their way to be really good at poker can also have a lot of problems in their life related to that. And also, a lot of times these people also, uh, they have issues with impulsive behavior. Sometimes it ends badly. This is one of those cases, very tragic case. I hope that Jeffrey Bernard Morris never sees the outside of a prison cell. He probably won't. Uh, Number one, he's already 60 years old, so even a sentence like 30 years, he'd be unlikely to get out of prison while he's still alive. And I have to imagine he's going to get at least a life sentence for this anyway. I don't know if they have the death penalty in Michigan, but either way, I don't think that uh, he'll be out on the street ever again. Looks like they've got him pretty well here. He wasn't a very smart criminal. Looks like this was something... He was busted for premeditated murder. That's what they're charging him with. But that there's a lot of ways you can come to that without it being like premeditated for very long. So like just bringing a baseball bat into the room to do this could be premeditated murder. Even if he just decided it uh, five minutes ago, it can be premeditated. Premeditated doesn't mean you've been planning for weeks. It just means you've decided it before doing it. So that's also something to understand. Just because he was charged with premeditated murder doesn't mean that he thought, okay, I'm going to meet her tonight and kill her. It's very possible when he met her, he was not intending to kill her. And then something went off in him and he changed his plans and said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do these awful things to her and kill her. Uh, Something that wouldn't be premeditated murder would be like, let's say you're arguing with someone and let's say you, you, yeah, you're arguing with someone and you, uh, they say something that really pisses you off and you grab a large object and smack them in the head with it and they die. Well, that's murder. Because you you killed them. You you could try to claim it was manslaughter. You could try, you try to claim you weren't trying to kill them, trying to hurt them. But but let's say you you just hit them with something that was uh, likely to kill them. Let's say you just gra- let's say you grabbed a gun that was nearby and shot them with it in the head. Something where it's very clear they're going to die. But you did it in the heat of a moment when they really pissed you off. That is murder, but it's not premeditated. 
but uh, if someone pisses you off and then you walk calmly up to their house, or if you're with them, they're pissing you off, and then you say, hey, um, let, let's go settle this. Uh, let, you know, let's just be calm. Let's, let's go Let's go to the park together, and we'll, we'll talk in a more peaceful setting, and then you bring them to a remote park and uh, and, and, and kill them. That's premeditated because you decided right at that point you're going to kill them and, and executed a plan to bring them to the park to kill them. So that's, that's where it's premeditated, and that's why you can't read too much into this. Whatever it was, it, it was something really, really evil. It does say that she was broke, and that was the reason that she returned to Michigan. There's a lot of speculation that that's why she went back from L.A. to Michigan. That's what I said right when I heard that. At first, I thought maybe the coronavirus, but then I started thinking, no, actually, it's probably more likely she went broke. And Yeah, it, it was true. It, it has been acknowledged already by police that she was broke and that she went back to live with her mom because she was broke. And that's what they meant when they said that things didn't work out in L.A. I do not believe this murder had anything to do with poker. I cannot find any indication that Jeffrey Bernard Morris was a poker pro or a poker player or involved with the poker community in any way. There is a Jeffrey Morris with a few caches in Michigan, but it is not him. That uh, I believe the Jeffrey Morris that has a few caches in Michigan, number one, doesn't live right by there. And number two, he is a 30-year-old named Jeffrey Morris. He does have an unusual spelling of his name. It's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y instead of R-E-Y. But uh, unfortunately, in the Hendon mob, the, the Jeffrey Morris we see is just Jeff Morris. So, of course, that could be either one. But uh, it, it is believed that the Jeff Morris on there is a different one. It's, it's a 30-year-old Jeff Morris who has nothing to do with this. That's the update. I will let you know anything further we find out about Susie Zhao, maybe why she did it or you know, why he did it to her and why she met with him in the first place. There's some obvious guesses here as to why she met with him. This guy likely was not romantically or sexually appealing to her. This was a trashy looking 60 year old guy who is not likely to be someone who would be her type for dating and, uh, you know, they met on a road somewhere. They agreed to meet on this road somewhere and then go to a motel. I mean, there's there's only so many reasons they could have done this. And I don't think it's because she saw him on Tinder and thought, wow, I like him. Wow, this guy's hot. Like, there's, there's no chance that's what she thought when she saw him. So there's only uh, a few possibilities here. Really only two, if you think about it. And neither are very nice to think about. Very unfortunate story. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. We did get texts tonight. By the way, it is very, very hot in the L.A. area today. Very hot. I actually uh, slept really weird hours today. So I was sleeping during the day. I didn't even wake up till like 7 p.m. Not a.m. I woke up at 7 p.m. But uh, when I got up and I went to go brush my teeth, I was pretty surprised that the water that came out of the sink was hot. I turned on the cold water and hot water came out and it wasn't because my plumbing's bad. It's the first time this has happened this year. 
rarely happens here. But apparently it was such a hot day, and it must have been hot for so long, that uh, the water sitting in the pipes heated up. Now, once I let it run a little bit, then got the water from further underground, and it was no longer hot. But at first, the water was actually hot that came out, which I thought, wow, that's, that doesn't happen often, even on hot days. So it was a hot day in Los Angeles. Also kind of humid, because uh, I think there's some tropical storm to the west. Not that it's going to get here. Tropical storms and hurricanes don't get here, but we will get the after effects of them, where it gets humid and kind of cloudy. But yeah, very hot day. And right now, it's still very warm outside. It's 2.15 a.m., very warm. It's, it's probably 75 degrees still, which is unusual for here. We're usually in the 60s at this time. Even right now, which is the hottest time of the year, between between mid-August to mid-September, that's that's the hot time in Southern California. Not so much July. The hottest time is August 15th through September 15th. So we're right in there. But even for that, it's hot. The nights are nice. It's nice just walking outside at night and it's 75 degrees. The days are not so nice. I stay indoors. <laughs> My girlfriend was like, she, she was thinking of hiking and then she walked outside at like 10 in the morning. She's like, nope, never mind. Not going to do that today. I don't blame her. All right. Let's go to the text here. This is from a guy calling himself uh, Pescado Libre. He said, I work Morongo Casino. There's a rumor that two of our workers died of COVID-19. One was a bellman and one was a cook on a day shift. This is not verified. We've had a few people in table games contract COVID-19. Only two were hospitalized so far that I know. One of them was in the hospital for a few weeks from what I gather. Yeah, it's a scary job right now. I hope you're going to be okay, Pescado Libre. He's texted me before. He's from the, uh, the 951. But yeah, I uh, I wouldn't want to work in a casino right now. Anywhere that's indoors with air conditioning, I would not want to work. I feel bad for those that are kind of forced to work in a job like that, especially one with a lot of people. Like the, the, the casino pretty much checks all the boxes of being dangerous. It's inside, it's got air conditioning, and there's a ton of people coming through. So that's bad news. Now, yes, the ceilings are high, which probably helps some, but... It only helps so much. I mean, like, I, I know people personally who got it at a casino who weren't even working there. I know people personally who got it just being at a casino. So, yeah, that's, I'm surprised there's not the worst outbreak in the, the, for the employees in these casinos. We got a text from 773, $52 for the free roll. What happened to the rest? There was close to 100 in the in the thread. Be our time. Don't hold our money back. If we ever have a day where the amount is less than 50, I'll kick in. Stop holding money back. Thank you with all due respect. Okay, I didn't see a hundred in the thread. I took everything that was there except for Salty Oss, who claimed he had ten dollars that I couldn't find. He Salty Oss was saying, "Oh, ten dollars from a few months ago. You never paid me." I looked and I paid him everything I owed him. So uh, I asked him for clarification. Every everybody else uh, donated fifty two dollars total. Now after that, Trader Ruski said, "Oh, I'll throw in some money." Eric Benzbokin saw the thread and said he'll donate money. I said, "Guy, guys, you know, like you guys do enough here." Trader Ruski's he's on every week. I don't know what happened to him this week. We barely had him, but he, he gives so much of his time on this show, and he donates to the free roll occasionally, too. Eric Benzamokin's donated more than anybody in recent years. 
So we got $52. I'm like, okay, good enough. And the 641 having to do with the situation on GG Poker said, I think poker sites should do all this work up front before accepting a deposit. Like a bank account, they approve your account before accepting your money. Yeah, I agree. I agree that they can't just accept 50K and go, eh, we'll, we'll verify the guy later if he, if he runs it up or wants to cash out. No, no you, you do it now. If you've got 50K coming in and you're not checking if that person's a banned user on your site, you're doing it wrong. Totally agree with you. It's called Know Your Customer, KYC. All right. I'm going to move on to a Vegas story. I wish I had Brandon with me for this one. I think he would be able to give some good insight on this. Anything Vegas-related, Brandon is very good. People love the Vegas segments of Brandon. Here's a story from the Las Vegas Review Journal, and a lot to think about with this one. The headline pretty much says it all, but raises a lot of questions. The headline says, Prostitution Suspect accused of stealing $90,000 cash from customer. Wow. So a prostitute allegedly stole $90,000 cash off of a John in Las Vegas. A tourist, of course. So it says a Las Vegas tourist had $90,000 in cash stolen from his hotel room by a suspected prostitute during the 4th of July weekend, police said. Law enforcement documents show Talisha Ferguson, 22 of Las Vegas, was arrested Monday of suspicion of grand larceny more than 25000 but less than 100000 suspicion of soliciting an act of prostitution and loitering. A Las Vegas police arrest report for Ferguson said she was apprehended in the theft of 90000 cash from a man at Westgate, which is the former Las Vegas Hilton. The victim told police he was headed to Arizona to buy a house when he was stopped in Las Ve- when he stopped in Las Vegas on July 4th. He told officers he contacted a girl who had an advertisement posted on a website, picked her up and brought her back to his room at the Westgate. During the rendezvous, the man bragged to the woman he was toting a lot of cash. They agreed he would pay her $100 for sex. During the conversation, he told the female he had 90,000 cash in his hotel room for purchase of the home. The woman asked if she could see the cash because she'd never seen that much money in person. The man pulled the money out from a brown paper bag and showed it to her. They then had sex. Afterward, the woman said she had stomach pain and went to the restroom. The man, meanwhile, fell asleep for hours, the report said. After getting up, he did not see the female in his room and noticed the brown paper bag was moved. He checked the bag and the money was missing. The victim called police. Police detectives inspected video surveillance footage showing the couple arriving at the hotel and the woman leaving the man's room sometime later with a purse that is, quote, heavier than when she arrived. The woman is observed leaving at a fast pace to a Lincoln Navigator. Hmm. The man could not pick Ferguson out of a photo lineup, but police said they identified her based on video evidence. So anyway, they, they caught her because they, they basically set her up to catch her, not stealing, but they uh, they had someone call up and pose as a John and said that they were seeking sex in exchange for money, which kind of sounds like entrapment to me, but maybe it was done in a legal way. Entrapment is where you entice someone to commit a crime. So you, like, you can't, uh, here's an example. You can't uh, walk up to somebody and say, hey, you see that car over there? It's got the keys sitting in there. It's got the keys in the ignition and it's unlocked. Maybe you should go steal it. Maybe you should go steal that car right now. And if the person runs over and steals the car and it turns out that person who was enticing them to do it was a police officer, that wouldn't stand up. 
because that's entrapment. They're, they're actually being encouraged to commit a crime that maybe they weren't even thinking of committing. Maybe the person just walking down the street and the, and the, and the cop talked them into doing it. So, so there are legal protections against that. But entrapment does not include undercover work. So the undercover police officers are not required to tell the truth to uh, suspects that they're trying to apprehend or catch committing a crime. They just have to be careful that they're not encouraging the crime being committed. So you actually can't contact a prostitute as, as a police officer and say, hey, I'd like to have sex for money. How about this much money for you to come over and have sex with me? That would be entrapment. However, if you contact the woman and say, hey, I'd like some entertainment tonight, and she says back, okay, sure, it's it's $100, and you're like, okay, th- 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 does that include sex? And she says, yes. You're like, okay, sweet, come over here, we'll do it. Well, then she's been the one offering it. She, you just say you want entertainment. She quotes a price. You ask her to clarify if the price includes sex. She says, yes, at that point, it's prostitution, and it was her that was uh, that, that was offering the sex for money. So they did that, arrested her, and then uh, at that point told her it's not really about this. We're actually interested in the theft at the Westgate. So she admitted that she was the prostitute in question. She said, yes, I was at the Westgate. Yes, I was in that guy's hotel room, but I didn't steal his money. There was nothing in the police report that said whether the victim's cash was recovered or if anybody else was arrested, remember, some other car picked her up. She jumped in some Lincoln Navigator. So it, it does sound like, from this story, that she called someone and said, oh, I, I just stole a lot of money. Get down here and pick me up. And someone, maybe a boyfriend or someone else, uh, went and uh, got her. I don't have an update on the story, unfortunately. But... Let's see, I'm looking at one other news story, see if that told me anything further. Probably not. Uh, they investigated her, by the way, by the phone number uh, and, and through video evidence. So, um, yes, I, I don't have further about this, but let's let's analyze what happened here. There's a lot of weird things to this story. So first, I mean, it kind of sounds like something happened because... She was seen on video leaving with, like, extra stuff in her purse that wasn't there before. She was hurrying out of there. A different car picked her up and sped off. So it didn't seem like the way she would leave if she just finished the job there. And it's like, okay, I had sex with the dude. He paid me the 100 Okay, time to leave. There she would walk out slowly. And uh, there her purse would look the same as when she came in. And, uh, yeah, maybe a friend would pick her up, but it wouldn't be, like, with urgency. The friend would kind of slowly pull up. She'd slowly get in. The the, play, the thing with the, the car would slowly drive away. They wouldn't be speeding off because she just did a $100 trick. So something happened there. But I have to wonder what the true situation was with that money. And maybe it's a combination of two things. So... Let's focus first on the guy and his $90,000. He said he was on his way to buy a home in Arizona with $90,000. Now, first of all, I don't know how you're going to buy a home in Arizona for $90,000. I don't know of a home you can buy in Arizona for $90,000. That's not very much money to buy a home. But maybe it's a partial payment. Maybe it's a down payment. Let's just go with that. Here's the question. 
Why would you bring 90000 cash to buy a home? How many transactions, even what's, even transactions that are called cash transactions, how many transactions where a home is bought, is bought involve that much cash, physical cash exchanging hands? I don't know of any. Usually what happens is you're wiring money. You're wiring money to an escrow company that holds the money until the sale goes through. And then uh, the seller is paid once that occurs. So there's there's an escrow company involved usually. Even when there's not, you're paying electronically. You're not just giving someone cash. In fact, the seller doesn't want to receive cash like this because uh, it creates a hassle. They have to fill out a uh, currency transaction report because it's way over the $10,000 threshold. And who wants that? Like, who wants to carry $90,000 cash? I mean, a, a lot of high-stakes gamblers are used to carrying that type of money, but the average person, in fact, even wealthy people, don't like carrying that much cash. It makes them feel nervous to carry $90,000. Even if they can afford to lose it, they feel nervous carrying it. They kind of feel like they'll be targeted if anyone figures out what they're carrying. They feel like they can be killed for it. You know, if somebody robs you of... Uh, if someone, you know, let's say you're walking down a dark alley and someone points a gun at you and says to hand over your wallet. So you, you hand over your wallet and there's some credit cards and maybe $100 in there. Uh, the criminal's not likely to kill you because there's not enough money involved. They're, they're going to run away. If they're caught, they'll, they'll get in some trouble. But the, the amount of money is not worth uh, killing you for. But $90,000, that, that could be worth killing you for to a lot of people. So when there's $90,000 involved, not only are you afraid that it could get stolen, but you're also afraid that uh, there could be worse violence against you in order to get it. It's also possible they may just kill you right away to get it, so you don't have a chance to get away with it. Yeah, they, they don't want to. Maybe they don't want to point the gun at you have you run off and and uh, call the police. They want to just kill you and take the money. So the more money you have on you, the higher chance it is that someone will kill you for it. So there's no reason to bring cash to buy a house. You can't even say that this cash is being used to, to be laundered because uh, it would have to be reported. Like the the person who would be selling the house would then have to report where he got it in the currency transaction report. So there's really no way to launder the cash in that way. Now, there is a way to launder cash that does involve passing through Las Vegas, and that is going to a casino and laundering it through the casino. Casinos are very often used to launder cash, as are poker rooms. Why? Because in casinos and poker rooms, you can turn a relatively small amount of cash into a large amount of cash if you were to get lucky. So, because there's not very close tracking, and there doesn't have to be close tracking of every move you make, and pretty much it's just looked at what you buy in with and what you cash out, uh, there's ways to move chips within the casino to make it look like that someone won money. So, for example, especially if you have an accomplice, you have an accomplice buy-in for some nominal sum of money, you know, buy in $500 for the chips, and uh, you buy in for uh, 90000 worth of chips. And you take the 90000 chips that you bought, 
and you hand them secretly, maybe in the bathroom, to your accomplice who only had 500 before. So now he has 90,500 and you have zero. And then the person sits and plays high stakes uh, blackjack for a while. Kind of, uh, you know, they don't really care when you walk up to the blackjack table where you got the chips. You just play with it, especially if they're not too high denomination. You have a ton of, hundreds, of thousands on you. You just, uh, you break them in there. You, you play high stakes for a while. You cash out. And uh, you can make it look like you won this money, even if you didn't. And uh, that's often how uh, people launder money through casinos. Is they instead they actually lose? They don't intentionally lose, but they'll play negative expectation games, probably lose, but claim they won. And all of a sudden, that money looks legitimate. You can't do that buying a house. Buying a house, the person you buy it from is going to go report it to the bank because they have to. They can't just go to the bank and deposit 90000 cash. The bank will ask questions. The bank will report it. So you have to fill out a currency transaction report telling the government where this cash came from. And you'll say, yeah, it came from the guy who just bought the house from me. And they'll look into him. So that's a terrible way to launder money, buying a house just outright with cash, even if that's just a down payment. The way you want to do it, if you're going to launder money, well, there's many ways to launder money, but one, one way you'd want to do it would be at a casino. And there's been a lot of casinos that have gotten in trouble for turning a blind eye to clear money laundering. The bike notably got busted for that a while ago. There'd be these fake high-stakes games where people would buy in for a fortune and play each other heads up, and one would lose to the other. And the, the quote, winner, who's in cahoots with the other one, who lost, uh, has just clean the money for the loser. And now they've won the money in a poker game. So if ever asked, they say, yeah, it went to the bike and I, I just won $800,000 that day in a high-stakes heads-up game. Who'd you beat? I don't know. Some guy. Some guy wanted to play me and I thought I was better than him and I crushed him for $800,000 and I cashed out. Like, ask him at the bike. They watched me lose it all. Or they watched me win it all off this guy. So there's a lot of ways people launder money through poker rooms and casinos, especially if they can get employees who are willing to turn a blind eye to it. So again, why was this guy there with $90,000 in a paper bag? It wasn't to buy a house. I I guess it's possible, but it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Why Why would you bring 90000 cash? It just doesn't make any sense. What, he's going to flash it to the people he's going to buy the house from? You, you can just show them your bank account if you're that worried that they don't believe you have the money. Why can't you wire it? Why Why would you carry $90,000 cash in your car and stop in Las Vegas and go to a hotel room and show it to prostitutes? Why not just wire the money from your bank account to the account of an escrow company? Or even if you don't want to use an escrow company, wire it directly to the person you're buying it from. Why would you ever bring 90 k cash? doesn't make sense. So what was the 90 cash really for? What was it for? Is it possible it was being laundered? Yes. Is it possible that this guy was a degenerate gambler? Yes. Now, I have a theory of what might have really happened. What was one more before I get to that, one more question. If you've got 90,000 cash on you and you stop in Vegas on July 4th and you go, "You know what? I want to get laid." I want to get laid. I'm going to call a prostitute. You've got 90,000 cash on you. Do you get a $100 hooker? Is that what you do? Is that what you, is that the direction you go? Or do you get a better one? Because with hookers, 
a lot of it you get what you pay for. And the ones that are around $100 are, are not very good. <laughs> there's the higher-end ones, which are usually really hot. And then there's the ones that uh, the lower end, which, if you're lucky, can be okay. But really, you get in the $100 ones, they're pretty trashy. So why would you go for the $100 hooker when you have 90k cash? If you've barely got any money on you and you want to get a hooker, then yeah, you may be forced to the $100 option, but if you got 90k cash with you, why are you getting the $100 hooker? Why are you not getting the $500 hooker, the $1,000 hooker? Why 100 Well, think of this. Think that the guy was coming to Vegas not to buy a home in Arizona, but to either launder the money or gamble. And let's say he had to answer to someone regarding what happens with that. It's not just some single guy who's not uh, working for anyone involving that money. Let's say he's either laundering it for somebody else or uh, he's married and he just has that cash with him which he brought to Vegas to gamble. And let's say he shot off 80 of the 90K. Let's say he even shot off 85 of the 90K. Let's say maybe even he shot off uh, 90K of the 100K. Maybe it's actually 100 he has, not, not, not 90. Whatever it is, he shoots off most of the money gambling. And now he has to answer to somebody and explain where it all went. And if he were to tell that person the truth, whether it's some boss that he's laundering it for or the or his wife, I guess the wife might not be as good of an option here for me to, th- to put this together because then he'd have to admit he was a prostitute. But if he has to answer to someone for it, he can't claim that uh, he lost it gambling or it looked really bad. But he has to explain in some way where it went. So uh, one story could be that a prostitute stole it. Now, who's most likely to steal it? The high-end prostitute who already makes a lot of money and doesn't want to go to jail, or the $100 prostitute who's having sex with strange men for 100 bucks and obviously uh, is much more likely to do something that's criminal for a lot of money. But wait a minute, you don't have the money anymore. But wait a minute, maybe you do. Maybe you have some money left, you just don't have 90000 left anymore. Maybe you have 10000 left, maybe you have 5000 less left, but still enough that a $100 prostitute would want to steal it. So you decide to set her up, and you bring her to your room, you casually bring up that you have a lot of money, and you, you hope she's going to ask to see it, and then she does, and you show it to her, and you make sure it's very accessible in a brown paper bag, and you don't put the paper bag in the safe, you just leave it sitting out, you have sex with her, and then you pretend to fall asleep. So you're like, oh, that was good. And then you really pretend to be out like a light, and then she's sitting there with you snoozing away, so she thinks, and there's that bag of $10,000 on the counter, and she's like, I see what I can do here. And she steals it and hightails it out of the room and calls her friend to pick her up. Let's get the hell out of here. I just stole 10000 bucks. And they zoom off. And then she's arrested. Well, what's she going to say? Well, I didn't steal 90 I only stole 10 No, she's never going to say that because she doesn't want to go to prison. 
So she's going to deny the whole thing. She may have to admit that she was there in the room because they have uh, surveillance of this, but they don't have surveillance of her stealing the money. So she's going to stick to, I didn't do it. And then he gets to tell whoever was going to be angry at him for losing the money that it was stolen by a prostitute rather than lost by gambling. So that's one theory. Another possible theory is that she really did steal it, but that he was there for some illegal purpose. And then he was thinking, crap, what do I do? So you've got 90K you're supposed to launder or maybe use for a drug deal, whatever. And it gets stolen. It gets stolen because the guy thought with his dick and hired the $100 prostitute. Maybe this guy didn't have much money and he was just a carrier for this money. So he really couldn't afford much better than a $100 prostitute. And maybe he felt like playing big rich guy for the moment. Like, look what I got. Ha ha, look at all this cash. Look how cool I am. And then she steals it from him because he falls asleep after sex and kind of didn't realize it, which can happen. You know, you when men have sex, they can sometimes fall asleep afterwards. So maybe he fell asleep and she was able to grab the money. So maybe this happened as claimed, except he wasn't really there to buy a house. I just don't believe it was for the house. No way I'll find out unless the more details come out here. I think she stole something. But it's possible she was set up to steal it. It's possible that there's much more money involved that was lost in a different way. And this way it can all be blamed on her. Be pretty clever if that's true. Be pretty clever if he shot off like 90% of the big money he had with him gambling. And it's like, crap, crap, this was for the drug cartel to help launder. Shit, they're going to kill me. Oh, but what if I could blame it on a prostitute? What if I could take the remainder and give it to a prostitute or let a prostitute steal it and then say she stole the whole thing? Uh Uh-huh. Let me get the cheapest prostitute possible who's most likely to steal it. I mean, that would be pretty smart. By the way, this was not a topic that I was planning on covering, but I happened to see it in an article. I was reading about this prostitute. And that is the something that just happened. The reason I couldn't plan it is because it hadn't happened at the time I was planning the show. That's how recent it is. At the time we started the show, this story had not happened yet. A man is in critical condition after being stabbed at, of all places, the Venetian Hotel. A man has been stabbed multiple times at the Venetian at 10.56 p.m. tonight, officers were called to find a, to, to a reports of a stabbing, and they found a male with multiple stab wounds. He is in critical condition. They have not stated anything further. Wow. Pretty uh, bad things going on at some of these casinos. There's also a video of uh, just a harsh beating outside of Flamingo, where security just stood there. That happened a few weeks ago. All right, let's move on to the next subject here. Norman Shad has revealed something that isn't good. Norman Shad has stated on Twitter that he has the coronavirus. August 10th, he posted this. Yeah, yeah, we are. And uh, Blue is blaming me. Blue is his dog. Blue is, that's my glasses. Lou is blaming me. She doesn't feel well. And, you know, I've got COVID. And she thinks I gave her COVID. I don't think she has COVID. I think Blue gave me COVID. 
Okay. Uh, the question, the, the fact of the matter, okay, that's my glasses. The fact of the matter is, is that right now I have an unspeakable headache and I have a cough and I'm unbelievably tired. She has no symptoms and she just pretty much runs everywhere she can run. All right, so we're quarantined for 14 days and uh, hoping everything gets better. Hey, we're not done with the camera shoot. And if everything gets better, we'll be up and going again very, very soon. All right, Blue? All right. Blue says, have a good day, and we'll see you soon. Norman Chad is just about 62 years old. On Monday, he's going to turn 62 with COVID. And that is not a very good age to get COVID. It could be worse. It could be 72 or 82, but 62 is not a very good age to get COVID either. In fact, it's not even good to, it's not good to get COVID at my age, 48. So that was his announcement while his dog was trying to bite off his glasses. And he's trying to make a joke out of it like his, he thinks his dog gave him COVID, but he wasn't serious about that. Anyway, he posted some updates, which I haven't even seen yet. So we're going to watch these together. You may wonder how is Norman Chad doing in the six days since? So here is one of his updates from the following day, August 11th. It is time for our daily COVID update. I am Norman. This is Blue. Blue, those are my glasses. Uh, I'm still having the same headache. Blue, those are my glasses. Same headache. It's pretty bad, the headache. It's like a Mack truck just backing up behind my eyes. Those are my glasses. Uh, occasional cough, extreme fatigue. Uh Blue says that lately when she's been chewing on my left arm, she no longer has, she doesn't taste anything. She's lost her sense of taste. So that she can't taste anything. Uh, so my left arm doesn't taste as good as her. Where are you going? And I have the headaches. And other than that, we're doing as well as we can do. And that is today's COVID update. And emotionally, emotionally, we're doing okay. All right. Check with you tomorrow. <laughs> if I had COVID, I'm lying. He was lying on the couch. He looks like he's kind of fatigued. The last thing I'd want there is a dog chewing on my glasses over and over. Like that dog just going after his glasses. <laughs> like the, one of the arms of his glasses, the dog just keeps chewing. But I, I think that's all he has living with him. I don't think he has a girlfriend or wife. So I guess Blue's the one keeping his, keeping him company. And. Let's move on to another update, the following day, August 12th. It's time for today's COVID update. Okay. Mm. She's got no headaches. That's my glasses. She's got no headaches. She has no loss of appetite. She does have still a loss of taste, Blue does, but she still has eaten off half of my left arm because it's got good nutrients, right? Good nutrients. I still have blistering, blistering headaches. That doesn't help. Blistering headaches. When they recede, it's not so bad. Uh, occasional cough, extreme fatigue. And I wake up, every time I wake up, there's a dog crawling across my head. Yeah, a little misinnocent. But we're going to be fine. We will be. When the headaches go away, it's actually fairly tolerable and when she's asleep oh it is delightful you done with me i'm done with you 
All right, everybody be good. Peace and joy. Okay, so that's uh, still a very active dog there that has been biting his arm and his glasses. And not so bad for him, but not mild either. I mean, kind of a moderate, I'd say it's, it's kind of moderate to severe, I'd say, in my rating of COVID symptoms. He was very fatigued and a very, very bad headache. But and, and a cough, but doesn't seem to be having breathing problems and is not quite as bad as others who can not even stand up. So he's, he's kind of more in the moderate category and doing better than you'd expect of someone who's 62 and exhibiting symptoms. Here's the update from August 14th. Hey, the COVID kids checking in, me and Blue. Uh, I apologize earlier. I was not as clear as I should be. Blue is doing very, very well. She is uh, very happy. Uh, I had uh, tweeted that I am the same, and I did not mean I am the same as Blue. I meant I am the same as I am the last few days. Uh, we're still struggling a bit. Very fatigued. Headaches uh, come and go. But it's all made better sometimes by Blue. Hey, Blue. Yeah, thanks. And uh, I am hydrating. We're both hydrating as much as we can. Uh, on doctor's orders, we no longer drink out of the same fish uh, water bowl. And uh, I'm trying to do that Gatorade thing besides water. Who invented Gatorade? Alligators? Man, that is a marketing phenomenon. I hate the taste. She won't drink it. She's smart. All right. Peace and joy. We'll be better tomorrow than today. You know, I should suggest to Norman, you know what's a really good form of Gatorade is the red fruit punch Gatorade. That is by far the best Gatorade. That is by far the best. Red Fruit Punch is the best, and the orange is second best. Also pretty good, but not as good as the Red Fruit Punch. I could drink so much Red Fruit Punch if given the chance. It just really, I love the Red Fruit Punch Gatorade. I try not to drink that much of it because it's very, very bad for your teeth. My dentist told me that it is like having uh, seven Cokes. Of the same, like it's like t- taking whatever you have the Gatorade and multiplying it by seven, and that's how many ounces you're having of Coke, as far as how bad it is for your teeth. Not as far as calories, but as far as how bad it is for your teeth. It's seven times as bad as Coke, which also isn't good for your teeth. And I discovered this when I got seven cavities following the 2010 main event, because I'd bring big Gatorades with me to drink during the main event. Now the good news was the Gatorades must have helped me because I got 88th place out of 7,300 people. But that was my best main event finish ever. Still ever. I almost beat it in 2019, but didn't get there. No Gatorade. I think a little Gatorade. I think no Gatorade last year. Anyway, I drank a ton of it in 2010. And the, the first thing the dentist asked me is, did you drink a lot of Gatorade? I'm like, how did you know that? He said, because you have seven cavities, and I see this when people drink a ton of Gatorade. And I said, crap. Okay, well, I'm not doing that anymore. So I had seven cavities filled, and I only drink Gatorade occasionally now. But I love the red Gatorade. So I'm going to tell Norman Chad that. I'm going to tweet to him that he should try the red Fruit Punch Gatorade. Not the other red Gatorade. They have other weird versions. Like, there's a lot of Gatorade that does suck, but the orange and red are the two best, and red is the best by far. Even if you don't really like Fruit Punch normally, this the red Gatorade is excellent. 
So it sounds like he's kind of just around the same spot for the last uh, five days, where he's very fatigued, has the headaches, just stuck on the couch pretty much, but not getting worse. So hopefully that's where it stays and then eventually gets better. He's at that age where it's still not that likely he's going to die from it, but it starts to not become as unusual. Like at my age, it's still unusual, but not unheard of to die from this. At his age, more common. Once you're 10 years older than him, it's a lot more common. So I hope you get better, Norman Chad. No word on where he got it. He's not saying if he was in casinos or... Now, it actually says he's a husband. It says on... See, I wasn't aware of his marital status, but it says for on his profile, American poker talker slash bowler slash couch slouch, which I guess was uh, foreshadowing what was going to occur, slash husband. I guess that makes sense his wife isn't there because he doesn't want to give her COVID. So maybe he has just quarantined himself to one room. One of the videos was outside, but the rest of them was on the couch. So maybe he's agreed to go to one area of the house and she stays away. I presume she's probably close to his age. So she doesn't want to get it either. Unless she gave it to him. Anyway, I hope you get better, Norman Chad. I have to say that at no point, even when I didn't like you, would I have been happy to hear that you got something like COVID. I never disliked you that much. I did think you were kind of a dick, but as the years passed and I got to look at it uh, with more time and more maturity, I thought to myself, well, number one, this was his job to criticize people on ESPN. Number two, I was intentionally acting crazy and I pretty much put a target on my back for Norman Chad to say things about me. And number three... He uh, said very nice things about me last year, not on a broadcast, but to people at my table when he knew somebody who was sitting next to me and came up and saw me and then stopped everyone playing and gave them a lecture about how good I am for poker and what good things I've done to fight scams. I said, wow. So, Norman Chad, I think much better of you now, and I agree with most of your comments about the World Series. I think most of them are pretty correct. I will overlook at your I will overlook your non-criticism of Lon McCarron and his uh, antics defending stones because I know you're in a bad position there and I hope you get better and please future updates just about your health not about your dog. Thank you. All right. Let's get to the Larev thing and then we will take a break. So Larev is a show in Las Vegas. It's at the Win. It's been there for 15 years. It is a ripoff of O, is the best way to describe it. O, which was, a, it's a Cirque show. It's arguably the best known Cirque show. It's an expensive Cirque show. And O takes place a lot in water. Like, most of O is in water. And uh, O has been critically acclaimed, people love it, it uh, was unique in how much the water was used for the show. That was, that's, I don't know of any show before O that made use of that much water. So La Rev is not a Cirque show. Many people think La Rev is Cirque du Soleil, it is not. It is similar, 
it is in the style of Cirque du Soleil, and also it is in the style of O. I don't think Le Rev would exist if there was no O and no Cirque. Nonetheless, Le Rev is its own thing, and it started in 2005. I remember seeing it start when I was going to the win. I, I never saw the show, but I saw all the promotion for it in 2005. I lived in Las Vegas at that time. It was a very popular show. It was well-reviewed. It made a lot of money. Like O, it was expensive. And there was a tank of a million gallons in La Rev in that theater. <laughs> That's a lot of water. Expensive production. It cost $75 million to build that theater. Which makes sense, because that's a lot of water. And to build such a thing indoors and build everything around that water. It's not just a a giant tank of water. They have to build everything around the water, and they have to have stuff coming up and coming down. And It's a very tough undertaking. So they did this in 2005. And Larev... The theme of the show was that you're in a dream. So it's kind of like weird water-based stuff with all these performers that you're, you're like in a dream. That's what La Rev is called. It had 90 performers in the show. All of these performers were actually scuba qualified because they had to be very good swimmers. They had holes in their shoes so water could drain out. Otherwise, it would bog them down and make it more difficult for them to perform. It also had 140 staff members that worked behind the scenes, including 16 divers who spent the entire show underwater. That's not easy. <laughs> Imagine for, for all that time, you're underwater and you cannot surface. Like I guess you could in an emergency, but... You're expected to be underwater the entire time, breathing uh, through the apparatus. I tried to scuba dive once, and it it didn't work out. I'll tell you why it didn't work out. Um, So I tried twice, actually, and it didn't work out for different reasons. In 96, I tried. I was not much younger then. I was 24. And I tried to scuba dive, and I was able to learn it in a pool. First, you do it in a pool, and uh, you learn how to equalize, and you learn how to breathe through the tank, and you learn how to put on the equipment. You, you learn all the basics. And I learned the basics, and I passed all that. So they brought me out to go to the ocean. So we were going to do a 30-foot dive where you put on the scuba gear, you drop yourself into the water, and then you go 30 feet down. And you you do a dive and look what's on the bottom of the ocean at 30 feet down. See all the fish down there. It was was very exciting to go do. So I did it. And I got 30 feet down. And I looked up. And there was 30 feet of water above me. And I did not like that. (laughs) I did not like 30 feet of water above me. And I kind of started to panic. I started... And you can't panic when you're you're breathing through the scuba device. You... You have to be able to breathe normally. Otherwise, you start to hyperventilate. You you don't want all that. You've got to have very normal breathing for it to work. So I was like, oh, crap. I really don't want this. I don't want to have breathing issues, and now I'm uh, 30 feet uh, down. So I realized I have to surface. So I went up. You can't go up too quickly, but uh, I went up as quickly as it was safe to go up. And I gave up because the problem was the uh, 30 feet of water above me 
looked like it was too much. It looked like I was too far down there. And all that was on my mind, like if something goes wrong, it's going to take too long to get up there and I'm going to be screwed. And I couldn't get that out of my head. And what I said at the time was that if only this was 15 feet of water, I would have been fine. Because 15 feet is kind of swimming pool-like. It's it's deeper than a swimming pool, but you're not that low. Like I, I kind of feel like I can pop up really fast from 15 feet. It's that additional 15 feet that makes it look the water look so far above you. So I just thought, I, I can't do this. I just can't relax down there with 30 feet of water above me. It's too bad I can't do like a, a 15 feet dive. They just don't do those because that would be better. That would be something that uh, I would enjoy because I could be 15 feet under and I could stay down there a while because I'd have the knowledge that I could pop up very quickly. Anyway, I gave up for about 10 years and in St. Kitts, they had a, a free scuba diving thing we could do through the poker site that, that uh, paid for my trip there. So me and my girlfriend at the time, we decided we're going to go try to learn to scuba dive. And uh, I said, well, I already did this once, but you know, I never got certified or anything. I never even finished the whole thing because I couldn't handle that first dive. But I, I thought I maybe I'd take a shot at it again. Maybe something had changed in those 10 years. I was willing to take another shot. Something had changed about my body in those 10 years, and I couldn't equalize anymore. I couldn't equalize the pressure that would take place when you go further underwater. You know you know when you just go in a swimming pool and kind of force yourself to the bottom? You start to feel pressure on your ears? You have to do something called equalizing to uh, make that pressure go away. Otherwise, it's it's not safe to continue descending. So I could not equalize. I was able to equalize in 96, but I couldn't equalize in, in 2006. So something had changed about my body in those 10 years, and the scuba instructor said, yeah, that happens to some people. Some people just cannot equalize. Some people, their body just can't do it. So it's funny how I could do it in 96, but then something about my body changed. I couldn't equalize anymore. So the point was moot. It didn't matter whether I could psychologically handle 30 feet of water above me. Uh, I could no longer physically equalize. It just wasn't working. So I, I gave up. So I said, okay, no scuba diving for me. I, do, I enjoy snorkeling, though. I love good snorkeling. I love going to warm tropical water. And using a snorkel and swimming among the fish. I don't like when there's tons of people around me. I like when it's just me and the fish. And uh, I found some great places in the Big Island of Hawaii for that. So I, I kind of wish I could scuba dive, but, you know, I just stick to the poor man's version of it, which is snorkeling. Anyway, let's go back to Larev. Larev has those 16 divers at the bottom <laughs> that are submerged in water. You don't see them during the show. There's like 124 other technical staff members there, and 90 performers. It's a very, very big pr uh, production, but it makes a lot of money, despite all those employees, despite the fact they have over 200 employees uh, working on the show. As I said, I never got to see it. kind of wish I did now. But it has closed permanently as a result of the coronavirus. They cannot have this show by, last, by uh, Nevada law you're not allowed to have uh, shows at the moment. That just has not been reopened in Nevada. They're not sure when it will be reopened. They don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. And the problem is they have those 200-plus employees that they can't continue to support. So they finally had to give up. Now, you could say, well, maybe they're just suspending it, but they've claimed that this is permanently closed. And they've just done away with it. Could it come back? I guess. They haven't said it could, but... The statement that the wind made to Vital Vegas was this. 
As a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and the subsequent physical distancing requirements for which an end date cannot be predicted, we have been forced to close the award-winning show La Rev the Dream at Win Las Vegas. La Rev has performed more than 6,000 shows since it was launched in 2005 and has been voted Best Production Show in Las Vegas for nine consecutive years, a record number by the Southern Nevada Concierge Association. That's kind of a stupid vote. Like, who's, who's voting at the Southern Nevada Concierge Association? That, that kind of sounds rigged to me. That kind of sounds rigged. I, I more trust a poll like in a newspaper, which can still be rigged, but is more trustworthy than the Southern Nevada Concierge Association. Like, who's voting there? Like, three people? <laughs> Whatever. It, it was a well-reviewed show, and they are closing it permanently. I don't know... If the win owns it, I don't know who actually owns La Rev. As I said, it's not a Cirque show. If the win doesn't own it, I guess it could resurface at a different casino in the future, though it would be very expensive to set up again. It's also possible it could come back to the win. In fact, if it came back, that would be most likely that they'd revive it at the whim. They have not said what they're going to do with that theater. They are going to drain it for the moment. But... Uh, I guess they could fill it back up with a 1.1 million gallons and start the whole thing again. If I had to guess, they're just kind of mothballing it. They they don't want to say it's suspended and have people wait for it to come back and then be mad that it's gone. So I imagine that they thought the best approach is just to say it's permanently closed and shut it down right now and let all the staff go, including the performers. And then if it's ever safe to have this again that they can revive it and they can fill the tank back up and they can hire people back and they can start it up. And you know, what's, what's the public going to say? Hey, you close this, you can't reopen it? Of, of course, they'll be happy to see it back. So if they say they're closing it permanently, then there's no expectations of when it's going to come back or that it will come back and people won't bitch at the wind saying, oh, you guys said it's going to come back and now it didn't come back. What the hell? So I think that's what they're doing. In fact, it may even... If they close it permanently and then reopen it later, this may actually bring more interest in it. Whereas if they just suspend it, it just kind of seems like, okay, just business as usual. They're just suspending it because people can't come. Like, it, it has been suspended. They, like We're talking about it, right? We weren't talking about Lorev until they actually closed it. So maybe this is a smart marketing move to get people like me talking about it. And then when they reopen, let's say they reopen next year, I'll say, oh, look, guys, Lorev reopened. And people listening to the show will go, oh, wow, Lorev, I haven't thought about that in a while. But wow, yeah, I thought I wasn't going to get to see it again, but now it's back. Well, next time I go to Vegas, I'm going to see Lorev. So maybe that was the whole plan. Maybe I'm walking right into it. Damn it. Uh, the wind beat me again. All right, we're going to move on to a break. We're going to have a break here. Eric Benzamokin is a nice guy and a very good attorney, and he offered money. He offered 100 bucks tonight. And I said, no, Eric, you keep that money. You keep that because I don't want to take too much. I appreciate everything you do, but I've been able to... Scrape up $52 from other people tonight. So I'll let your break of giving to this free roll continue. And uh, in subsequent weeks, if we can't raise any money for the free roll, then uh, I will consider taking some of that money that you have generously offered. But anyway, please listen to this ad if you haven't heard it a million times already. Or if you have heard it, listen again. 
Maybe he can help you, and he can do more than arbitration and mediation. That's the subject of this ad, but he has many areas of expertise. If you have a, a bankruptcy situation in California, he's very good with that. He does those, I know. We've discussed with him about uh, some of the areas of law he practices. I feel, I'm kind of fascinated with the legal profession. I never have gone to law school, but many have told me that they thought that uh, I could have been a good lawyer had I gone into that area of study. Though I didn't have an interest in it at the time. I, I kind of developed this interest more later in life, at which point I would not want to start up with that. I'm just kind of too old to begin all that at this point. But uh, this is one of these things where nowadays I have more of an interest in it. So when I talk to lawyers, I, I, I'm interested in hearing what they're doing and the type of law they practice and a bunch of stuff like that. So I can tell you that Eric really knows what he's talking about. You've heard him on the show. You've heard examples of his knowledge. There's times I think that I've analyzed something very well from a legal perspective, and I go, I don't need a lawyer on here. Look, how, look what a good job I did. And then either Eric will come on, and I'll feel like, wow, I don't really know very much at all about this. Or I'll have other attorneys who listen to the show like message me other things I didn't think of or got wrong, and I go, crap, <laughs> I didn't do that as well as I thought. So I've come to the conclusion that when it comes to legal matters, I do a very good job from the standpoint of someone who has no legal training whatsoever, but not nearly as well as a good lawyer would. So anyway, I'm going to play Eric's ad, and we'll be back with a variety of topics, including several coronavirus topics. I think we're going to have a long show again. We're already more than five hours in. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money, or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California, you can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar. And he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. 
Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. All right, I, I messed up something here. Um, before radio, I, I texted various people who usually come on the show. I didn't bother with Cal Watt because he would have been asleep. But uh, I texted Traderuski. I texted Vintage One. And I thought I texted Brandon, but I didn't text Brandon. I didn't hit send. So Brandon, I guess he woke up or, or realized his show was going at one thirty, And he's like, what the hell? Why wasn't anyone telling me? So uh, he texted me, like, why would, why did he tell me about this? And then uh, I just saw this when I took this break two hours later. And I apologize for that. I thought I texted him and he just was sleeping. I even mentioned at the beginning of the show that he was going to come on, maybe, if he was in the mood for it, later at night. And I had not realized that my text I attempted to send him did not go through. So let's move on. I want to talk about Brian Mikon's appearance on the Live at the Bike, I guess you can call it podcast or interview show. I don't know what it is. It's this Wayne Chang is running it. He's been a long time Live at the Bike figure. And I don't know why Mikon was on there or why they invited him, but they did. And he was there. Let's see, now I can't find it. Okay, well, I, I was going to play you the clip, but it's, I can't get it anymore. <laughs> I don't see it anymore. It looks like it's been deleted. That's great. I'm not sure what the point of the interview was. I think it was kind of just to catch up with him since he was a former figure in poker and really isn't part of the community anymore. He has abandoned the poker community for the Bitcoin world. To be honest, he's found a lot more success in the Bitcoin world. And he's a different type of figure in the Bitcoin world than he was in poker. Now, for the few of you who don't know, Brian Mikon was my broadcast partner in two different shows that I did prior to Poker Fraud Alert. One of them was Never Win Poker Radio. And then when that ceased to exist, we created Donk Down Radio. And that existed for about two and a half years, of which like two of them I was part of it. Mikon and I were good friends for quite some time, but in 2011, our friendship abruptly ended. Now, it was already starting to have some strain on it, and I'm not going to go into that whole story again, but basically in August of 2011, I was forced off of Donk Down, and the two of us ceased being friends, and then became, uh, at least for the moment, enemies, and we... Had a lot of issues, which I won't go into again, but it was very disappointing the way it all went down. Let me just say that. So we really haven't had any contact for many, many years now. Last time I talked to him, I think was in 2012 or 13 or something like that. And it wasn't a pleasant conversation. We haven't had a pleasant conversation in like nine years. But anyway, uh, when people ask him about me, I've heard that he doesn't have very nice things to say. I don't know what it's like like really recently, but I know in the past 
he would say some pretty bad things, especially when people would just ask innocent questions, because a lot of people still don't realize that we aren't friends anymore. People just associated us together for so many years. And I still get people, even at the World Series of Poker, like last year, I have people asking me, so how's Brian Mike on these days? And I go, what, you didn't know? And they go, no, what? I go, you didn't know we're not friends anymore? Oh, what? What? When did that happen? So uh, there's some people who don't know. Some people think we've been friends all this time. And so I just politely explain to them. I say, I don't bash him. I say, we had a falling out in 2011, and we are not friends, and we don't talk anymore, and that's it. He lives in Antigua, he's into Bitcoins, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> so that's what I say. I've heard that he says some things that are, are pretty nasty about me. But maybe he doesn't do it anymore. The last I heard this was a few years ago. Well, the subject of me came up on the show on Live of the Bike when Wayne Chang was interviewing him. Because Wayne Chang went back to the very beginning and asked him, how did you get into poker? And he told the story of how he got into poker, which I, I won't repeat out here. It's not all that interesting. Just you know, Everyone's got, kind of got their story about how they found it. His wasn't all that unique. He was young at the time when he found it, like in college. But uh, they asked him about Never Win Poker. Because that Never Win Poker is what really read, what, that's what led to him becoming known. When he started Never Win Poker, nobody knew him. When he started Neverwin Poker, the the one who was known was Neverwin. And Neverwin was known because he was on this amazing run on Poker Stars where he was just crushing the 100-200 limit game and crushing everybody heads up. And what was interesting about Neverwin was he went from pretty much a fish in 2003 to a crusher in 2004. He wasn't just some guy who like rose up and just was killing every game he played. I was beating him over and over in 2003. I was watching him just get beat over and over in 03, and I said, this Neverwin guy lives up to his name. He sucks. He, he's just a maniac. He just loses all the time. He just shoots off to you. I was happy to see him in the game. And then in 04, it turned around, and he was just kicking ass and beating everybody, including me. And at the time, I wasn't friends with Neverwin. Uh, I was never close friends with Neverwin. I was much closer friends with Mikon. Neverwin and I were kind of like moderate friends. But uh, I never had a falling out with Neverwin. I haven't talked to him in a while, but uh, we he, he wasn't part of the whole fallout between me and Mike on. He stayed out of that, which was good. But Neverwin was the much bigger name at the time, and Mike on knew that, and that's why Mike on called it Neverwin Poker, not Mike on Poker. Neverwin Poker was started for the simple reason of being a fanboy site for Neverwin. Mike on really thought that Neverwin was going to blow up huge become one of the biggest names in poker ever. And they were creating this fan site, including with merchandise. And it was kind of dumb because Neverwin, while people were fascinated with his run, he wasn't worthy of having a fan site at that point or ever. So they created this fan site. At the time, I was like a rival of Neverwin's on Poker Stars, And we talked a lot of trash back and forth. We didn't actually hate each other. We just talked a lot of trash. And so I went to Neverwin Poker to troll. I actually went over to Neverwin Poker to mock him. And and I did. And that's how I started there. And then people were like, oh, Dan Druff! Like, like, because Neverwin himself didn't post there that much. Even though it was his site, or it was half his site, half him, half Mike on, as far as the ownership. I showed up to troll. And people noticed me, because they'd seen me playing a lot on Poker Stars and winning there. And people started asking me poker questions. So provided it was about limit... I could answer them, and I was uh, answering questions, and also I was kind of uh, creating a 
free speech kind of open atmosphere there. We Mygon didn't really have a plan what the forum was going to have. Like he started the forum kind of like to be a fan forum for Neverwin, but beyond that, he didn't really do anything. I kind of directed it. I didn't mean to do this. I actually just showed up to troll, but but then I kind of took a liking to the place and 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 some of the people there. So I started creating kind of the environment where everyone just speaks their mind and it was kind of the anti two plus two, where you could just say what you want with no consequence. And that the rules were very lax. I didn't make the rules, but Mikeon wasn't enforcing any and he wasn't really leading the conversation very well, Mikeon. So I kinda of took over and just uh it took over the conversations that is. And I was kinda of leading the conversation there and people kinda of were letting me do it because I was the only known poker pro there at the time, aside from Neverwin who didn't post very much. Eventually other poker pros showed up. But it became very big. That concept caught on very much. And then once Mikeon saw that happening, he uh, he went with it, and the site really grew. I did not own any piece of the site. I also did not have uh, any moderation abilities. I didn't have any authority over there at all for two years. I didn't get promoted to moderator until 2006. And some people don't remember that. Some people think I started it or co-started with Mikeon or with all three of us started it. It wasn't like that. So getting back to the interview with Wayne Chang, he was asking Mikeon about the history in poker and with Neverwin Poker, and Mikeon did accurately say that he and Neverwin started it together and then and then talked about what it became. The problem was Mikeon oversimplified the story and, in fact, uh, revised the story to where I just wasn't part of it. So Mikeon said that he and Dustin Wolf started this site, Never Win Poker, in 2004, and it was just a place where people go there and they post just a lot of outrageous, crazy things. And he says, I look back on it, some of it now, and some of it I'm proud of, some of it makes me cringe, some of it makes me ashamed, but, uh, you know, that's what it was at the time. And, and then he was explaining, like, everything about the site except me. I just wasn't part of the story. So then Wayne stopped him. Wayne knew something about this. And Wayne goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. So he said it was you and, you and uh, Neverwin, right? He said, yeah. Wasn't there a third guy? He asked him. And then Mike just paused. He's like, um, um, yeah, there was uh, a third guy, but uh, at the beginning, it was just me and Dustin. So anyway, <laughs> then he just moved on. So he really did not want to acknowledge me at all. He didn't want to talk about me. He didn't want to say my name. Nothing. Which is stupid. I say his name. You don't have to pretend I don't exist. I'm not insulted, by the way. Like he, he, If he wants to bring me up, fine. If he doesn't, fine. But it's so lame that they ask, is there a third guy? All he has to say is, yeah, there was a third guy who who kind of showed up there, eventually uh, became a big part of the site, and was kind of considered the third face of the site. And... Uh, Eventually, we had a falling out. We're not friends anymore. So, uh, and I really don't want to talk about it. It happened nine years ago. So let's. Uh, but anyway, that w- that was part of it. At one point, he could just move on like that. He couldn't say it was Dandruff, like, or even don't say it's Dandruff. He just goes, yeah, yeah. There was a third guy, but he wasn't there at the beginning. It was me and Dustin. So he kind of implied like he and Dustin got the whole thing established, and that a third guy came along later, which is so not true. The truth about everyone poker. And I'm not, I'm not being arrogant here. This is the truth. The truth about Never Win Poker is that it would have never gone anywhere, would have never become anything. No one would have known who Mikeon was in most, in all likelihood. Maybe he would have established his name in some other way. I mean, you know, I know he got deep in some World Series events and stuff like that. So I can't say for sure he wouldn't be established, but he was best known for Never Win Poker. 
And, and I'll agree that Never Win Poker was also a large part in me getting known, though winning a bracelet helped too, but that was also uh, largely associated with why I was known in poker. So it, it really helped both of us as far as publicity, some good, some bad, for uh, our time in poker. But uh, all of that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for me, because Mike Ant's plan was to start up a fan site for Never Win. And it was going to go nowhere, and he and Neverwin were not really contributing much interesting content. I was the one doing all of that. I was the one who invented the whole like free speech, anti-2 plus 2 environment. When I say anti-2 plus 2, I don't mean bashing 2 plus 2. I mean like the opposite of 2 plus 2. The, like the place you go to post the stuff they won't allow on 2 plus 2. Kind of like the open, free, anything-goes-say-anything type of place. And that was popular, especially because poker had a lot of young people at the time. Now it doesn't anymore, but back in 2004, there were a ton of young people in poker, and this really appealed to the young people in poker. I wasn't that young. Even back in 04, I wasn't that young. I was in my early 30s, but I was younger than now. I wasn't close to 50 like I am now, and uh, there were a lot of young people, like 10 years younger than me, who really liked that environment, and a lot of people my age who liked that environment. So we had uh, a pretty good following there wasn't as big as 2 plus 2 by any means, but the following grew and the, the site got to be pretty well known. And it was all because of that free speech atmosphere that I had developed there and that I had encouraged and I contributed a lot of content to that site, both uh, poker strategy-wise and just uh, general discussions that really helped to take off. And anyone around back then will tell you that's true, and if you still don't believe me, you can still find it in the Wayback Machine on archive.org, and you can look up some of these old posts. You can see how involved I was in getting the whole thing going, even though it wasn't my site, just because I enjoyed it there. And later they sold it, by the way. They sold it to Poker News in 2007 and got a lot of money for it. And I didn't. I barely got anything. And I wasn't happy about that, but I was. I accepted it. I wasn't happy at first, but I accepted it because I knew both of them needed the money. That is Neverwin and MyCon. Now, MyCon today is doing well, it appears. He seems to have uh, made a lot of money both from his SEAL site and through Bitcoin. He was one of the very early adopters of Bitcoin. So I give him credit for, for seeing that one. And it looks like he's done well for himself and is happy with that. And he has a daughter I know that he loves. And... Uh, He's still married. His, his, his marriage hasn't failed. So, you know, there's, uh, he's probably doing a lot better today than he was 10 years ago. And I could see in, uh, from watching him, I could see he's more mature now. But then again, who isn't? Like, who doesn't mature in 10 years? Uh, he was pretty immature 10 years ago. He seems like he's grown up some, but in some ways I still see as the same guy. In some ways I see some things of him that I don't even recognize at all. But, you know, regarding me, um, I, unfortunately, he has this belief that I screwed him over. And I didn't. And there's nothing hidden here. Like, people saw it taking place in dr forum drama right there. There's no secrets here. Uh, like, everything that's happened I've been open about. And I didn't screw him over at all. I was, unfortunately, the one who got screwed over. And it's really too bad. But that's that's the way things happen. And I know Brandon has his own story. I'll, I'll let Brandon tell his own story if he wants. I won't speak for him. 
But it's funny how he won't mention my name when they ask. I mean, they ask specifically about a third guy. I'm not expecting him to just bring me up, but they ask specifically about a third guy in the story of Never Win Poker, and he just said, oh, yeah, yeah, the, 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 the third guy. Uh, but that was after we had already gotten everything on. <laughs> I wish I had the clip still, but I don't know why Live at the Bike does this. I don't know why they delete these interviews. Like, I understand they have a premium product and that when they – they have these live streams of the poker play, and then they want people to pay to go back and look at it after it's done, and that's the that's where the subscription part comes in. But I don't understand why they are uh, not putting up an interview like this. There's like there's other interviews up here. Mikeon, he has a different reputation in the Bitcoin community than he did in poker. The way it's different is that in poker, Mikon was intentionally a clown. I'm not even saying this to be mean. Like he, he really tried to be a clown. He called himself the king of all degenerates. He was constantly into crazy antics. You were supposed to kind of see him as this wacky, uh, this wacky guy who doesn't take himself seriously and just does crazy and unpredictable things and just, uh, you know, smokes pot and doesn't give a shit. That, that was basically the image he tried to portray. But it was kind of a clown-like image. You, you, he kind of wanted you to see him as this uh, lovable, harmless, go, uh, you know, happy-go-lucky uh, guy who uh, didn't take life too seriously. That's kind of the image he tried to put on in poker. In Bitcoin, he didn't want that. He wanted respect. Because... In poker, people found him entertaining, but he didn't have a lot of respect. You've, you found very few people back in the day who respected Mikeon. Some liked him. Some thought he was entertaining. But there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of people in poker who respected him, and that bothered him. Today, there's some people who respect him because of the, the Bitcoin stuff, the fact that he was into Bitcoin before anybody else. But back then, people didn't respect him, and he wanted respect. Especially as he got older, he was disappointed that they didn't respect him. So when he got into the Bitcoin world, he decided, I'm not going to be a clown. I'm not going to be this wacky guy. I'm going to be someone that people take seriously. So he approached it differently, and he actually got some respect. And he got additional respect because he was kind of a martyr because he got busted for running that Bitcoin poker room seals with clubs. So people in the Bitcoin community were very sympathetic towards him that he was trying to run a Bitcoin poker site and that the government came after him and busted him. So it made it look like, you know, here's a guy who's trying to uh, advance Bitcoin, a guy who's trying to utilize Bitcoin for something it can be very useful for, which is gambling, and and gets in big trouble for it, for what they perceive to be a victimless crime. So a lot of people in Bitcoin respected him for that. And he also was good at uh, making influential friends, such as the aforementioned Roger Ver, who... Uh, when you're associated with people who are well-known in the Bitcoin community, then you can become well-known yourself. So Mikeon isn't a huge name in Bitcoin, but some people know him, and most people in Bitcoin respect him. I'm not anywhere near into the community like he is, and I really don't plan to. I'm just not that interested in it. I have some Bitcoin. I have some moderate interest in it, but I'm just not into it like he is. He just has really always been fascinated by it. I also have my doubts about the long-term viability of the current cryptocurrencies. 
think it could be something a long way off, but it'll look a lot different than the cryptocurrencies we see today. It's lasted longer than I expected, but uh, anyway. MyCon has uh, established himself in the Bitcoin community in a way he never did in poker, and that is he's seen more as a serious guy you respect rather than a clownish figure you laugh at and with. I mean, look what he was doing back on Everyone Poker. He was trying to make viral videos of him trying to piss in a cup in a hotel room. Like, seriously, he made videos like that trying to make them go viral. That was that was what he was going for back then, and now he's going for a guy who is portraying himself as uh, knowledgeable about Bitcoin and uh, someone who wants you to respect his advice about cryptocurrency. So it's very different. And that's fine. You know, people can reinvent themselves. People can change. People can mature. And if he has found his way in life, and if it revolves around the cryptocurrency community and he's been financially successful with it, and if he's getting satisfaction and he's getting the respect he's desiring, that's all good. Fine. I don't uh, hold any of that against him. I'm not going to criticize any of it. I do wish that he could see the truth about what happened in our friendship more accurately. If he ever wanted to discuss it again in a rational fashion, I I would discuss it with him. I'm not looking to be friends again or anything. uh, And I don't think he wants to be friends with me again. I think there's a lot of bitterness there over what happened. But uh, I would be glad to tell him again what my perspective was and that I wasn't trying to be a jerk and to ruin him and that uh, I felt very betrayed of what was going down. So I, I don't want to rehash all that again, but uh, that's the truth. I had good intentions the whole way until it was clear that the other side did not have good intentions. <laughs> and then, then my intentions couldn't be so good anymore. But I tried. You wouldn't believe some of the long phone calls we had about this matter in 2011. Like, way longer than they should have been, and I put way more effort than I should have. I should have given up a long time before I did. But that eventually led to the starting of Poker Fraud Alert. And when I started Poker Fraud Alert, I actually decided I don't want any partners. For that reason. I said, I've I've had enough drama. I don't want to fight with others about how this is being run, and I don't want... Uh, other friendships being destroyed. I don't want other uh, disputes. I, I just, I just want it simple. I just want to do it the way I think we should do it, and uh, have a hundred percent of the decision making done by me, and a hundred percent of the responsibility in my lap. If it succeeds, it's because of me. If it fails, it's because of me. And there's nobody who can question me besides the users of the site. That's what. I wanted for Poker Fraud Alert, and that's why I've resisted having mods all this time on the forum. That's why I have not taken on any other owners. That's why anything I've done here, it's been kind of like on a volunteer basis. If people want to volunteer to be co-hosts, they can. If they're on regularly enough, I can put their name in the show. But but no one's ever going to own any part of the site except for me. And that's the way I've wanted it, and I just went through enough bad experiences not doing that to where this is what I want going forward. And this is what I wanted when I started Poker Fraud Alert. In fact, I would not have started Poker Fraud Alert if I had to do it with a partner. 
All right. I don't know why that one interview with Micon's missing, but if any of you find it, you can let me know. Should have saved it. Should have saved it. That was my mistake. Should have known these things just disappear like that. Okay, I want to talk about the botch ring that was discovered. This is kind of interesting. And this may end up being a, a bigger story than it is right now. But right now they're still kind of unrolling it and figuring it out. The one reason why this isn't going to be a huge story is because it's nothing that's surprising. And I don't think it involves anybody that's a big name in poker. So it's pretty much you have a bunch of people who are operating bots who aren't really known players that are doing so over a lot of sites and were largely undetected. And these are people not in the U.S. So like, okay, but we know bots are out there. Like, We're very aware bots are running on these poker sites. And we're very aware that people from outside the U.S. are operating most of them. So it was interesting, but it's something I don't think is going to be a major, major scandal. Like, It's not going to be like a Postle-type scandal because uh, there's nothing new about it that we're going to see other than more details of what we already knew. So this was posted on 2 Plus 2 on August 8th by a user named a dude, A space D-E-W-D. A dude is a pretty smart guy. He I don't know who he is in real life. He makes a lot of good posts there. I think he's in the East Coast. Uh, it seems like most of the stuff he writes on 2 Plus 2 is pretty spot on. But beyond that, I don't know much about him. And this is what he wrote. Something that has been worked on for most of the last month. The link below are the actual files of the bot farm. The complete file has everything including documents used to verify accounts of the firms, bank statements, etc. For legal purposes, that stuff has been removed. What is still available to see is the operating files. They include screenshots of the start and end of every session, the name of the bot player, the site played on, how to evade bot detection in the registry files, text messages with the consultants helping to set them up, etc. Everything. A few people knew about this because we really reached out to almost all the sites that were included in the list so they could take appropriate action. Basically, every site we contacted was thankful and moved accordingly. There is another round to be published in the not-too-distant future. I am not the head potato in charge of this, the head potato, but I was approached by people that had the info that wanted to be able to read the powers that be at the firms listed. Not every network we had direct direct access to management. He's referring to the poker sites. The ones we did definitely were proactive. The file is over 46 gigabytes. It's huge. And there should be a follow-up or two in the next 30 days. So he, uh, this guy posted a, uh, a screenshot which contains the bot name. It has the site they were playing on. It has the, the times they were being used. It has a lot of information. So it's this giant file. That uh, of data that he dumped with 46 gigabytes, over 100,000 screenshots. Wow. And you, you get to see tons. Of, I mean, there's so much to go through there. That's the problem is that even with several people working on this, it's something that's just going to take a lot of time to put together. It was found by going through it that it seems like, like every site had bots on it. Like every major site seems like they had it. Uh, at first, they thought maybe it's not on Bovada Ignition. Nope, they, they found evidence of uh, the bots on Bovada at Ignition. These bots were not playing at high stakes, from what I can tell. It seems like these were lower stakes bots, not micro stakes, but lower stakes. 
And the reason for this is that uh, there's much more opportunity for the bots to play. Way more games are going, and also they won't be detected as easily. So they need a lot of games running, and they need to kind of blend in. And it's easier to blend in at lower stakes, because individually none of these accounts win all that much, but combined all these bots win a ton. Uh, so there's various uh, screenshots people posted from within the data. It looks like this is probably based out of Russia, because I'm seeing what looks like uh, Russian writing in the file names. I see one, in fact, called uh, Bodog here, so definitely going on on uh, Bovada Ignition, because that's uh, part of the Bodog network. But it was going on at, at every major site you could think of. And uh, he, he's saying here that these sites were cooperative, and he said that when it, when they were directed to the screen names of these bots, these sites banned them. So it wasn't like the sites didn't care, which he was impressed with. He was saying at least these sites seem to care that there's bots on there. They're not just uh, dismissing it. So that, that's a good thing. That's a good thing, at least, that when brought to them, that the sites are deciding to take action. Now, what's not good is that the sites are not very proactive with finding the bots themselves. They've, it's more if you bring it to them and they believe you, they'll do something, but... There is a big botting problem all over online poker now. And it's not just at the high stakes. It's more at the low stakes than the high stakes. And the problem is that since the competition at lower stakes is also not as strong, the bots don't have to be as good to get a good win rate going. So you have a good bot that plays solid strategy that doesn't tilt, of course, doesn't get tired, doesn't misclick, just plays good, solid poker, and always plays its A game, of course. And it faces a number of opponents who aren't that good. After a ton of hands, it's going to win a lot of money. And if you multiply that by tons of bots in these games, and if these bots can communicate with each other to tell each other their holdings to make their decisions better, now, you're not going to get a ton of info by knowing just two cards of an opponent that folded, but you it, it can help. Or, if even more advanced, these bots could communicate with each other and collude somewhat. So it's one thing to know the folded whole cards of another person at the table, which gives you some edge. But imagine if the, both players are in the hand, and the bots can coordinate the way they're going to play the hand to either force out the other opponent or to trap the other opponent in so they're kind of progressively forced to put more money in from behind. Uh, they can also be programmed well enough to where they don't do anything outrageous to which can be pointed to as non-standard play. So these bots won a lot of money. It's assumed that together these bots won millions of dollars. And it's still in the process of being exposed. Uh, I don't know if people are being compensated. Probably not, because uh, or probably not that much. Because the sites will only compensate you if they co- if they confiscate money. If they close a, an account by a bot that doesn't have anything left in it, then that doesn't get any money back. That just closes the account. There are some complaints that it is very hard to detect bots as a player. That these are internal company files from the bot ring. 
somehow this leaked. I don't. I, it's uh, I'm not sure how, but somehow they got access to these internal files of this massive bot ring. But that a player cannot detect it because of these anonymous sites. A, a good place for these bots to be is somewhere like Bo, Bovada, because they're anonymous, so you can't harvest player data. You can't start scanning for play patterns that would be identical or near identical of certain regular players that play all the time to where you say, hey, wait a minute, these guys play exactly alike or very similar. They, they've got, they're probably bots, and then you look further and yeah, they're bots. So since these are anonymous sites, the player is pretty powerless to detect bots because you'd really detect bots through a lot of data analysis and you can't do that on a site that uh, doesn't show screen names. Looking at this other post by a Tyler RM who has been uh, analyzing the documents, he's finding that these bots are registered to d- Ukraine and Russia. And it appears that most people's birth dates who are registered there are between uh, 1985 and uh, 1998. So it's mostly younger people that are being used for this. There are some older ones. I see one from uh, May 1960. I see one from uh, 1971. But uh, most of these are supposedly people who are in their uh, early 20s through mid-30s. And all of them... I see a few from Moldova, too, but all from that general area. Ukraine, Russia, kind of like the former USSR type stuff. Uh, Belarus, another one. Not surprising locations for these bots to be coming from. Not at all. So there's a lot of this going on. So if you're playing online poker and you're worried about being things being rigged against you, let's say you're playing 1-2-no limit and it just seems like you're always taking bad beats and it seems like your aces are always losing and it seems like your opponent's draws always get there. They, they put way too much money in with a flush draw and get there on the river and you go, this is freaking rigged. You know what you should really be worried about? Not it being rigged. It's probably not rigged. You know what you should be worried about? That your opponents are bots. That's the big threat to you. Not rigged sites. The fact that there are bots at the table. You've probably played against several bots. Maybe bots at the same time. And maybe bots that are communicating and colluding at the same time. That's what you should be worried about. So there are a lot of bots in online poker right now. It's a big problem. And this exposed it. We've known it. But we really see this for the first time with clarity because we got to see internal documents. Uh, GG Poker is there. Poker Stars, Party Poker, America's Card Room, Chico, 888, Gray Snow. I haven't heard of Gray Snow, but they're listing that. Bovada Ignition, iPoker. They're all pretty much represented. Like every major poker network is there. So that's just one of these bot rings. That's not the only bot ring out there. It's not like we found all the bots. There's just one bot ring. It's a very big one, but there's tons of them. Actually, I said stars. I'm not sure if there was evidence of stars or not. There may I, I'm a little unclear. It seems like contradictions in this thread regarding whether there was uh, stars. A lot of these bot rings are afraid of stars. They've been very good at detecting bots. 
So sometimes I just keep away from it and hit the other sites, which are easier to nail. Even if Stars isn't on there, every other major site is. So be careful. You're not going to beat the bots. These bots, especially if they're cheating, are going to be very tough. So if you see a number of players in your game from Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Moldova, good chance it's bots. Not for sure, not sure, but you should suspect it, especially if you see more than one. If you're in a game with uh, three people from that area, you should leave because it's probably bots. And you may say, well, bots, they can't, you know, they can't manipulate the cards. They can't super use, so I'll, I'll just deal with them. You, you can try, you're not going to win. The reason bots are so hard to deal with is because, number one, they can collude with each other. Number two, they have perfect memory. Number three, they have no emotion. Number four, they have no fatigue. So good luck beating them. That's why bots are so bad. It's unfair. The natural human weaknesses that exist in every human being do not exist in bots. If you could play like a bot, you'd be a better poker player. I'd be a better poker player if I could play like a bot. But I can't. I make mistakes. I will get emotional. I will get tired. I'll misclick. I won't have perfect memory of everything an opponent does. Bots do. They can do things humans can't. You're not going to beat them. And then they can cheat you too. So good job uh, on these guys for finding this bot ring. Still not sure how they got access to that data, but whatever way they did it, good job. And hopefully this has interfered with this to some degree. But this is just the beginning. It's kind of like finding an ant nest in your home and you kill it and you don't have as much of an ant problem for the moment. But does that mean you won't have any ants in your house in the future? No, it does not. It just means at the moment you've reduced the number of ants. The ant problem will never end, at least until the winter time when they go hibernate. And similarly, neither will the bot problem on online poker sites. And that is the biggest problem in online poker today. Not bum hunters, definitely not rigged sites, not even super users, though when that does happen it's terrible, but that's not happening in many places. Maybe not even in any places right now. The big problem are bots, and it's getting worse and worse. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number. Let's see if we got any texts. From the 915, Druff, how come you know so much about the range of hooker quality in Las Vegas? Hmm, well, I will tell you. I have not ever gotten a hooker in Las Vegas or anywhere. But living in Las Vegas for as long as I did, I became aware of the industry. It's hard not to. In fact, I was a little bit fascinated by it, not from the standpoint of wanting to get a prostitute, but just the whole aspect, the whole way it operates, the, the, the way they put the ads, the, uh, the, the, the price range, and the guys getting rolled. All, the, the whole thing was kind of fascinating to me. It was almost like a little reality show. So I, I was interested in kind of learning how it all worked. I, I didn't interview anyone or anything. I just kind of uh, observed online. And I kind of got to learn these things. I've never had an interest in doing this 
for doing this, meaning getting prostitutes, for a few reasons. Uh, number one, like the disease thing that would scare me. And number two, uh, it just wouldn't be a turn-on to me that a girl really just isn't into me at all and is only doing it for money. I have to feel like the girl is into me at least somewhat. That she's there because she wants to be. And if I know she's not, which I would know with a prostitute, there's some guys that delude themselves. They think they're so charming or so good-looking or whatever that they think the girls are really enjoying being with them. That's usually not the case. It's almost never the case that the hooker is enjoying being with you. She may pretend it, or she may try to make the best of the situation, but in reality, she would not be there with you if this was her choice. Now, there are men these prostitutes would prefer to be with than others if given the choice between like a, they take a prostitute who's 25 years old if given the choice to be with a good looking 30 year old guy or some uh, fat ugly 65 uh, year old guy uh, who would they rather be with I think you know but even the good looking 30 year old they really wouldn't want to be with because to them it's a job to them it's just they know they're just being used for sex they know these guys are Basically, just buying their body. It's not a turn on to them. They're not enjoying it. Um, in fact, a lot of prostitutes have a hard time establishing real relationships, even when they're done with that whole life. And even if they cover it up from the new men they meet, because they just have a hard time trusting men. They they really get to sour on men from doing that as, as a career. It, it, the same thing happens to strippers. So this can be very psychologically damaging to them, even even without them realizing it. So they, they really don't enjoy being with you, and, and I would know that, and it would just bother me. And that's the same psychology that had prevented me from ever pursuing a girl who I felt wasn't interested in me. There's some guys who will keep pursuing, 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 when a girl who they like doesn't like them back. And usually they're not successful. Occasionally they'll win them over, but usually not. Usually they just get annoying, sometimes even stalkerish. That never happens with me because, like, once I felt a girl did not like me back, I would lose interest myself. I'd go, oh, she doesn't like me. <laughs> like, she'd become less appealing to me at that point for not liking me. So that's just kind of a, a natural feeling I had that never made this appealing to me. And everybody's different, as I've said Many times in this show, everybody's different. So for me, not only didn't I have a desire to get prostitutes, I, for different reasons, I never had a desire to do drugs. I just never, it was never appealing to me to alter my state of mind. I didn't want to see things differently. I didn't want my mind to be in a different state. I didn't want to hallucinate. I didn't want to get into some sort of... Uh, super relaxed mood. I just, I wanted to stay the same. I wanted to stay the same and alert and normal. <laughs> so it just wasn't appealing to me. So I never had the temptation to do it. It's just not in me to want to do. I know many people are different and to them it's very appealing. But with the prostitution thing, the the whole way the industry functions is fascinating. So that's how I got to know that stuff. It also doesn't take a genius to know that the $100 hooker is not as good as the $1,000 hooker. That, I think, would be obvious to everybody. All right, if you want to text me, 775-372-8355 is a way to do so. 
and I will probably read it on this show. Okay, moving on here. Wow, we have good ratings at this time. Why do we have so many people listening at 4 a.m. Pacific time? Jeez. A lot more people than I expected. I was afraid to look at the ratings, and I looked, and I said, whoa, that's a good rating uh, number for this time of night. Okay, I'm going to go on to talk about the coronavirus. And uh, Mr. Tickle, I hope you're listening, because uh, if you want to call in, the time is now. Mr. Tickle lives in Russia. He's a young man. I think he's 25 years old or so. He is from England and lives in Russia. We've had him on the show fairly recently. He said he wanted to call in about the Russia vaccine situation. So I'm going to skip over that and make that our second coronavirus topic, waiting for Mr. Tickle to call in. Not even sure what time it is in Russia, but he said if I go, he said I need to go later than 2 a.m. Pacific time. Well, we're way, we're way past 2 a.m. Pacific, so... Mr. Tickle, I'll help you there. All right, so in the meantime, I want to talk about something New York did that is not getting as much attention as it should. And that is what they did involving the nursing home COVID-19 death numbers. Now, I've been shouting this from the mountaintops. I really want everybody to pay attention to what went on in New York with the nursing homes because with all the criticism that is thrown at President Trump for the coronavirus. And we're not going to get into Trump here. I I don't want to get into Trump here. But I will say that the biggest criticism, the harshest criticism, should not be directed to Trump over this. It should be directed at the governors and other state officials that forced COVID-positive patients into nursing homes where then tons of nursing home patients died. Notice you're not seeing a lot of stories about the percentage of people dying from COVID being in nursing homes. Now, you'd expect the number to be fairly high just because that's where the oldest people are and where the old people who also have medical conditions live often. So that's the most vulnerable part of the population, especially for the coronavirus. And it would make sense that they would die at a much higher rate than everybody else, but It's higher than you would probably think. Last I saw, nationally, 43 to 47% of all COVID-19 deaths in the United States occurred in nursing homes. I bet you didn't think it was that high, that close to half the deaths in the U.S. were in nursing homes. I mean, that is pretty bad. Now, as I said, some of that's to be expected, but not to that level. And two of the places which have been really bad with the nursing home deaths, and they're very, very shady about releasing these numbers, which we're going to get into, are New York and Michigan. And I know I've mentioned it on the show before. They thought they had a smart plan in these states with fear that hospitals were going to run out of space. They're going to run out of beds. They thought, wait a minute. People who are getting over COVID, we don't need them really in the hospital anymore. We don't need them hogging up a bed. They still need to finish recovering. But if someone's on the way to getting better, even if they're old, if they seem to be progressing, if things are getting better and better, uh, we really need the space for somebody else. But if they're not quite better yet, 
we, we don't want to just kick them back into the population. So where can we put them that's not a hospital, but that uh, they can rest and recover, they can be kept away from uh, general society, and it frees up a hospital bed? And they came up with the idea. Nursing homes. Not all nursing homes are full. There's nursing homes that have a lot of open space at the moment. So they thought, wait a minute. We have these empty beds at nursing homes. They're perfect for this. We can just move the recovering COVID patients there. Once who are still COVID positive but uh, aren't uh, in danger of death or progressing towards death. And we'll move those patients to the nursing homes and they can be taken care of there. So this way it frees up the hospital beds to actually treat people who are getting worse and worse and might be on the way to dying. What a brilliant idea, thought Andrew Cuomo. What a brilliant idea, thought Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. So they mandated that any nursing home which had fewer than 80% of the beds full had to take COVID-19 positive patients. They were actually sent there. They're saying, let's unclog our hospitals. Let's send COVID-19 patients there. Now, in New York, they sent people who are actually of nursing home age there. In Michigan, they actually sent people of any age, whether they were of nursing home age or not, meaning that people, uh, young people, there's a terrible video that went around of a 20-year-old criminal who was, who had COVID, was sent to a nursing home and then proceeded to go around there and beat up old people for fun. That was pretty bad. <laughs> so they did this thinking they're freeing up hospital beds because they were so sure that the coronavirus pandemic was going to fill up the hospitals and soon there's going to be nowhere for anyone to be treated and people were going to die and they couldn't be accepted. They had to be turned away and it would be this tragedy. People would be unable to get into the hospital for treatment and just die. And this prevents that. And Andrew Cuomo thought, what a hero I'll be for doing this. And Gretchen Whitmer thought the same thing. One little problem, though. The nursing homes are also the place where the most vulnerable Americans live. Where people who get COVID-19 have a high chance of dying if they get it. So, maybe that's not a good place to put them. And that concern was, of course, raised. And Whitmer and Cuomo answered, okay, now there's a solution. We'll just set aside areas of the nursing home. This area will be for COVID-19 people, and this area will be for healthy people. We won't expose the old people to the sick people, and therefore everyone will be safe, and we'll make sure that the workers at the nursing homes wear protective equipment so they don't catch it themselves and transmit it. Okay, we're done. Very clever plan. We've got it all covered. Great job, everybody. Well, as you might guess, that didn't work out. As you might guess... These people who were forced into these nursing homes, these nursing homes by law could not refuse it. They wanted to refuse it. The nursing homes like, no, 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 please, please don't bring the coronavirus in here. And they're like, no, you're going to take them. You're going to separate them. You're going to have your employees wear protective equipment. It'll all be good. Don't worry about it. Well, they should worry. They were correct to worry because these people who were brought in with COVID-19 spread it around. They didn't try to spread it around, but it spread. Why? Number one, the disease was not understood very well. And they knew they didn't understand it well, but they were so arrogant that they thought they understood it. So even though there was a lot unknown, they figured out, we'll just separate them, it'll be fine. Well, it transmitted anyway, either because the protective equipment was not as effective as they thought it was, 
or that it trans it transmitted through the ventilation system or something like that. I guess the latter. Now, what we know today, it, it transmits a lot through ventilation systems, so it it probably sucked sucked the coronavirus from the area of the nursing home where the COVID patients were, and then uh, let the air out on the other side and uh, got all the old people sick. Anyway, tons of old people in these nursing homes died. Tons of people in these nursing homes died. And once the story started getting out, Whitmer and Cuomo realized that they had a problem, that they were going to look very bad, that their policies killed old people, which it did. If you don't believe me, this isn't a crazy right-wing conspiracy. Google it. You'll see very credible reports about this. So they said, crap, we have to be careful now because if the numbers get out, uh, how bad our nursing home death situation was compared to other states, it's going to be very clear that we just killed people with our policy. So we've got to cover this up somehow. So Michigan just didn't release the data. They just, people kept demanding the data for the nursing homes in Michigan. They just weren't releasing it. New York took a different approach. They did release the data and it didn't look that bad. So maybe poor Andrew Cuomo was accused for nothing. Maybe it was safer than we thought. Maybe, you know, of course people are going to die in nursing homes from COVID. Of course that's going to happen. So if it wasn't much worse than other parts of the country, where they didn't force people in who were COVID positive, then maybe Andrew Cuomo didn't really have blood on his hands. Or did he? It has come out that the state of New York engaged in a very, very shady and dishonest scheme to reclassify COVID deaths in nursing homes to be ones that were not in nursing homes, thus bringing their numbers down. Again, this is not a right-wing conspiracy. This is fact. You can Google it and read the reports on this from credible sources. What New York did is they said, well, we can't outright lie. We can't just say this death didn't occur in this nursing home. Because if it did, we have to say it. And if we lie about it then uh, and we're caught, then it's going to look horrible. So we have to find a way to bring down the numbers while not directly lying. How do we do that? Well, you know statistics. There's always ways to manipulate statistics. So they came up with a way. The question is, how many people died in nursing homes? And they said, wait a minute, look at that question. How many people died in nursing homes? Not how many people died from nursing homes, but how many people died in nursing homes? Which means if you took one step outside the nursing home and died there, even if you caught it in the nursing home, even if it got really bad in the nursing home to where you were critical, and then you left the nursing home at that point for treatment, the second you step off the property, if you die before you return, you didn't die in the nursing home. Therefore, it was not a nursing home death. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that nice and honest of Governor Cuomo? So that was the policy in New York. If the person didn't actually die while on nursing home property, it was not classified a nursing home death. Isn't it crappy? So if a nursing home resident gets sick in the nursing home, if this nursing home resident has not left the nursing home and gets COVID there and gets very sick and then is moved out of the nursing home for treatment and dies when they're getting treatment, then it is not a nursing home death according to, according to the state of New York. Is that bad or what? Is that dishonest or what? Why, why do you think they're classifying it that way? Why, why do you think they won't call it a nursing home death just because the person actually died when not physically on the property? I mean, the whole point of counting nursing home deaths is to figure out the true danger of being in a nursing home. 
So really, if you were to get it in a nursing home and get really, really sick, and moments before dying, you stumble off the property and die on the sidewalk, that's not a nursing home death by New York state law, and they will not count it that way. If you are off property, it's not a nursing home death. Isn't that insane? Now, they didn't run off and stumble off the property because they didn't have that uh, energy to do so, these people who were about to die of COVID. But what did happen a lot is they were brought to the hospital, they'd die in the hospital, and they would be not called a nursing home death. So this brought the numbers way down. Because for it to be a nursing home death, the person would have to die before they could be brought to the hospital. So this would only count the people who were found dead in their room. That say they're sick one day, and then uh, a few more days pass, and before you before they complain about breathing problems or anything, uh, they, they go check on them again, and they're dead. So they clearly died of COVID, or at least uh, COVID was a factor in their death. But you know, so that's that's the only COVID death they count. They do not count anyone who had COVID and was transferred out for care or sent anywhere and then died outside the nursing home. Unbelievable. And no other state did it this way. So that's how New York kept its numbers down. Again, if you don't believe me, go take a look. Go take a look. Google it and take a look. Look at honest, credible articles about it. Don't, don't read it on the most right-wing, questionable, highly partisan sites. Pick an article you trust, pick a source you trust, read it, and you will be very pissed off. This was done by Governor Cuomo. This was done by Gretchen Whitman, Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. This was also done in Pennsylvania by the uh, transgender uh, health, what is her title? Health something, uh, the, the one in charge of... Uh, public health in Pennsylvania. I'm forgetting the name of that title. They did that there too. Tons of extra deaths occurred as a result of that. A lot of extra unnecessary deaths. See, the coronavirus is going to spread through every population once until we get a vaccine. And that's provided the vaccine works as well as we're hoping. If it doesn't, it's still going to spread through the population once. And then it seems to die down. But since everywhere gets it once, at least until we can stop it, then it's a matter of when, not if, as far as general populations. So then it's a matter of once it hits an area, how good are you at keeping the vulnerable people away from it? Because keeping, like, the way you get herd immunity is either through a vaccine or through a lot of the population having it. So if, if you're going to do it through a lot of the population having it, the ones you want to have get it are the ones who are not going to die from it or get significantly damaged from it, like young people. The ones you don't want to have it are the old people that are going to die at a high rate. So when it goes through a nursing home and destroys it and just kills tons of people there, that's not even doing anything for herd immunity. These are needless deaths. These are terrible needless deaths that should have been prevented. The nursing homes should have been protected big time. And somehow they've screwed this up the whole way. Now, most states and most countries have screwed this up. Most of them were not protecting the nursing homes as much as they should. But none did it as bad as Michigan and New York and I I believe part of Pennsylvania as well. None of them did it as bad because they actually forced in, by law, COVID-positive patients. They said to the nursing home, you can't turn them away. In fact, we're going to send them to you and you can't say no. How much are you seeing in the media about that? How much are you seeing in CNN about it? How much are you seeing in MSNBC? How much are you seeing in the HuffPost about this? 
Are, are you seeing this? You're probably not. If you're seeing anything, it's probably very little. Why is there not major outrage about this? Wasn't this a dumb plan from the start? It's not even like this is a good plan and it just happened to not work out. This was a dumb plan from the start. I could go up to my nine-year-old son, Benjamin, and say, Ben, you know how it's old people who are dying from this the most, right? He'll say yes. He knows that. Say, okay, you know, nursing home, that's where like old and sick people go. They're like the the most vulnerable to the coronavirus, right? He'll say yes. I'll say, okay, do you think it would be a smart idea for states to require nursing homes to take in people who have COVID-19? Or do you think the state should say they shouldn't take people who are COVID-19? What, what do you, which way do you think he would go? Which way do you think the nine-year-old would say is the right thing to do? So how come a nine-year-old could figure this out if I were to pose the question to him, and Governor Cuomo could not, and Governor Whitman could not? Like, this was super obvious, and they screwed it up. And they had blood on their hands. And it frustrates me that this is not a huge story. This should be something everywhere. They should be shamed big time for this. Instead, they're popular figures within the Democratic Party. So, if you want to be fair, if you want to be honest about the coronavirus and the handling of it by Trump, if you want to bash Trump about the coronavirus, no matter what your criticisms are of Donald Trump, you need to go look up what I'm talking about, including this trick that New York pulled. Why do you think they pulled that trick? You think this is a coincidence? You think this is an accident? You think that was just the way they were reporting? Or you think there's a sinister motive to hide the nursing home deaths they had because it was really bad there and they screwed up big time? What do you think it is? What do you think the real reason for that is? So go look that up. And then go take a look how much the media is covering it. And ask yourself why. Ask yourself why. Ask ask yourself if the media is being honest with you. Ask yourself if the media really wants to report the facts about this or if they really want to report the facts that make Trump look bad only. Now, if Trump does or says something stupid that they can honestly and accurately report and make him look bad, yeah, they'll do it. And yeah, they should. But if they're only covering stuff that Trump does and says, and if they exaggerate the impact of it, and if they don't cover or barely cover the huge mistakes that were made by these Democratic governors that killed far more people than any mistake Trump made, then they're not being very honest with you, are they? And this is what I want you to watch out for. Because I just want the truth. I don't want the truth that makes Trump look good or the Republicans look good. I don't want the truth that makes the Democrats look bad. I want just the truth. And if the truth happens to be that Democrats did a better job, then I want to know that truth. And then I will say, my fellow Republicans screwed this up. But you should want to know that, too, if you're a Democrat. You should want to know if your own party screwed this up. You should want to know if some of the hero governors of your party are anything but that. And you should question why the media is not jumping on this. It bothers me when I don't get the full story from anyone about anything. Some people are happy not to have the full story. Some people are happy with any story that makes their side look good and the other side look bad. And they're happy when their source of news tries not to cover very much that goes against people on their own side. But I'm not happy with that. I want just the honest truth of what's really happening. And then I can decide for myself of which side I support and how I really feel about each situation, not just the coronavirus, but everything. 
But just it just was so outrageous to me to learn about this thing that New York did about covering up the numbers and classifying the nursing home deaths in that way. I wanted to put that out here. Just something for you guys to think about. So next time you say Trump did this, this is Trump's fault, his coronavirus, his mishandling, look at all the dumb things he said. Okay. But then look at this too. Let's talk to Mumbles Badly for a second. I'll take a call here. We have another call today. Hello. Hello, Mumbles Badly. What's going on? Man, how are you doing? Well, okay. I'm just trying to get through the last few topics of the show before shutting this down here. Very long here to do myself. I just want to thank you for having a long show. I've been listening for about an hour so far. And I wanted to do something to inaugurate your broadcast of the show so you can join uh, Dressel in the honors. Are you ready? I'm not sure. You but ready? Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I knew it was going to be that. I knew it was going to be a toilet. That's why, that's why I wasn't that enthusiastic about this. No! Come on, man. That toilet, I cooked that, I took that recording of that toilet in, uh, how uh, was it, uh, Henderson, Henderson, Nevada. But it's a recorded toilet? It's not, it's not even a live toilet? Yeah, yes, it's, it's a recorded toilet. I recorded it, and I have a little, I have a little Bluetooth speaker in my truck now. I have that recording on my iPad, and, I can be ready to fl- play. I can be ready to play it anytime. You know, it's much worse. It's much worse that you recorded a toilet and have it ready rather than just flush the toilet on the phone. I'd, I'd much rather it was just a live toilet. <laughs> well, you know, I, I could go. In, I'm going to go into the truck stop now to get there. You know. Okay. Well, do you have anything else to say besides uh, toilet flushing? No, I just think that uh, you're having a lot of fun. You know, uh, I agree that the uh, they screwed up with those nursing home things. That was a complete freaking disaster. It was you definitely have not. You know. They what they really should have done was uh, everywhere was really really protected. Just said we're we're going to put on massive restrictions for the nursing homes, and uh, and if anyone oh, even yeah. has a slight appearance of having COVID nineteen, they're not coming in. And anyone who works here who seems to have it, they're gone too. And we're just uh, we're going to keep this away. As much as possible. And that, now they're like, oh, the ventilation system. Why well, we didn't think of that. You have to go into the ventilation system. Wow. So, yeah, you know, you know here's I think what happened with these people, right? These people are thinking, they're thinking two things, budgets and what can they do quickly. So the, the issue probably might have been they're just, their thinking was financial versus health management. No, that it happened in more than one state is not, I don't think, a coincidence. Because if they'd approach it rationally, you know, from a point of view of, like, trying to keep the, the, the dangerous people away from it, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have done that. Well, I, I think the reason this occurred is just because they were so focused on one thing, they forgot everything else. And, and that can easily happen if you're not careful with it. In fact, a, a popular social engineering technique often used by scammers or other social engineers is to get your mind on something that is, that is seemingly more important. And then once you're distracted with it, then they can 
extract a piece of information out of you, which otherwise you'd be suspicious if it's if you're asked about. So, uh, well, I mean, really, I mean, I don't think that's the motivation of the people who work for those governments to say, hey. You know, let's force these nursing homes to take these COVID patients. I think no, no, that's not that's not what I'm saying though. I'm saying that uh, that because they were, it's just human nature that when you're really consumed with one concern, that concerns for other things you normally have would be at the window. So they were so concerned with, oh my God, what if we don't have space in the hospitals? This is this is growing so quickly. This coronavirus. What if we we run out of bed super fast? We have nowhere to put them, and people just die. They can't get treated. That's a disaster. Right. It happened in Italy. They're afraid it's going to happen here. What do we do? What do we do? Oh, look, empty beds in nursing homes. Let's move the recovering people there. Well, what about the people in the nursing homes? Oh, we'll, we'll find ways to protect them. We'll keep them safe. Don't worry. So that's that's uh, what they I wanted think, to do. Yeah, I, th- I agree. That's probably what happens. Yeah, and, and it's just it's ludicrous if you think about it. When I heard about this after it had already occurred, I said, what? Like, did they really do that? Like, I, I thought it was when I first heard this. Of course, the right wing uh, news sites are pushing this because it makes the left look bad. So I'm thinking, ah, oh, you know, right. there's got to be more than this. This, this has got to be something that, uh, when I find out the full details, it's not as bad. But no, I looked into it. Yeah, it was as bad as they said. <laughs> it wasn't just right wing uh, well, sites trying to push it. Let's let's be let's be fair here. People, the state, those state governments reacted badly to that crisis, right? We both agree on that. What do you say? No, they, the, 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 those state governments, right? New York, Pennsylvania, Michigan. Yeah, they did. They reacted yeah. badly, right? Now they ask the question, but it didn't happen in the red states, right? Like it didn't happen in Florida. Yeah. It didn't happen in Texas, right? The issue is, I think, where did the crisis happen first? It happened first in those blue states. They screwed up. It's so true. to blame it on Democratic politics versus Republican politics is kind of like, well, it didn't happen in the Republican states until after people figured out, wait a minute, this is a disastrous policy. Well, but I, I think it I should mean, have been obvious. Like if, if someone had presented this policy to me and I was a governor, like without knowing any oh, – just knowing that – old people die from this at such a high rate, I would say absolutely not. No way. Like, before I know much more at all, I'm not saying based upon seeing it fail there or even the knowledge today that it might be going through the ventilation systems and killing people. Uh, even without that information, I, I would be like, no, you've, that's who you've got to keep it away from. And, and that's... Uh, and I, I, ju- think, I, think from, I think what you're saying is, is accurate when you examine things you know, from a non-political point of view. What I'm trying to say here is that blaming it on the Democratic politics is not really accurate because almost guaranteed if it had happened in the red states first, those public officials would have reacted stupidly the same way. No, I don't think, th- I don't think so, but I will say it's not inherent to the Democratic Party to do this. I'm not saying that every Democrat would have done That's this. Right. I'm, I'm saying that it, it happens now, that, it, I'm saying it happens that these mistakes were made by Democratic governors and that while it does, it's not an indictment of the whole party, what it's an indictment of is the way the media and, and, and also people who are just Democrats and just want to believe their side was doing it right and the Republicans have done it wrong, they, they don't want to acknowledge this happened. They don't want to, they don't want to think about the fact that this has happened. They don't want to say, wow, you know, we've seen a lot of mistakes everywhere, and in fact, the worst mistakes of this whole thing were actually by some Democratic governors, and that doesn't say all Democrats are bad. That's just saying that, uh, that, that these particular Democrats screwed up, and we should admit this, instead of saying, 
no, you know, Trump, he screwed this up. That's why so many people died. Like, no, it's, it's. All right, so let me ask this question. Was this ever reported in like the quote unquote, what you call the liberal media? Um, I see. I don't even know if it, I can't say it was never because I haven't checked them at every moment of every day. I will say it. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So what you're basically saying is I'm criticizing the liberal media for not, you know, bringing this to your, our attention, but I will say this. I don't read the right wing press. Okay. I don't watch Fox news. I don't bite Bart, all that crap. I heard about the story in what you call the liberal media. Okay. So, to claim that the liberal media, quote unquote, is, is like suppressing this, is well. Well, but it's, it's, not, it's a difference between suppression and 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 lacking coverage. So you can they can cover it in a in a light fashion to where they can check the box. Okay, we covered it, and not keep hammering it, and and also avoid mentioning it at other times. Like in the long thing where they have a whole long thing about what Trump is doing wrong, just leaving that part out. Like they can, there's a lot of things they can do to be able to say, okay, we actually covered it, Here, here's proof, where really it got ver- disproportionately little coverage. I saw the, uh, I've seen this happen with a lot of coronavirus things. I've seen it happen with a lot of the non-coronavirus things. That big one I always like to bring up was when those uh, two lesbians drove the six black adopted children they had off a cliff and murdered them and, and killed themselves too. That uh, w- Was this covered on CNN? Was this covered on other... Uh, known left-wing news organizations, yes, but it was covered very little compared to what it would have been if, say, it was two white Christian Republican parents who drove six black children off the cliff and killed them and had been abusing them for for years beforehand. Like, this was very undercovered, and in fact, there were a lot of, uh, there were a lot of, there was a lot of black people who were very angry about this because they they felt this was being undercovered. What do you see? I see. I see this. Okay. What? We're all conspiring to hide the truth from the No, it's, it's no. It's, it, what, what it is is that they they they've, there's such thing as covering something, but covering it very little compared to what you would cover if it was a story that didn't make their own side look bad. So you can check the box. Okay, I covered it, and then barely say much about it. And you could, or you could really hammer a story over and over and over if you want everyone to know about it and, and remember it. If you ask the average American if they knew that the, they know the full extent of this nursing home story, uh, most would not know it. Most would either not know what happened at all or, or know very little about it. And a lot should be known. A ton should be known about it. And, and it's not. And there's a reason for that. Right. There's a reason. Right. Okay. Uh, I got a message hey, listen, from... I got... Oh, um, start to work, but I just wanted to... Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Here's your wish. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. We, we have enough toilet talk today. Let, let's put on Mr. Tickle here. Has indicated he's available. Hello, Mr. Tickle. Please don't flush a toilet. <laughs> I won't. <do> okay. <laughs> okay. So I've waited. I've, I've held back the, the the Russia topic, which is supposed to be the first one of the coronavirus mm-hmm. thing. I've held it back till now because I said I want Mr. Tickle's input here because he's in Russia. So, right. uh, so you you get to see a lot more than I do about this particular situation, and I, I'm kind of curious about it to be honest. Like I. I'll say right now, I, I don't really trust Russia, but uh, um, maybe there's something about it I don't realize. So here's here's what I know about it, and then you can correct what you feel is wrong. Sure. I have heard that Russia 
is going to release a uh, coronavirus vaccine, which they claim works pretty well, and that they're going to force all the healthcare workers to take it, and everybody else, uh, I don't know, you can tell me if they're going to be forced to or not, but I know that at least the healthcare workers are going to be, it's going to be forced on them, at least that's what I've heard. And that uh, the, the big thing about this vaccine is that they haven't done what's known as a phase three trial, which means that they haven't tested it uh, on a, um, a large number of people uh, for safety, that they've, they've basically just seen uh, in the first two phases that, that it seems to work, but they, they haven't uh, done the last important phase of making sure that it does no harm. So they're just, no, it looks fine. Let's just, let's just, let's just, <laughs> let's just release it. So uh, is, is that what's going on there? And what do you know about this uh, Russian vaccine? Okay, I know quite a lot about it. I've been following the news pretty closely. This, uh, as you can probably guess, it's pretty big news over here. It's like a Sputnik moment, you know, the, or any space race kind of thing. It's just like that. The first country to produce a vaccine. So it's all over the news here. Um, so I know a lot about it. But I can say that one thing you're wrong, nobody will be forced to take it. Not even health work, healthcare workers won't be forced to take it. Okay. Um, what's going to happen is it's been registered now like any vaccine, but they registered it so they can give it to healthcare workers and school teachers before school starts in September. So they want to give it to the people they consider to be the most vulnerable, and it won't be given to anyone in the general public until January. So they're going to do the third phase trial in September, October, November, December, essentially, but they're giving it to healthcare workers and teachers anyway. I see. So, you know, I see. It's actually being named Sputnik in, in yes. uh, honor of the uh, first satellite that the Soviet Union launched, uh, famously before the U.S. was able to do so. This was launched, I believe, in 1957. And, yes, uh, Sputnik Five. So, so they want to go down in history, not just of the first country ever to have uh, sent an object into space, but uh, that they actually uh, also will be the first country to release a successful coronavirus vaccine, which. Uh, Remains to be seen if that actually occurs or if this ends up a disaster or somewhere in the middle. Yeah, well, what, what seems to happen is from the first two phases of the trial, it seems to be pretty safe. And it seems to be, more importantly, working. It's giving people antibodies. But yeah, the third phase trial is obviously very important because they normally do hundreds or thousands of people in a third phase trial. And the first two phases of a uh, vaccine trial is like 20 people each one. So it's not even comparable to the amount of people, you know. So that's one of the big problems that everyone's worried about. But the fact is that um, one thing that uh, Russia does have is like pretty good is science and medicine. Uh, it's, it does pretty well. And uh, Russia was one of the first countries to develop treatments for Ebola, like way before the U.S. So they do have some uh, vaccine experience. And they're actually building, they've actually built the vaccine on what they call a vaccine platform. I mean, I'm not an epidemiologist, so I don't know exactly. They call it a vaccine platform. So it's basically based on a previous vaccine they've made for other illnesses like Ebola. And they just like tweaked it with some coronavirus thing and they think it's going to work. Interesting. Well, so it's, uh... not from, it's not from scratch. It's from like the base of other vaccines they've made for other illnesses. And they just like tweaked it a little added some coronavirus in there, and it seems to be working so far. Yeah, now I see that uh, Vladimir Putin has claimed that his own daughter has taken it as a volunteer and felt good afterwards. But as you said, 
the problem without the phase three is without a mass number of people taking it, you're really uh, rolling the dice there with safety. And uh, so just putting it out there like they are, they are taking a risk. And that's, uh, I've said this before on this show, a vaccine has to be safer than a treatment. Because a treatment uh, of anything, I'm not just talking about coronavirus, a, a treatment you're, you're using to try to combat an existing illness, so there is some acceptable risk and side effects. But vaccines, to get someone to inject something into their body when they're healthy, and then having that make them sick, is, is a very big deal, especially if it's more than just uh, minor uh, side effects that are temporary. So that's why people are very afraid of vaccines if they're not done right. And in fact, in the U.S., I'm sure you've seen, and I, I knew this was coming, that uh, there's going to be a lot of paranoia about taking the vaccine, and uh, some justified, some totally not justified. The justified type, type of paranoia is this is being rushed so quickly. I'm not t- just talking about Russia. I mean, even even in the U.S., that normally these vaccines take years to develop, that uh, there's going to be people saying, you know what? Uh, I'll wait a few months and see how it goes for everybody else before taking it. But they're, not, they're like not opposed to vaccines. They just don't want to be the, the guinea pigs. And then mm-hmm. there's that's more justified. The, the unjustified is just a belief there's something sinister involved and the government the government's trying to inject something into you to control you or something like that. And uh, th- that I don't believe in. And I think anyone who believes in that is going to refuse to take a vaccine for that reason is foolish. So, but, uh, I agree with you. Uh, I, I Definitely would like to take a vaccine. I wouldn't want to be one of the people volunteering for a test on it, but uh, I, I would like a vaccine to be there, and I would take it. I am very worried about the coronavirus. I'm very worried about getting the coronavirus and what it will do to me, even if it does not kill me. So I will be happy to take a vaccine once I think that there's a, a decent chance it's safe. And it's sad that it seems like in a poll, like a third of people in the U.S. said they don't want to take it, but... Th- that might mean just people who don't want to take it like right at the beginning. If I, I bet, if you say like, w- "Would you take it now?" and "Would you take it in three months after it's released?" you'll get two different answers. You know, in Russia, people feel the same way. People are not that happy to take this rushed um, vaccine either. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, that's, that's, that's what most people think. Like, let, let someone else do it. I don't want to. I don't want to be the one to do it. That's what most people yeah. immediately think. Like. Uh, now, who, who's volunteering for this? I always wonder, like, who volunteers for these? Is it just to get money? Like, what? Why? Are, how'd they get this many people to to do it? It couldn't okay. be out of fear um, of, of the of the of the uh, disease that much. They did it on guys in the army. So, so they are are they forced to take it in the army? Uh, I don't know. Oh, so maybe there are people forced. Maybe there are people forced to take it. <laughs> I mean, this is for, for the trial. I'm talking about yeah. the trials that have already been. They've been conducted by the Ministry of Defense here. Okay. Well. Yeah. I, I see that they're going to be producing about five million doses per month in Russia starting in uh, December, and uh, yes, it, it's that uh, it's by uh, inter. The, oh. Never, never mind. Interfax is the news industry. I thought it was something about the company making it in Russia's Interfax, but it's not. It's Interfax. No, is the news. it's like a news agency. That's a yeah. news agency. Yeah. See, I don't know that much about Russian news. Yeah. Um. But uh, you know, uh, they've already had lots of orders from South American and Middle Eastern countries for doses of the vaccine. Up to a, a billion wow. doses have been have been ordered already. 
Well, that's interesting. I know in Br- Brazil they've had a huge problem with the coronavirus. Brazil is worse than the U.S. right now. And they- yeah, they're one of the ones interested in this Russian vaccine. But they're saying that um, all the vaccines produced in Russia will go to Russian people, and they're going to do deals with other countries that they can produce it themselves. Um, yeah, they've, people have ordered up to countries have ordered up to a billion doses, in mainly Middle East and South America. Yeah, like I said. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I hope it works out. It's, it's. I, I don't care yeah. if Russia. I don't care if Russia's the one who came came up with it, as long as it works. Like, if it turns out that, even if it turns out Russia was a little bit reckless, and it just happens to work out that they, they had something good here, and it was effective, and then this this is what ends up being used everywhere. That's great if it works. I just, uh, I think this is too rushed, and they are being reckless about it. Uh, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. I know that uh, the rest of the world is kind of just watching, going, "Okay, we don't think this is smart, but if if it happens to work out, great." Like that's kind of what. Yeah, it's. It seems like some people don't want it to work just because it's Russia. Yeah, I, I I could picture that. Just like it was kind of the same thing in the U.S. with the hydroxychloroquine. You got certain people that are rooting for it to fail because uh, the, because Trump likes it. So they, you, you don't. I, I don't ever take that point of view but i just want to see this thing go away and i want to see a, a successful vaccine that's also safe and i want to see it disappear and, and life return back to normal i don't care who does it who gets the credit for it is just i want to see it done that's all i care about yeah it's all about money though like russia's gonna sell it to other countries and u.s wants to be the one that sells it to other countries it's it's all about money now yeah well, that's fine <laughs> if whoever that's probably why russia that's probably a good reason russia's doing it is, yeah they can make more money this way but all right. Yeah, they can make billions. Yeah, there, there, there will be a, a ton of money in this for sure. And I, I, I mean, I hope a vaccine works. I'm, I'm a little skeptical that it can end up like the flu vaccine, which is like 50 percent effective, which isn't going to really do the job. It's better than nothing, but it's not going to put an end to this. Just the same reason yeah, people I get, agree with you. People get the flu every year for the same reason because it's a, the, the vaccine just isn't uh, good enough. It's something you take. If you are vulnerable, I, I wasn't even taking the flu vaccine because I, I was not in a vulnerable population. But this is different. This is much worse than the flu for my age group. So that's I, I will take the vaccine for this for sure. And also, I feel that the it's not just about the death rate. That as far as the permanent damage this could cause to my body, it's far more likely to get that from COVID nineteen versus the flu. The flu is not likely to cause permanent damage to me if I were to get it. So uh, it's right around my age where there's the greatest difference between what the flu does to you and what COVID does to you. Mm-hmm. So, oh, well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, that's now, what, what are you going to do as far as the vaccine? Would, would you take it in January? Or would you not do it because uh, you're young anyway? You're not that afraid. No, I think uh, by January, we should have a lot more information. By the time it actually goes to the general public, we should know a lot more. Like if I was uh, getting it in September, like I was a school teacher or a medical worker, I'm not so sure. And in fact, they did a a survey of doctors on a very popular, it's like a mobile app, which doctors use for like uh, help and quick referencing. And they did a a survey of people who are using the app. Will you take the, um, will you take the vaccine? And 52% said no. So doctors are not (laughs) that convinced here either. Yeah, I don't blame them. But I would also think there there is an age component to this too, where if if you're 25 years old, that you may not want to take it if there if there's anything that concerns you about it, because the upside to taking it isn't that high for you, 
and the downside can be big if, if there's something wrong with the vaccine that, that harms your body, where the, as you get older and older, you start to say, well, you know what, even if this isn't perfect, I, I really don't want the coronavirus. It's, it can really be damaging to me, so I'm going to take it anyway. That's like I would feel a lot different about the vaccine and my willingness to risk something with it versus getting COVID. I would feel different about it if I were your age. So that's, that yeah. does affect it. I would love to see, like, by age, what people feel about taking vaccines. I know there's the people who have just the opposition to vaccines in general for a lot of irrational reasons, but I'm talking about people who don't have that. I bet by age, the older you get, the more willing you are to take it. Yeah. Actually, um, the Russian health minister said that um, in lots of cases when people get COVID-19, but it's a mild form, they don't have many antibodies they might not even have a resistance oh. um and so if and if people get if people get it really bad then they're gonna have resistance so he said if you want to get antibodies to covid19 there's only two ways to do it you take the vaccine or you get really bad coronavirus hmm. that's that's interesting i see i hadn't heard that before that if you've got a milder case that you're you don't have the antibodies as much i because i, I had thought that the bad cases tend to be just your body's reaction to it and uh and, and not as much the disease itself. I know there's still... Well, there's... He, he might be full of shit. I don't know, but that's what he said. Yeah, this is constantly changing about this. That's why I... There, there's so much information that they think they know, and then they change their minds later and say, no, 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 that's actually not true. So I, I, anything I hear about the coronavirus, I take with a grain of salt. I don't even care what source. Like, if it's from, like, a totally unreliable source, I don't trust it at all. But if it's from something that... Like seems at least semi reliable. I go, okay, I'll consider this, but I'm not going to really take anything fully to heart until I know. Like even even what they keep saying about the surface is not being dangerous. Like I mostly believe that. I'm I'm not quite as nervous touching things anymore. But at the same time, I'm not like okay, no problem anymore. I'll just touch everything. Like I'm still I'm still kind of worried about surfaces, just not nearly as much as before. And now I'm more worried about indoors and ventilation than I was before. But at the same time, I'm not convinced of these things. I still think there's a lot we don't know, and and you're still you're still barely leaving the house, right? Yeah, well, I'm barely going indoors anywhere. Uh, so I will leave the house to, or really exposing myself to people at all. So I'll, I'll leave the house to do pickups at Target, but that but there I don't go indoors. They they bring it out to my car and put it in my car. Uh, I I will go to. Uh, I have a private mailbox. I'll go to that mailbox to pick up the mail after hours. I will uh, – so so I'll do little things like that. But uh, other than that, I, I don't leave – and I'll go out for hiking or something like that. Uh, I did see my parents last week, and I brought Benjamin with me. But uh, I don't really leave the house that much, and uh, I don't get food from uh, any restaurants or takeout places anymore. And I definitely don't go indoors and all the grocery shopping I do, I have delivered or I do the curbside pickup. I'm just very big about not going indoors with, especially with ventilation systems unless absolutely necessary. Like the few times I had to take my dog to the vet like two times and I was not happy about that, but you know, I had to, so I did it. But it's also a matter of exposure. The more times you do it, the higher chance you're going to get it. So. I kind of look at it like an odds thing. So yeah, I can yeah, get... well, here life's basically back to normal. It's like it was February again. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I and you know even with Benjamin at school, like I just uh, like the school isn't going to be open anyway. It's going to start this week, but it's going to be on Zoom. And but I chose the option that I that when it does reopen, that for the moment I, I don't want to. I, I want it to still be on Zoom because they gave you that option. And other people are like, no, no, send the kids right now. And I'm like, no, it's, I I don't want to do. It. I I feel like if I do that, he's just going to bring it home, and we won't even know. It's a good chance he won't have symptoms because uh, he's nine years old. I don't want it. I don't want to. I don't want to get it that way. It's not worth it. Yeah, everyone. Everyone gave up here mid June, basically. <laughs> it, it is true. It's it's hard to keep people, especially mass numbers of people. Like it's it's, it's it's these big populations. It's so hard to keep everybody just locked up and not doing things and not getting together. It, it gets very hard. It's, it, it reminds me somewhat. Of uh, in, in the '80s, when they tried these uh, to go to high schools and give these abstinence messages, telling everybody don't have sex. It's, it's you should wait. You wait until later. Don't have sex while you're in high school. And they'd say it, and then the kids would hear it, and then the opportunity to come up with it would come up to have sex, and they do it. They wouldn't. You know, it's just something you can't tell people not to do. It's just not going to work. You can tell them. You can give them all the reasons, and they're going to do it anyway. So, uh, so it's, it's and similarly. Well, that involved young people, just like here, young people just don't really have the incentive not to, because they don't have the fear factor. And and also young people tend to be more selfish. I'm talking about very young people, like like high school students, people in their early 20s. A lot of times they think more about themselves, and they don't think about, oh, I better not get this because I could infect somebody who's older. They just think, you know, I'm not going to get that sick from this. So why, why am I hiding out? Why, why, am I, 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 why, why am I hiding from this if I'm not that afraid of it? And then... All their friends are like, "Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Okay, screw it. Let's all get together." Like that's what happens. There were uh, people my age, like some of us, including me, are like we're, we're, we're scared into complying because we, we we know we know the potential bad consequences if we get it. And every time I hear about somebody my age that I don't I didn't know had pre-existing conditions or didn't, and then they die, I go crap. That's uh, that's an additional motivation to stay away from this, and I. I, I actually heard about this is not anybody in poker, but I heard about somebody this week that I knew from Facebook. Someone I kind of uh, he was in some groups with me, and I, he's a friend of a friend. Well, I didn't know the guy very well. I've interacted with him a little bit, but I knew who he was. He was fifty six. He disappeared in early July. Stopped answering the messages of one of my friends who got who got to know him a lot better than I did. And then he, he said on July first, I have COVID, and then didn't hear from him again. We found an obituary on July 21st. Wow. He, was, he was dead. So the guy's 56. So just like the, uh, the Robert Gray, the, the poker player in Vegas who died of the coronavirus. So, you know, you have people that aren't that much older than you or right around your age that are dying. It's, uh, you, you go, crap, I, I don't want to be that person. Yeah, well, I was invited to parties throughout the whole quarantine. I said, no, I'm not going, I'm not going. And then... After a couple of months, when everyone's going to parties and I'm the only one sat at home, I thought, ah, fuck it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I don't, I don't blame you that much because if I was 25, I'd, I'd handle this real differently. You, you just, you just look, at, you look at people in your own age group. You don't know anybody personally your age that that is getting it badly, and you're like, yeah, I see these outliers they put on the news who get it really badly at a young age, but you, like everyone you know personally who gets it. It's fine, and then you go like it's it's the reverse of what I'm seeing, where I, I keep seeing examples of people dying or getting it really badly or getting lung damage. Like that's when you see that, it's a lot easier to 
stay away. Mm-hmm. So that's and I think about it. I think about how I'd be handling this if I was twenty five, and I'd probably. I probably would say uh, eventually, okay, yeah, sure, I'll go to the party, whatever. Like, I'll just go to the party and I'll try to stay away from people older than me for a while. And yeah, that's right. Stay away from grannies, and that's it, basically. Well, uh, grannies and even your parents. Like, you don't yeah. you don't want to give it to fifty year olds either. It's not as bad as giving it to your right. grandparents, but you don't want to give it to fifty year olds either. But uh, but yeah, if you give it to other twenty five year olds, I mean, it's not uh, it, for the most part, it's not the end of the world unless they have pre existing conditions. That's that's the fact here and. You're right around the age where it's, at least as far as death is concerned, it's a, it's just a little bit worse than the flu. It's it's close, but it's a little bit worse than the flu for, for your age, but not significantly. And kids, it's, the flu is much worse. Teenagers, it's the flu is still worse. Uh, so it's it's if you're not afraid, if you're not that afraid of the flu at your age, then you shouldn't be that afraid of this. And that's uh, it's something that people should be treating based upon their own personal risk. And I, I looked at it and said that for my risk, this is something I don't want. It's something I really don't sure. want. And uh, um, each person should evaluate it differently. So, well, thank you for calling in about the, the, the Russia. I, I knew that was something that I wanted to hear from you when you volunteered to do it. All right. No problem. Okay. I didn't hear any of the shows, so I'll listen in the archives. Yeah, I know you like when Brandon's on. I, I screwed up. I, I didn't. Uh, I thought I texted him, but I didn't text him. And uh, and now I, I think he believes that I just forgot about him, which I didn't. So like I've got to. Um, I, I can't reach him right now. But you know, when this is over, I'll uh, explain again. Here, I was uh, I was frantically texting before the show. Uh, Traderuski, Vintage One, and Brandon, and the only one that I didn't hit send on was Brandon. I thought I hit it and switched to another uh, text, and I did not. And I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> so otherwise he'd be otherwise he'd be here too. the The only upside is that uh, the show's long enough, and if he were here too, it'd be end up being like a twelve hour show. So, and I, I couldn't handle that. So all right, some Vegas stories. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just just when 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 Brandon's on, there's like a lot of uh, tangents and stuff, and it, and everything takes even longer, and I knew when I looked at the agenda tonight, I'm like, this is going to be long even with just me. And it is, and it has been. So we're, we're, we're like past seven hours now. We're getting closer to the sure. end, but we're past seven hours. So, And, and uh, yeah, my throat's starting to hurt and all that stuff. So, All right. All right, well, thank okay, you for calling in, Mr. Tickle. It was good to hear from you. No problem. Shalom. Shalom. All right. We actually have a guy on the ground there in Russia. Not a Russian, but nevertheless physically in Russia, and has been there for a long time. All right, so let me go to the thing about the food. I want to talk about what is going on with that, because that's an interesting story. Uh, food that has been imported from South America has been found to have the coronavirus on it, and this was found in China. So I guess they're importing South American foods from uh, Brazil and one other country, Brazil, as you probably know, has a terrible situation right now with the coronavirus. It's probably worse there anywhere in the world. What is becoming concerned to people in China and also to the rest of the world is that frozen food in particular can hold the coronavirus for a long time. In fact, there is a belief that if the food is frozen at a low enough temperature, like at uh, minus 9 degrees Fahrenheit – if food is frozen around that temperature, 
and stays frozen around that temperature, that the coronavirus can live on the food for two years. It was not said how much coronavirus they found, which is important because like some people believe if you make contact with any bit of the coronavirus, you, you get it. That's not the way it works. There has to be enough of the virus to infect you. In fact, that's uh, with surfaces, the virus immediately starts to die when it's on a surface, but uh, it's not completely dead for a while, depending on the surface. But even back when they were more afraid of surfaces infecting people, it was acknowledged that after about a day that uh, there's significantly less of the coronavirus on the surfaces because so much has died already. Viruses just don't live on surfaces very well. They need a body to live in. But it has been known for a while that the coronavirus does like the cold. Uh, Apparently, coronavirus likes 39 degrees the best, but that below 39 degrees, it can kind of survive in an inactive state the same way a lot of things can if they're frozen. And apparently for two years, they think, I don't know how they know this because the coronavirus hasn't been around for two years, but they seem to believe that it will last for two years if frozen at a very low temperature, not even super low, like like around the temperature that they're going to freeze food at. So when they're freezing food, they're not freezing it to 32 degrees Fahrenheit or zero degrees uh, Celsius. They're, they're freezing it way below that. So... There's a concern that food that's coming from places that are infected by the coronavirus, especially places like Brazil, which uh, are heavily infected at the moment, that places could be importing the coronavirus when they import food. And this has also brought the concern that maybe once you heat up the food, that there will be enough of the coronavirus for you to eat and infect yourself. Now, what's interesting is that they haven't yet proven or found any real evidence that eating food with a coronavirus on it will get you sick, which is kind of strange because uh, with a lot of other viruses, if you eat or drink something with the virus in it, a very simple example is if, let's say, somebody has a cold and drinks from a water bottle and then you drink from the same water bottle, you will often get that cold even if you have no direct contact with them. Like they could drink from a water bottle, leave, and then you come into that room after they're gone, you drink from the water bottle, and you can get sick that way. So not even from them sneezing on you or coughing on you. So that's the common cold, which can transmit in various ways. But uh, the coronavirus, they're saying they cannot find evidence. They're not saying it's impossible or that it's not happening. They just haven't found evidence that people are getting it from eating food infected with the virus. So it's possible that even though the virus is on the food, that it's impossible or very difficult to get the coronavirus from ingesting that food with the coronavirus on it. It's also possible that uh, there's just not enough of it to get people sick. So this is still under investigation, but there's some concern because frozen food is, is shipped around the world all the time. And this might be a new way for the coronavirus to find its way into countries, even if people from these countries are not coming in. So you close your borders, but you still import food from other countries, and you could be bringing it in that way if it is transmitting that way. Now, 
there is the question is, are you only getting this in a respiratory fashion? Is it something you actually have to breathe in? Is it something that if you eat, that you won't get? Uh, a good example of where breathing in something is much worse than eating something. Uh, I'm sure you've probably heard of uh, people dying of amoebas in their brain. And that's actually why it is said that you should never inhale anything. You should never inhale tap water in any way or even uh, uh, mist from tap water or anything like that. It's, it's recommended that you do not ever inhale tap water in any way, whether in, in mist form or uh, especially in just the water itself, that you should always use distilled water. And it's because of those amoebas that if you do that, then you're running the risk of an amoeba living in that water getting into your brain and killing you. And there's nothing you can do once that happens. Once that happens, if that's what's going on, you're gonna you're just going to die. Now, if you drink that water, nothing happens to you. So why is that? Well, now I know it's different because the amoeba is not actually getting you sick. It's a, it's a living thing that comes in and kills you. But, um, the, but the difference is that uh, one is going through your respiratory system and the other is just going through your mouth uh, down to your stomach and you, nothing happens to you. It just will die in your stomach acid. Now, again, I know with viruses it's different. As I said, if you drank something that someone with a cold drank, then there's a decent chance you'll get sick. But maybe with a coronavirus, you're just not getting sick that way. Maybe you, you have to inhale it. Maybe we're looking at us all wrong. Maybe, maybe it just is not from surfaces. Maybe it is not from food. Maybe it actually is something you inhale. And that if you inhale it from others who have either directly breathed or coughed or spit on you, and if you inhaled it from sources that were spread around through a ventilation system, then you get it. And if you don't do that, then you don't. So even if you come into contact with it from touching it or from eating it, that you may not get sick, as strange as that might feel. Now, I'm not saying that is the case. It is possible that eating something with coronavirus on it will get you sick. That's why I don't do takeout food. I would love it if I could just know for sure that takeout food couldn't get me the coronavirus or is very unlikely to get me the coronavirus, then I'd do takeout food again. And I'd be I'd love to get pizza again from a takeout place. I'd love to get chicken strips again. I would love to get an in and out burger again. I, I have burgers at home and they're they're pretty good. But uh it's not the same as an in and out burger, you know? Me and Ben were talking about that. We passed it in and out when we were, I was driving him to my parents' house and like, oh, Ben, don't you wish we could just stop there right now and get it? Don't you wish we could just stop and get in and out and eat the fries and then drink the vanilla shake? And he said, oh, yes. And we, we both were sad we couldn't do it. I mean, we could have, but I didn't think it was smart to do. So I miss that stuff. It's kept my weight down. I, I will say that. It's actually helped my weight. And I'd love to know that that stuff's safe, but I don't know. I just can't believe anything right now. Okay, final coronavirus topic. I want to talk about something of which I have no experience, but of which I have some partial related experience from the past. People are doing Zoom dating. People are doing coronavirus Zoom dating. Now, I'm not talking about meeting 
through Zoom or getting to know each other through Zoom and then going and having a real date. That's fine. In fact, I think there's a lot of good in doing that. I have long criticized the current model of something like Tinder in that I think it has a high failure rate because the people don't get to know each other first and thus have no connection. If they, they, people meet on Tinder and they barely talk and they arrange to meet each other and then they go do so and they don't know much about each other. They don't have any connection. Sometimes they meet up during the day when it's not really a very romantic time or setting to do so. And the whole thing just... It's just hard to establish any kind of excitement there, and the people, even if they had the potential to like each other, will often just go, okay, well, nice meeting you, goodbye, and that's that. So I'm not saying they all fail, but I'm saying I think they have a high failure rate. Whereas I think if you get to know the person before actually meeting in person, and you really like each other's personalities, and you really get along, and you're really excited about seeing each other in person, then I think it has a much, much higher chance to succeed as long as everybody's honest with one another, as long as nobody lied about their looks or lied about something else that uh, um, they didn't tell each other, that that would be a, a deal-breaker. Like, as long as the person, both sides were relatively honest and uh, to where they uh, sent accurate pictures of themselves, then there's a good chance it'll work, just because of the connection that's already been established. And then you care less about the little things. And you don't have to worry about doing everything right or establishing a connection in a short time because it's already there. And I know this because this is what I did. This is what I did with a lot of my dating. No matter how I, I got to know the girl at first, like even even my current girlfriend who I knew originally from college, we hadn't talked in over 15 years. And so when we talked to each other on Facebook, then we moved it to the phone. And then we talked for hours each night for weeks before we saw each other. Now, it wouldn't have been weeks normally. It was because I was in Las Vegas and she was in Southern California. But even if we were in the same city, we would have at least taken a few days to talk, uh, for, and probably for a few hours each. We would have gotten to know each other again pretty well. And this is even from knowing each other before when we were much younger. Uh, so there are so many times where I would establish a connection with a girl on the phone for hours of talking where we'd be excited to meet each other, where we already had a big foot in the door before we even met in person. And that was very helpful. Now, this was before Tinder or a lot of people meeting online. A lot of this was when I was one of the few doing it. Now, this is all very common. It was common before the coronavirus, of course. The online dating and app dating was huge by that point. I never did app dating because that didn't exist when I was last dating, which was now over 11 years ago. But now they're doing Zoom dating. Zoom dating is where the actual date is on Zoom. And from a guy who spent many hours on the phone with girls that I wanted to date before we even met, and in some cases it was all a waste of time because we'd meet in person and just not like each other, Though I, I got better and better at figuring that out and not wasting... Like, I saw certain signs that it would work or not work. So by by the end, I was almost batting a 1,000 as far as who I'd meet in person, whether it would work short-term at least. But still, there were there were still a few that I'd meet and we just had nothing like we did on the phone and we just <laughs> would go our separate ways. Even with that, I am asserting that Zoom dating is a gigantic waste of time and is very frustrating, in fact. Why? Because it is not leading to actually being close 
anytime in the near future. See, the point of the long telephone conversations and the point of talking on Zoom, I would think, would be the buildup, the getting to know each other, the you're going on your way to meeting soon, but that you're establishing something first, as I just described. But if there is no goal to move this to meeting in person anytime in the near future, that becomes a different story. If it's like, yeah, let's have Zoom dates and when the coronavirus passes, we'll meet up. Well, who the hell knows when that's going to be? I mean, can you really do Zoom dates for six months, for eight months, for a year, for 18 months? I mean, it sounds crazy to me. It sounds like a waste of time. And imagine investing all that time in Zoom dating only to meet in person and like like each other. (laughs) That would be really frustrating. Now, I have thought about if I were single, what would I do? And I can't say for sure because I'm not single, but I really think I would just not date. I think I'd be too afraid to do it. The Zoom dating thing seems incredibly frustrating. It seems like it would be something pointless that I wouldn't enjoy. So I just probably wouldn't date. I'd just deal with it and just hope this goes away soon. But the Zoom dating, it, it, like, what's it going to lead to in the near future? Like, Do, do you really want to put that much time just to see someone on a video? Seems kind of pointless to me. Seems like it's almost like going to a restaurant and having them wheel steaks by you and show you them, and you can smell them, but you can't touch them or eat them. You can just see them and smell them, but that's it. You can't eat. And you say, why am I doing this? And they say, oh, because you know, don't you like the smell of a steak? Well, yeah, but I, I can't actually eat it. Well, that's all we're going to do. I'd be going, okay, well, I'm not staying here. (laughs) No point to stay here. So, let's see Mumbles is calling again. I'm running out of energy. Can't take this call. Sorry, Mumbles. I I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Maybe you can. I don't know if any of you have done a Zoom date, but... To me, it seems pointless. To me, it just seems like there is not any kind of medium term or any kind of uh, goal of actually being together in person. Now, I could understand Zoom dating where you're like, okay, let's let's talk on Zoom a few times, and if we like each other, then we'll throw caution to the wind and actually meet up. We're just like trying to bring down the number of people we meet. Then fine. Then it's similar to what I was doing anyway. But if it really is just a zoom, zoom, zoom until you actually uh, feel safe because the coronavirus is gone, like, why? Why even bother? What's, what's the point? So guess what happened on 2 Plus 2? I had another discussion with Mason Malmuth. It's kind of weird, but I kind of saw this coming. I wasn't sure if it was going to go the way it did, but it, it did. What happened was that Mason Malmuth posted on 2 Plus 2 something I didn't expect to see, and that was that he was offering to allow 2 Plus 2 to be used to promote podcasts which are unrelated to 2 Plus 2, and not for any money. He wasn't selling ads or anything. He wasn't selling threads. He was just saying, if you have a podcast or if if you know a podcast you'd like to see here, then I'll allow you to create a thread for it a running thread on 2 plus 2 for it, just to publicize your podcast. This is what he wrote. 
Hi, everyone. We in 2 Plus 2 Management have decided it would be in everyone's benefit to let four or five of the better podcasts, uh, poker podcasts, to have a thread in this forum. If, if, the perf- if the purpose of news, views, and gossip is news, views, and gossip, then there should be room on this forum since podcasts should help provide exactly this. So in addition to Joey Ingram and Doug Polk, who are already here, they both already have threads for their shows, we have contacted three additional podcasts to post here, and Run Chucks is now up. I've never heard of Run Chucks. But if anyone has a suggestion of a podcast that they really like, please post in this thread and we'll take a look at it. So I'm thinking, hmm, <laughs> is it possible that people are going to suggest Poker Fraud Alert? Jeez. No, I can't do it. It's Mumbles again. Sorry, Mumbles. We've moved on to Mason. So I thought, is it possible they're going to bring up Poker Fraud Alert? Is it possible? Is it possible? Is it possible? And I had a feeling someone would mention it. But I thought, wouldn't it be funny if Poker Fraud Alert actually got more mentions than any other podcast here as far as like what people would want to see up here? But I thought, well, there's so many podcasts out there, and you know, why would it happen to be mine? Well, it was. As far as I can see, I didn't count, but there were a number of mentions of Poker Fraud Alert. I think it actually got more mentions than any of them. And uh, if it wasn't the most, it was probably tied for the most with that poker podcast. Well, I thought about before any of this was posted that those were the two I wondered how Mason was going to handle. Because both of them are run by people that Mason does not like. So with me, Mason has had an issue with me for 12 years, dating back to when Brian Mikeon exposed the whole uh, Brandy Hallbaker situation. And I had nothing to do with this. I I found the story you know, amusing and, and kind of disturbing, but uh, I was not actively involved in it at all. And you can go look at the Wayback Machine. You'll see I wasn't really part of it. But uh, because I was part of Never Win Poker and I was one of the three faces of Never Win Poker by that point, uh, Mason held it against all of us. And he uh, I was actually banned from 2 Plus 2, even though I hadn't done anything wrong. Now, I'm back on 2 Plus 2. I was uh, back, then I was banned again, then I was back again. So I've been back for a while now. But uh, Mason has disliked me and takes shots at me every so often, and then I'll go back and forth with him. Like, I'm not afraid. I'll respond back. And we've had some pretty uh, nasty exchanges back and forth. <laughs> so, And people see this, and people say, come on, guys, will you stop this? Like they keep saying, uh, will you guys uh, get over it? And I say, I'm willing to get over it, but it seems like he isn't. Because I really am. Like, I, I, I'm not looking to fight with Mason Malmuth. I'd be happy to get along with him. We, we do have some things in common. We actually have similar political views. We are both anti-scammers in poker. Like, we're both happy to expose scammers in poker. We're both proud of our own site's roles in doing so. And we have a lot of differences, too. But uh, we're not polar opposites. We have some similarities and we have some differences. But... I'm willing to put it all aside. He hasn't done anything horrible to me. He's been a jerk to me, and then I've been a jerk back to him. And, you know, he's claimed I've said some bad things about him on the show, and I have. But he said a lot of bad things about me on his site. He even said bad things on me on his own podcast back in uh, 2008. Like, we, we both have said unflattering things about the other, and I'm willing to get over it and move on and, and get along. And I, I keep telling him that. 
Now, it's it's good that I'm allowed on a site, but I, I think it should move beyond that. I think he should just get over it and say, look, wait, this is all over something stupid. This all began 12 years ago over something that Brian Mikon did. I haven't been friends with Brian Mikon in nine years, so if you want to hate him, that's great. You know, I don't care. And uh, let, let's move on. Like I, I was a peripheral part of this whole thing in the first place. Guilt by association. So let's, let's just get over it. But anyway, uh, so he doesn't like me. You guys know that. That poker podcast, there's Daniel Negreanu. Now, I would think, I believe, that he dislikes Negreanu more than me. You'd have to ask Mason for sure, but uh, if asked to rank who he dislikes more, I think he dislikes Negreanu more. So he's had a, a long-running feud with Negreanu. So he definitely doesn't want to promote that. And as an added kick in the ass, Negreanu is working with the two former co-hosts of the 2 Plus 2 poker cast, Adam Schwartz and Terrence Chan. And I don't know how Mason feels about them. I've heard different things, but it's, I don't know. I, I can't figure it out, to be honest. I don't know exactly what he thinks about it, but at the very least, he's not happy with them for doing a similar show with Negreanu. Because he hates Negranu. So that's the last thing he wants to promote also. So like, wouldn't that be funny if Dat Poker Podcast and Poker Fraud Alert are the ones brought up the most in that thread? And yep, that's what happened. <laughs> Those are the two brought up the most. So Mason was avoiding addressing it at first. And finally, he just, he just thought it was being brought up by too many people. So he had to answer them both. So with Dat, he just said he doesn't want to have it any posted a link to something that uh, Negreanu had written about him on Full Contact Poker, which was actually about the whole JSIP charity thing, which is kind of funny because it has a poker fraudler connection, but uh, that was kind of what really started the very bad blood between them. And he said he would look foolish after Negreanu wrote that type of stuff about him to let him promote his podcast here. Well, I don't think so. I think that would make him look like a big person. That would make him look forgiving and mature to say, okay, Nia DeGranu has been a jerk to me at times, but I'm getting over that, and I'm not going to let that stop you guys from learning about his podcast. So he wants to – I know you guys probably want to hear what he has to say, and you probably like uh, Terrence and Adam from the 2 Plus 2 PokerCast. So, okay, regardless of how I feel about Daniel personally, I'll let him have this thread because I know that people want it. Like that's – what would people say? Mason, you're a clown. Mason, you're a chump. No, they'd say, "Wow, Mason, that's uh, we didn't expect that, but that's a pleasant surprise. That's uh, that's nice of you to do, and that's very forgiving, and that's very non-petty of you. Like seriously, I think there wouldn't be a single person looking down on him for that. And I'm not sure he gets that, but it's true. Like they would, if he said that poker pe- podcast could have a thread there, then people would think much better of him. People would really be impressed by that. Nobody would look down on it. Nobody. I don't think he understands that. Now, Poker Fraud Alert kind of similar too. Poker Fraud Alert, he claimed something different. He wasn't claiming it was because I said bad things about him, though he mentioned later in the thread that I said bad things about him. But he did say that the reason was because there's a lot of bad offensive language on Poker Fraud Alert, which sometimes there is. And that brought up Another uh, consideration I had, which I've been thinking of for a while, independent of Mason. But I know Mason is mostly making an excuse because he just doesn't like me. But he has been softening on that a bit, which I'll explain shortly. But 
it was somewhat of an excuse. I don't think Mason's that outraged, but at the same time, I, I think he also is worried for himself that if he associates with Poker Fraud Alert and Poker Fraud Alert has some very offensive content, that it could reflect badly upon him. I do believe that he legitimately is worried about that. But here's a dilemma I've been in, and it's it's only getting worse with time. So as you guys have seen in society in general, there has become a, a higher and higher sensitivity to language which is uh, bigoted in any way, any kind of racist language, homophobic language, etc. Now, you guys hear me on this show. You guys read my posts on the forum. I don't use that type of language. But there's a difference between using that type of language yourself and allowing it on your site. And you may ask, well, why would you ever allow that? Well, my site has always been a free speech forum where as long as you don't violate a few basic rules, like don't give out personal information, don't make threats of violence, don't post anything illegal, don't spam the forum. Like basically, if you don't do those things, then you're within the rules. And I try not to police any kind of speech because I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. It's not so simple to say, okay, this speech is okay, that speech isn't okay, because there's there's tons of gray areas, and you can't really have a free speech site by saying it's free speech, but you can't use these words, or you can't talk about this topic, or you can't express this point of view. Like it's At that point, it's not free speech anymore. At that point, you're restricting speech, and I don't want to get into that. I, I wanted to provide a forum that people can just be themselves, and you can let the people of the forum judge whether or not they approve of controversial speech. Just let adults be adults among themselves. And that I don't have to agree with everything posted. I don't have to approve of everything posted. I don't have to like the language that is used. And so that's the approach I've taken for the entire life of Poker Fraud Alert. Even anti-Jewish epithets have been posted on Poker Fraud Alert, and I have left them because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't like reading them, but sometimes they've even been directed at me, but I have not deleted them because I have taken the general attitude that I'm not going to censor speech, that I'm going to only censor actions against users here, which can be harmful, not just offensive speech, offensive speech. Everybody just has to deal with And If you don't like it, then you find a place that doesn't have offensive speech. And I also did make the rules that uh, this type of offensive speech and trolling in general can only take place on the flying stupidity forum that in the other sections of the forum, like the scam scandals and shadiness forum, the poker community discussion, that those areas of the forum are for serious topics where trolling and offensive language is not allowed. And I've been pretty strict about that, but in the flying stupidity, that's more of the free form area that people can say what they want, even stuff I don't agree with or approve of. So that's the way it's been. But the problem is that as times have been changing, it's become less and less acceptable in society to allow that sort of thing to go on on your own website, even if you're not the one posting it, because there's more and more sensitivity to this. So I can't just pretend it's still 2004 like it was when we started Never Win Poker. Well, actually, I didn't start Never Win Poker. When Never Win Poker started and I got involved with it, uh, I can't pretend it's still 2004. A lot has changed since 2004. A lot of societal expectations have changed since 2004. And I can't pretend it's still 2004. I just can't. Poker Fraud Alert is something that is directly associated with me because it's 100% my site. And anything that goes on there, I have to answer for. And I'm a real person 
with my name out there, my picture out there, when people see me in poker rooms, and in fact, I wear a Poker Fraud Alert hat, but even without it, a lot of them know, oh, he's the guy who runs Poker Fraud Alert. So anything posted there by anonymous people who post like really outrageous things with offensive racist language, unfortunately, it does have an impact on me because I it, it reflects upon me and I have to answer for it. Now, my answer is always the same. People do confront me about this. I have this every year at the World Series. People confront me. Why do you allow this type of stuff on your site? And I'm sure there's others who think it and just don't say it to me. But there's people who actually do come up to me and say this. They're not trying to start like a physical fight with me, but there's people who ask me or like we're having a conversation. And they say, so anyway, your forum, why do you allow this? Like, and then they we, we get into that. So I try to politely tell these people that I don't agree with this speech, but it's a free speech forum and people can do it. And I just don't want to get go down the rabbit hole of deciding what to censor and what not to that just general speech I'm not censoring. And they understand it, but they they don't agree, and I can tell they're judging me, and I can tell that they're not, not thinking highly of me, and probably some of them think I'm a piece of crap. And every year I start to go, ah, oh, you know, I, I don't want to cave to this, but, you know, it, it is true that the people posting these type of messages, they don't have to have any consequence because they're anonymous. I have to have the consequence because it's my site, and it's in my name, and people link to it whenever I'm in a discussion or a debate. People go, oh, yeah, well, look what's going on on your site here. You know, and then, I, then I have to answer to it. Like it's This is always thrown back in my face. And there's also people who just legitimately can't understand. They go, you seem like a decent person. Why are you allowing this? Why, why do you allow that to happen? Why don't you stop this? It's your site. You can stop it. And saying it's a free speech site, that doesn't always cut it with people. So, it, like... I've really had this dilemma. I can't figure out what the right thing is to do. And I still haven't. I'm, I'm considering it. I'm actively considering it. And I might make a change soon. But I, I'm not promising to make a change because I'm still deciding what the right thing to do is. Anyway, back to Mason. So Mason said that's the reason that he's not allowing Poker Fraud Alert to uh, be promoted on 2 plus 2 through, that, through a thread. So here's what uh, Mason first this is the first acknowledgement he gave about this uh, about poker fraud alert he was first ignoring it finally he had to say this the problem with this podcast referring to poker fraud alert regardless of how good it may or may not be i like may or may not be he can't even say it's just good he has to say, regardless of how good it may or may not be is that it's associated with a website that allows threads like the following and then he linked to an offensive thread that really hasn't had any activity in the last few years but he linked to it as a result, there is no way we would, we would invite this podcast to post here. Best wishes, Mason. So, all right. I, I, I read that, and I'm like, okay, Mason. I, I'm not going to let you get off that easily. I'm not going to let you just play the offensive speech card. So I said, I'd like to thank those of you who brought up my Poker Fraud Alert show. I'm glad that some of you enjoy it. Yeah, um, while Mason can dig up offensive threads, which haven't had any activity in years as an excuse for why he won't include my show over here, I think we all know the real reason. If Mason insists that's the reason, I'll be glad to remove that offending thread, as I've been considering removing it anyway, despite the free speech nature of my forum. Mason also said he would, quote, look foolish for inviting Dad Poker Podcast here, and then I explain that. I won't read that again. If Mason would be willing to get over the silly animosity he's had toward me for the past 12 years, I would be happy to have a thread for PFA's podcast here. I would even speak highly of Mason and 2 plus 2 on the show for allowing such a thing. If interested, you know how to reach me. So Mason took some of that the wrong way. He thought I was trying to bribe him that I'm going to 
kiss his ass if he allows it. Like he th- he thought I'm trying to say, okay, well, Mason, you allow me to have this, and I'm going to say nice things about you. So uh, that's the way to get me to be nice. That, that's not what I was saying. I was trying to say that I'll be appreciative that if he does this, that I will not just take it. I'll I'll take it and then put out there, hey, look, here's a nice thing Mason did. So he he misunderstood, but whatever. So he came back with, I'm sorry you failed this way, but my understanding is that your site is not only full of posts and threads like the one I linked to, but there's also a lot of anti-Semitic stuff as well. Here's an example. Well, he he said this not realizing I was Jewish. (laughs) So so it doesn't matter how good your podcast might be. So at least it's not, it's no longer might or might not. Now it's upgraded to just might be. We in 2 plus 2 management feel that it would be a violation of our standards to allow a thread for your show that is closely associated with your website. On the other hand, if you could somehow clean up your site, and that would require from our perspective a lot more than just removing one offensive thread, then we would more strongly consider allowing the thread. However, it's, it's also my policy not to tell other people how to run their business or website in this case. So if you want a website that has a lot of material like that, it's up to you and not us. And telling me that you'll now go out of your way to speak highly of me about your show will not uh, do it either. <laughs> so I came back with that thread was from seven years ago and it was posted by a now banned user that's the anti-Semitic one besides I'm Jewish so nobody could credibly accuse me of anti-Semitism if anything that thread's existence pr- proves that my fair commitment to free speech on the site uh, is, is true given that it contains a slur against my own religion no matter what no matter what ultimately occurs, I'm not going to go through my site and search for all the years-old threads with offensive words. If I do decide to tighten the policy on the site, I'll remove, remove a few of the worst offender threads and then make adjustments to the rules going forward. If that occurs, I'll let you know and you can decide whether you're interested in featuring PFA here. If not, no hard feelings. I don't feel you owe me or PFA anything. I just know that a number of 2 plus 2 members listen to my show and would probably like to see such a thread. So, then he said back, if and when you make your adjustments, and from our perspective, they'll need to be significant, be sure to let us know. Also, just so you know, this is why we don't allow a link to your website, which I didn't know was true. I've seen people link my site before, and they didn't stop it. <laughs> I didn't know my, my links are banned. I knew I wasn't allowed to post my links, because that's just general policy there. You can't post your own links. And I, I thought my, my links were allowed. So then uh, Pete Blow, who listens to this show, he's from the UK, he said, I, for one, appreciate Todd and Mason being cordial in the thread. And Mason said back, perhaps Todd is learning, which is a good thing. What is that? I'm learning. Come on. I'm not learning anything. I'm just trying to get along better. Uh, But if you go to his website and listen to old episodes of his podcast, you'll find many insults toward myself, other members of 2 plus 2 management, and 2 plus 2 in general. You won't find any of that here as far as I know. Well, it's not really true. You, You bashed me on your poker cast 12 years ago. I'm not bitter about it. I'm just saying you did. So while he's clearly a person with some talent, a lot of fixing needs to be done. Time will tell. That's the biggest compliment he's ever given me. I'm clearly a person with some talent. <laughs> Thank you, Mason. That's that's the, really the nicest thing you've ever said to me. I'm not being sarcastic. That is the nicest thing Mason Malmuth ever said to me. And strangely enough, he said it on the nine-year anniversary of when everything fell apart with Donk Down. Everything fell apart with Donk Down starting on August 14th, 2011, a date I won't ever forget. And on August 14, 2020, nine years to the day, Mason Malmuth said, I am clearly a person with some talent. Okay. I'm glad to see Mason doesn't think this show sucks. I don't think he listens, uh, but I think when he's listened, he has seen that uh, he can understand the appeal, at least. So, all right. I'm not going to change the site 
to please Mason Malmuth. That's something I would never do. This is something I've considered for a long time, though, way before Mason brought this up. And in fact, I, I can even point you to a semi-recent thread on Poker Fraud Alert where I brought this up a long time before this, that I'm considering some policy changes. Because I'm just... You know, I'm, I'm tired of trolls causing bad reflections upon me. I, I don't want to walk around the World Series and say, oh, here's, here's that racist guy. Why am I racist? Well, because I allow that stuff on my side. I, I don't believe that makes me racist, but like, I don't want that impression of me. I don't want wrong impressions of me based upon what trolls post on my site. So, you know, times change. It's 2020 now. Certain things are less acceptable today compared to what they were before. And I, I may have to change it. I, I don't know what I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't want to have to start censoring certain types of speech, but it may be time to do so. It's it's a tough decision. If you have any comments on this, you're welcome to text me at seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. I wish this stuff would just stop. I wish people just wouldn't do it on my site, and then I wouldn't have to answer to this. But uh, it happens, and I realize that's part of running a free speech site. And then then it makes me look bad, and then I suffer for it. And so people say, oh, who cares what they say? Don't let the social justice warriors push you around. Well, okay, it's easy for you to say when you're not putting your name on the line with this stuff. So I'm not letting people push me around. I will always say what I believe, but these aren't things I believe. The stuff being posted there are not things I believe. These are things I don't like to see anyway. So I see them up there and I go, oh, crap. I don't like this material on my site, but okay, it's a free speech site. I've got to allow it. Like, you guys think, I enjoy reading racial slurs. You think I enjoy reading anti-Semitic slurs when I'm Jewish? No. I mean, even if it doesn't apply to me, I don't like seeing that. I wish that wasn't happening on my site. And and I especially don't like having to be the face of that. So these are real considerations I have to have. I play live poker. At least I was before the coronavirus. I see these people. Even when I don't see these people, I interact with other poker pros on Twitter I interact with, I don't need to oppress everybody, but I, I don't need this dogging me forever when this isn't even something I'm doing. If like, if I, if I strongly believed in racist speech that I, that, you know, if I was engaging in it myself and said, this is my right to do, that'd be a different story. This is something I don't do myself and don't believe in doing. And yet I've got to answer for other people doing it. So it's, it's kind of crazy. I hate having to answer for other people's actions. I'm not saying I'm going to change anything, but I'm also not saying I'm not going to change anything. I'm, I'm really thinking about it every day. Now, what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to tailor what I change according to what Mason thinks I need to change. So whatever I change is what I'm going to change, and then I'll say, okay, this is what I've changed. If you like it, we can have a PFA thread. If you don't like it, then we won't have a PFA thread, then that's that. And really, when I said no hard feelings, no hard feelings. I, I'm not owed a PFA thread on 2 plus 2. 2 plus 2 owes me nothing. They are not there's nothing that I expect that they should do to promote my site. So that's totally up to Mason whether he wants to have a thread for Boca Fraud Alert. But uh, at least it's showing he's warming to me a little bit. Uh, at least it's showing that uh, he's willing to give a compliment. And I, I'm not dying for Mason's approval, but I would like it if we could stop the fighting and stop uh, the bickering and, and the stop the not getting along and, and stop the bitterness. That would be lovely. It really would be. I, I'm not interested in continuing a feud with Mason Malmuth. I'm not afraid of continuing the feud. I just don't want to. I, I think it's it's useless. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. And it would be better for everybody if the two of us got along, especially with the poker community contracting, especially with a, a lot of uh, with the two of us having 
some of the same beliefs regarding what's important in the poker community and what's important to the role of these forums. And we shouldn't be against each other like this. And I want it to stop. I really want it to stop. So Mason, if you're listening, I'm being sincere here. But I'm going to do what I feel is right, not what you feel is right for my site. So if I change something, I will let you know. And then you can decide whether it's something that you want 2 plus 2 to be associated with. If not, no problem. Something I've always felt is nobody owes me anything. When was the last time you heard that uh, some third party owes me some favor? The only way someone owes me some favor is if I do a favor for them, a big favor for them, and then later on I need the same favor or something equivalent back. Then I'll kind of feel like they sort of owe me. I, but I never do favors for anybody that like I feel that I'll get back in the in the future. But I'll just be kind of pissed off if like I did something for someone and then they won't do something of equivalent magnitude back for me if I really need it. But uh, other than that, I never feel that anyone owes me anything. And that's always how I've been my entire life. And uh, that goes for everybody. I feel that anybody who wants to do anything nice for me should do it because they want to do something nice and I never expect it. And anything nice done for me that someone doesn't have to do, I appreciate and I am thankful to have and I notice. I'm not just saying this to sound like a good guy. That's really how I am. And when someone does something nice, I think, wow, they don't have to do this for me. And they are. That's that's really great. That's really nice. I, I really think better of them for it. Yes, I'm aware there's those out there who will try to do something nice and then get something later. And you know, I'm aware of that, but I'm not like super paranoid about it. I kind of deal with that as it comes. If it does come, it doesn't happen often. Usually people who do nice things for me, like people listen to the show, they're really just doing it to be nice. Someone did something nice recently for me. I won't publicize it because it's none of anyone's business, but someone did something very nice recently who listens to this show, and I appreciated it tremendously. Something I didn't ask for. But uh, sometimes people will just volunteer to help with something. So now I'll just mention something offhand that's going on, and they'll, they'll volunteer. And I'll say, wow, that's nice. I didn't expect this, but great. Very nice thing to find. So you know what? If Mason were to give Poker Fraud Alert a thread on 2 Plus 2, which would obviously give the show more publicity, increase our ratings, bring more people's awareness of this show, then that would be a very good thing. And you know, for him to just give that for free, that would be a very nice and generous action on his part. And I would appreciate it, regardless of our history. I'd say that's a very nice thing he's doing, especially because of our history. He hasn't done it. He may never do it. He may never find that Poker Fraud Alert meets his standards for the uh, language that exists on the site or my rules and policies there. But if he do, if he does it, then it would be something that I would appreciate and that I would understand is actually something generous, even if it's being done for some others. So I don't feel anybody ever owes me anything. At the same time, if somebody screws me in some way, then, you know, th- then that's a different story. Then I have to see what I need to do in response. But, uh, you know, I don't like starting up with people. I, I don't just pointlessly attack people. And I especially don't feel anyone owes me anything. You know, I'm willing to put 
issues from the past behind me. Usually, depending on what it is. I'm ready to do that with Mason, for sure. I have been for a while. I've told him that. But thank you for those of you that uh, posted about Poker Fraud Alert on there. If you're just finding this show somehow from a thread, which that thread probably did help promote Poker Fraud Alert a little bit. If you did just find it, then yes, this is a very long show. And I've seen people say that on the thread. Some people are like, you know, I just can't listen because it's so damn long. And I go, okay, you know, you're right. I, I, I have no answer to that one. I suggested in the thread that maybe break it up to like like an hour or two each day. That's what some people do. Some people are like, oh my God, eight hours, nine hours. Like, um, I don't think it's ever been nine. It's been close to nine. But they see like eight hours and they go, crap, how can I listen to eight hours? I understand, but I'm on once a week, so just listen an hour and something a day, you'll, get, you'll knock out all eight hours. That's what some people do. It can be like a daily show that's not really daily. But if the whole thing just kind of seems oppressive to see like an eight-hour show pushing through on your podcast app, I understand. I know if I saw that, I'd go, what the hell? Eight hours? Like I'd, that, that was funny. Eric Benzamokin, that was his exact reaction. Eric Benzamokin, when he heard about Poker Fraud Alert, he actually heard about it from Adam Schwartz. He was listening to the 2 Plus 2 Poker Cast, and Adam Schwartz mentioned it and said he liked it. And then Eric's like, Hmm, let's try this poker fraudler thing. And he tries to download it and it's like six and a half hours. He's like, Oh my God, what is this? And he almost didn't even listen. He almost like said, screw it. This is too crazy. But, uh, he's like, okay, I'll give it a try. And he listens. He goes, Oh wow. I really like this thing. Wow. And then the time passed really quickly as he was listening. I go, I can't believe I got through all six and a half hours, but it, it didn't seem like that. It just kind of flew by. So then Eric got to actually appreciate the long shows. He doesn't listen all in one sitting, but he, he got to be a fan of the show that way. But I realize it's not for everybody. Some people like these condensed shows that you they get through everything very fast and they cover the big topics in an hour and change. In fact, that's what the Daft Poker Podcast does. They, they're they done in like an hour 20, an hour 40, something like that. I couldn't do it. I could not do it. It would be very hard for me. I'd be very stressed if I was forced to do that. I'd like to just get on here and talk. All right, let's get to the last topic and get out of here. It's been almost eight hours again. A 12-year-old was caught in an Australian casino gambling, and she's actually caught on video. Even worse, she was with her parents. So Australian regulators are very unhappy about this, that a 12-year-old was not only gambling in a casino, but her parents snuck her in there. And uh, her mom held an exit door open so she could come in through the exit, therefore avoiding security at the entrance. And then she was gambling alongside her parents, both parents, that is, for 17 minutes, placing about uh, 20 or so bets on what they call poker machines there. But in reality, the name for them are pokies. And pokies in Australia, are, they more resemble uh, slot machines than they do video poker. So when they call them pokies it's more like i don't really understand them that much and i've never looked into them that carefully but they are uh slot machines that have like poker symbols on them like cards and i know people claim they're very addictive uh they're different than video poker but anyway she she was doing like 20 spins on pokies and uh 
they're very unhappy about this. The uh, Liquor and Authority uh, Group, in uh, which is a government agency in Australia, which the, the director of Investigations and Intervention, David Byrne, said that underage patrons trying to sneak through the exit doors was a, quote, fairly obvious risk that the casino had failed to manage. <laughs> so the casino got in some trouble for this, for making it so easy for miners to slip in, just to go in through the outdoor, as Prince would say. By the way, the David Byrne here is not the uh, David Byrne in the Talking Heads. That's a, uh, a different David Byrne. <laughs> anyway... David Byrne of Not the Talking Heads said that there were a number of opportunities where staff should have noticed a very young person playing the poker machines before they actually did, which was when the family was leaving. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad if there's security walking around there. They don't see a 12-year-old playing. They also had an incident that was noted by the Liquor and Gaming Bureau, that uh, a 16-year-old girl entered through a VIP, a VIP area with a middle-aged member and somehow was not asked for identification. She was then served alcohol at the casino bar, even though she presented a learner's permit, which uh, belonged to her. So the, she, was, she had a learner's permit to learn how to drive, and somehow that was okay for ID, even though it didn't even show she was 21. <laughs> The girl was caught when she tried to enter a nightclub attached to the casino. This is a 16-year-old. And then uh, I guess there was uh, – oh, I guess this learner's permit was of someone 21, but they, it didn't have the right picture. So they, they caught it at the nightclub but not at the bar. The casino in question in Australia, which is known as the Star Sydney – it's in Sydney, Australia – they claim that they practice responsible service of alcohol and that guests must be 18 years or older to enter the casino. However, they also had an incident there where a 17-year-old, a 17-year-old boy in this case, went into the casino and stayed there more than three hours until security found him. During that time, he bought alcohol and played 42 rounds of roulette and 22 hands of poker. I don't know if it's real hands of poker or 22 hands of those pokey machines or whatever. Byrne said both children's forays lasted long enough that they had interacted with several staff members by the time they were discovered and said that the 17-year-old actually encountered 15 different staff members who didn't do anything about it. The the star actually self-reported as they're required to do by law and all of these occurred between March and July of 2019. So the stuff didn't happen this year. It happened more than a year ago. 32 minors came into the casino in 2019, which actually was a little bit better than 2018, where 35 miners made it in there. And they said the that they are going to be penalizing them uh, about uh, six, almost $60,000 in fines. That is in U.S. dollars. The 12-year-old was the majority of that. Uh, $43,000 was the fine for that one. They said that the penalty indicates that every breach requires a regulatory response befitting the risk of harm to young people in the community. I don't know what happened to the parents of the 12-year-old. 
you would think they would be in some trouble, but looks like either that didn't happen or that's not even reported here. All right. Uh, Mumbles texted. This is what he was trying to call in so badly about. Druff, please read this on the air. Zoom babies. You heard it here first on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. See, this is why I didn't answer the call. Zoom babies. Come on. Like, why is he hammering me with phone calls just to say Zoom babies? Really? He had his time on here tonight. All right. Uh, We're done. If you're listening live and you'd like to hear it in the archives and you'd like to wait an hour or so, then you're not going to find anything because I'm not going to do it. Because these shows have been so long recently, I have uh, made a decision, and I think I mentioned this last week too, but it's continuing this week. I've made a decision to not put it in the archives right when I'm done. I've made a decision to... I've made a decision to wait, to take a little break. Because it's some work to put it in the archives. Because I've actually been doing post-production. I've been removing some of the technical fail. I've been removing uh, dead air. I've been removing uh, where just parts just don't sound good for whatever reason. No real content is edited. You're, you're pretty much hearing the same show. But uh, I'm just making it a little cleaner. So it's an easier listening experience. And... That's just what I've chosen to do recently, but I just don't have the time to do it after I've done the show for eight hours. I just uh, have other things I need to do. So I will get to this later today. Today is uh, now Sunday, August 16th. Uh, Later today, I will do the editing, which takes longer than you think, and then I'll slap it up in the archives, and then you can download it. The next show will be on Friday next week. I mentioned at the very end of last week's show that it may not be on Friday this current week, and I was right. It ended up on Saturday. But I am planning to come back on Friday, which is now only about five and a half days from now. And if that changes, I'll let you know, but I really prefer this to be on Friday. And I tend to only move it if I can't make that Friday. But I can't think of a reason that I can't make this upcoming Friday. If you are in an area with coronavirus infections at a high rate where you think your area is peaking or close to peaking, you should probably stay away from anything indoors with ventilation. That is my advice to you. Now, if you have to go to work in such an environment, then... Okay, but if you don't, stay away from it. And keep in mind, your risk is an accumulation of all your exposure. While you can catch the coronavirus from a single exposure to a dangerous situation, it also may not happen. In fact, probably won't happen. It's something which, if you do over and over, eventually it will get you. So it's a numbers game. It'd be kind of like if you had a 1 in 1,000 chance of dying, and you had to pick a number between 1 in 1,000, if you match what the computer picked, then uh, you die. If you do that once, your chance of dying is very low. But let's say you had to do it a 1,000 times, it'd be pretty likely you're going to die. Not certain, but pretty likely you're going to die. So it's one of these things where the more you do it, the higher your risk is. So my advice to you, just keep away from anything indoors other than your own house as much as possible. 
and especially keep away from indoors where there's a lot of people and a ventilation system, especially here in the summer where it's going to be running pretty consistently. All right. We'll be back on August 21st, Friday, I think, around 9 p.m., hopefully with a co-host or a few. Good night, good morning, shalom.